President, uh, Vice President Favetti, it is 2 o'clock p.m. The recording is now on. Good afternoon. I am using my gavel to call to order this regular meeting of the Civil Service Commission Monday, October 16th at 2 p.m. Our commission staff will read statement with more information about our meeting today. Good afternoon and welcome to the Civil Service Commission meeting this Monday, October 16th. 2023. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person in City Hall, room 400, and available to view on WebEx if you have an item scheduled on the agenda. Public may listen to the meeting by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 26640651064. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment on items not on the agenda at the beginning of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Commission staff will provide further instructions on how to provide public comment via phone or video. If you need assistance accessing the meeting virtually or by phone, please call 628-652-1100. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of this meeting body. Commission staff will now provide further instructions on making public comment remotely. As stated on our agenda and our website, this meeting is being held remotely. For members who wish to listen and or to make public comment, the phone number is 415-655-0001. The meeting ID code is 2664-065-1064. Please make sure that you're in a quiet location and and that you turn off any television or radio to reduce reverberation so the commission can hear you. At the appropriate time, the president will ask for the phone lines to be open. If you wish to comment on the particular item, you will be prompted to press star three. This will add you to the speaker line. The auto prompt will say that callers are entering question and answer time, but this is the public comment period. You will be queued up in the order in which you press star three. There will be an automated voice that will tell you when it it is your turn to speak. When your microphone has been unmuted, you will hear us ask you to please state and spell your name and to make your comments. When your time is up, I will say thank you, next caller, please. At this point, the moderator will put you back on mute. Thank you, staff. Uh, Executive officer, please call item number one on the agenda. Item number one, call to order and roll call. President Jacqueline Miner is excused. Vice President Buffetti? Here. Commissioner Crawley? Commissioner Leong? Here. Commissioner Salveson? Here. And we have a quorum. Executive officer, we are ready now for item number two. Item number two, request to speak on any matter within the jurisdiction of the Civil Service Commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. Vice President Favetti, if I may uh, go ahead and read the script for public comment. 
During general public comment, members of the public sometimes wish to address the Civil Service Commission regarding matters that may come before the Commission in its capacity as an adjudicative body. The Commission does not restrict this use of general public comment. To protect the due process rights of parties to its adjudicative proceedings, however, the Commission will not consider, in connection with any adjudicative proceeding, statements made during general public comment. If members of the public have information that they believe to be relevant to a matter that will come before the Commission in its adjudicative capacity, they may wish to address the Commission during the public comment portion of that adjudicative proceeding. The Commission will not consider public comment in connection with an adjudicative proceeding without providing the parties an opportunity to respond. At this time, the Commission will take public comment on matters not on the agenda, but within the jurisdiction of the Commission. The maximum time allowed will be three minutes unless a significant number of speakers request to be heard, in which event the Commission President or Chair may elect to reduce the maximum time allowed. A subsequent comment made by an individual speaker after their initial allowance is limited to one minute. Afternoon, Commissioners. William Miles II, Talent Acquisition Senior Manager at SFMTA. Based on recent, a recent appeal granted, MTHR requests a review of the CSC rule and or requirements of MTHR staff in relation to non-contemporaneous letters. Due to inspection services and comments made by unions to this commission, findings were found of habitual trends of personnel writing letters to support staff that they wish to be qualified, but there being no documentation to support those letters. Corrective actions were put in place stating that the Chief People Officer and Director of Transportation should not approve any such letters for which do not have supporting documents. NTHR receives many such letters still today, some of which come before the Commission, embellishing job duties, writing about the tasks of personnel, staff that are worked with, but not the work that the actual person is performing, uh, or making statements that in general cannot be supported by any documentation that is received. The most recent appeal was a case when HR received no documentation for which we felt clearly specified supervisory duties and the capacity and time required for which we didn't have org charts or any letters that actually stated in a, in a supervisory uh, signature of such duties taking place. As such, we seem to have uncertainty on how much HR should investigate such letters and whether or not we are performing too much in our review of such letters we are receiving. These letters are currently the number one pain point in creating timely and efficient eligible lists at MTA. Delaying exams by months, and in one case up to a year, and we would like clarity on how much HR should spend time researching such letters for accuracy to ensure a merit-based process that doesn't significantly hinder our overall hiring timelines. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do we have any other public comment? Uh, please step up to the podium. These are for matters not on today's agenda. My name is Steve Zeltzer. I'm with the United Front Committee for a Labor Party. And I wanted to speak today to a uh, situation that the city and county of San Francisco, the Department of Human Resources, is spending millions of dollars uh, fighting uh, city workers who have been illegally discriminated against and discharged. And I think that we have to be clear 
the Police uh, Officers Association, POA, and the fire department uh, did not allow their members and city workers to be fired. They backed up their employees during this pandemic. That is not the case with over 15, over 1,000 members uh, of miscellaneous and other workers who were discharged. Why is that? Is there one rule for miscellaneous employees and another rule for police and firefighters? They refused to take the vaccine, yet they kept their jobs and they returned to work and were never removed. So we have a problem here and the city and county of San Francisco should not be spending millions of dollars fighting these employees who were illegally discharged, illegally coerced to retire. They should be brought back to work and we should end it. Because there is a problem in the city and county of San Francisco where management are doing things which are improper and illegal and they're backed up by the city attorney and the city spending millions of dollars to fight it. That is wrong and the people of San Francisco, the taxpayers of San Francisco had to put a stop to it. These workers who were terminated need to be brought back with fully back pay and also their retirement pay. And we should stop it now without having to go fight this in court, which is what has been happening. So I call on the city attorney and Mayor Breed and the Carol Eisen, the director of human resource department to make the necessary actions to make this happen. So we don't spend any more time on it. The other issue and another issue is privatization and outsourcing. These personal service contracts that the city is spending in, in the terms of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars to people who are not city workers. They're doing city work, but they're not city workers. And I think it's basically an attack on civil service and it's an attack on the public service system. And if there's city employees doing this work or who can do their work, they should be doing it. We shouldn't be going out to consultants and outside contractors, personal service contracts. This is an attack on public service. And our view has been that this whole outsourcing, privatization to nonprofits, privatization, outsourcing to these business districts are replacing city workers for workers who are not paid equally, yet they're doing the same work. We say equal pay for equal work. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, again, we are on item number two, request to speak on any matter uh, within the jurisdiction of the commission, but not appearing on today's agenda. If you're in the room, come to the podium. And if you are on the phone, please press star three now. We have somebody here in the podium. Hello, my name is Selena Keene. I came the last hearing on the second um, to speak. Um, and thank you, Steve, for saying that. Um, it's really important that, um, you know, as a San Francisco native, um, about to become a senior citizen, <laughs> Um, never did I think that I would have lost my job this way, um, being disrespected after serving over 17 years to the community to help others uh, become self-sufficient through the Human Service Agency. Um, you know, I was unfortunately, I was unable, could not take this jab, an experimental jab, and um, filed the appropriate um, accommodations, both religious and medical. Um, and I, ironically, I was among others who were working from home at the time I was pushed out. I was also on disability. 
And, you know, it's just not right. It's unlawful. Um, again, you know, as Steve mentioned earlier, the city is paying, I just seen an article with the examiner, not over $90 million. And this consists of, um, you know, um, the total cases of settlement amounts and offer other awards, um, the time and expenses of attorneys and court fees. Um, and the top uh, case is wrongful termination. That's the, the, that's the top case of, of this $90 million that's been spent um, uselessly. It's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Why isn't the city paying to just bring back the workers. The, the mayors said that in a, in a, uh, a conversation with an attorney, there's 4,000 job openings. So 2,000 of those jobs should be the return of those who were terminated, resigned, or pushed to retire or forced to retire due to this situation. And, you know, we all need our livelihoods. We all need to take care of our families. And, you know, you have experience dedicated, career-minded workers serving this community doesn't make any kind of sense. You know, uh, our Title VII, you know, civil rights, you know, are, you know, basically are being violated and discriminated against, and it just doesn't make any sense. The city shouldn't be like this. So um, I'm just here to say again that I would hope that I know you guys are going through litigation. You can't make any decisions right now. But please look at the common sense here. You know, you have people who are still dedicated to the city that would prefer to serve, continue to serve than to uh, un not be able to. So thank you very much. Okay, we have another public speaker in the room. And do we have more public speakers coming to the podium? Uh, and one more in the uh, room here, and then after that, we will take uh, public uh, public comment from anybody who may be on the phone. Thank okay, you. Go ahead. Hello, my name is Melody Fontilla, born and raised here in San Francisco, went to Cathedral High School, All-American basketball player. But I ended up coming and working for the city and county of San Francisco, which I was very proud to do. It was a career, um, but since... Um, I was working under the Human Services Agency for uh, working with Cal Works participants, helping them to find employment opportunities and or uh, find training. When COVID came out, the pandemic came out, uh, I was one of the first ones back uh, when, the, when the mayor asked for numbers of people we were working with. None of our clients had any information about what to do, how to do it, where to go. I was one of the first ones back on the job, working from home, calling clients, making sure that they knew the avenues to take, what to do, how to do it. And when she asked, when the mayor asked for numbers, she came to our department to get numbers because there were no other, um, um, there were no other people that had came back that fast. I actually um, came back like in April or May. Um, and so I'm just very disappointed. I was forced to retire. Um, I wasn't planning on retiring. Um, I've been working for the city, I think, probably about 23 years. Um, I was hired in 1999, and unfortunately, I was forced to retire. So when this um, reappointment came out, 
I was excited until I read the information in the reappointment, which states that if I am reappointed, which I have an excellent track record with the with my my pars, um, I've always been above average. Um, so I wouldn't see any reason why I wouldn't be reappointed. It states that I would lose my seniority. And since this is not a precedented case, this has never happened before, or I do know of people who have left in the employment for their, for, for their reason. Um, I also filed for a medical exemption and I filed for uh, religious exemption were both denied and there weren't qualified individuals denying those exemptions. Nobody was a certified priest or nobody was a certified doctor. Um, I think that little bell is my time up kind of thing. Oh, it's a 30 minute or the 32nd. Okay. So warning, but my point is this, this is a, a unprecedented case. I need this to be uh, resolved, which means if, you all can't do anything because it is in litigation, but I feel as though we should stop um, wasting money, get me back to my job so that I can help the citizens of uh, San Francisco. And um, I just think that that's a fair thing to do. Thank you. Next. <clears throat> Good afternoon, commissioners. Kimberly Cox again. I'm starting to feel like I'm a broken record. <laughs> I was here at the last meeting. Um, I just want to reiterate that a lot of us have been displaced. It's been a hardship on many of us. Um, and also, I applied for a medical exemption because I could not take the vaccine. I was denied. And that's unfortunate and that this whole entire fiasco has been traumatizing. I was in a meeting or a gathering that was honoring some of the SEIU members during the Christmas holiday. And I had the opportunity to speak to those in the Alameda County. And I spoke to the, the president over there. She said, Kimberly, don't worry. This is going to go, you're going to get your job back. She says, we've done the same thing over here. They were able to get their jobs back. So I don't know what deal Teresa Rutherford had with San Francisco, but it worked over in Alameda. They were able to get their jobs back and she was sitting right across from us as we were having our conversation. So again, SEIU is nowhere here to defend us. Where are they? We need our jobs back. We worked several years for this city and county and provided excellent service. And now you have 4,000 openings and you can't bring us back to fulfill those. The mandate is over. Okay, I understand that you have litigation going on, but you would save money by bringing us back and just halting this whole situation right now. Um, and I also want to mention that I was telecommuting during the whole entire time. Why is it that I couldn't continue to telecommute if they felt that it was such a harm to my other colleagues? That's another thing. Um, firefighters and police were brought back. So again, as I said, if you bring one back, bring us all back. 
And lastly, the letter that was sent out by SFMTA for workers to come back on September 18th, we need an explanation. Why are you picking and choosing? If one comes back again, like I said last time, we should all be able to get our jobs back. Thank you. Thank you. Do we have another public speaker here in the room? Yes. My name is Bradley Weedmeyer. I'm a 45 year resident of the city and I live on the edge of the Tenderloin and I bring you bad news that uh, things are getting worse. Uh, yet again, the Walgreens at Taylor and Gary is closing in a month. Uh, the city's not meeting the needs under the current regime. We need to have the dedicated city employees back at work, hire them now. The uh, uh, it's just make a new category for them and hire them and let the, let the, the legal thing go on. But really we need to stop wasting all this money and uh, it, it, eventually they should get their jobs back because what you stand for is equal treatment of city employees so that there's not nepotism and favoritism and corruption and we need to get this the city moving again, and it's not. It's still going downhill. And 4,000 empty places and thousands of people who were forced out because of the crisis, and no matter which side of that issue we are on, it is past. And we have new issues to deal with and face and confront. And so it's, I'm a member of SEIU, you know, and I'm not happy with my union local, and I know that the, the city workers have issues with theirs and they're not standing up for them. And that's a real concern. And I know that many people are familiar with that union, but the thing is, if you don't have democracy in your, your union, then this is going to happen. And why do all these other jurisdictions around the Bay Area address this in a practical way instead of San Francisco? What is going on? It's almost like if one was reading the cards, it's like an understaffing is being done on purpose to fuel the private, the nonprofit privatization and the split in uh, professionalism in the services because it's, they're not happening. They're not being done. Uh, the work is not uh, taking care of the business. And the whole fact that the fire department and the police department is let back and it's a court ruling. How can you then stand aside of the court ruling and enforce some other law? It should be taken up and incorporated into the decision on this rehiring these people now in a new category that that recognizes their past service and seniority and benefits where they were. That's what needs to happen. Enough with uh, of making the rules that should be equalizing treatment to everyone into a, a effort of making it unequal. That is your job. Thank you. Okay, uh, we have exhausted, I think the, oh, there's another person. Or this is public comment for some 
things that are not on the agenda? That are not on the agenda. You want to comment on what's on the agenda? Okay. Is there anyone else in the room that wants to comment uh, for, on items that are within the jurisdiction of the commission, but not on today's agenda? Okay, Ms. Aldana, could you please let us know if there's anyone on the phone who wishes to make public comment? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, so um, there are no public comments. So, shall we, Executive Director, go on to the next item, item number three. Item three, approval of minutes, regular meeting of October 2nd, 2023, recommendation, adopt the minutes. Okay, uh, commissioners, are there any comments, edits, changes to the minutes of our meeting for October 2nd? I do have one. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just go ahead. Uh, I, I actually left at 625. So there was a big question mark. I left at 625. I move the minutes be approved with that correction. Second. Uh, and is there any public comment? If you're in the room, please come to the podium. If you're on the phone, please press star three now. Okay. Vice and President Favetti, no public comment at this time. In the absence of public comment, we will move to the roll call vote. Uh, let's see. Hold on a second. Commissioner Crowley? Aye, as stated. Commissioner Leung? Aye. Ms. Elbison? Aye. And I vote aye. And it's been approved unanimously. Uh, shall we go on to the next item? Item four, announcements. Uh, there are no announcements or changes to the agenda. Okay, uh, could you please call the next item? Item five, human resources director's report. Uh, commissioners, is my is my microphone on? Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Vice President Favetti, members of the commission. <clears throat> I'm going to spend my uh, director's report uh, this meeting to provide you with an update on uh, the vaccine policy uh, issues that have been raised at this commission, you asked that I report on it. And so I'm going to use this director's report to do that. As I noted at the last meeting, um, ongoing litigation, um, affects what I can say here at this commission, and I will do my best to provide you with a general update, uh, with that in mind. So just to go back a little bit in time to, uh, provide the context, as you know, in June of 2021, under the mayor's emergency authority, the city issued a requirement that all city employees as a condition of employment be vaccinated against COVID-19. You'll remember that this, at this time, um, the infections and deaths from COVID-19 were at an all-time high across the country. And we experienced uh, quite a bit of it within city employment, including uh, some employees dying um, from uh, COVID-19. So we implemented the policy to protect the health and safety of our workers and of the general public with whom we interact. Um, after the policy was implemented, some employees did separate. Um, from either city service, resigned or retired, 
and some employees were involuntarily separated from city employment, um, which were non-disciplinary in nature. Um, it had to do with failure to meet uh, condition of employment. We do not, uh, we know about that final third category. We don't know about the first two. People resign and retire from the city all the time. We experienced a very high rate of both of those things throughout the pandemic um, for varieties of reasons. Um, so we can't, I cannot isolate for you uh, who resigned or retired based on the vaccine mandate. You have heard from some individuals here at your commission. So based on their own testimony, we can know about those individuals, but I don't know about others. Um, uh, in the police and fire departments, uh, which are covered by uh, uh, police officer bill of rights and the firefighter uh, bill of rights, uh, those departments and those commissions conducted hearings for employees who were uh, went through non-disciplinary separations. We also issued notices to miscellaneous employees uh, for similar reasons. Um, I can find out final tallies from those two commissions about what the end results were, um, but for the most part, uh, the separations were in relation to the total size of those departments were very small. Uh, within the fire department, it was uh, somewhere in the nature of 15 non-disciplinary separations out of a force of almost 2,000 employees. So it gives you a sense of um, scope. We did have a number, and again, purely anecdotally, employees who were on medical leaves or on some other form of leave um, who uh, may not have been vaccinated, and when they returned from leave, the policy had changed. And so the conditions of employment had essentially uh, reverted back to what they were once we had achieved both the level of level of control of the disease, both within city employment and within the larger community and following the CDC's guidelines. Um, so some police officers, perhaps some firefighters, other city employees may very well have returned from leave um, without uh, the benefit of vaccination. We, we don't can't be sure of any of that. Um, we did receive almost over a thousand medical or res uh, requests for either medical or religious exemptions from city employees. Some of those requests were granted, but again, remember that these are, um, this is a two-step process. We had to first uh, consider the exemption request and then um, we had to make a decision about whether in each instance about whether or not um, we could reasonably accommodate employees who were not va vaccinated. And those were um, in each instance were based on the duties of the job and um, the work that they performed. So it was a two step process. Some employees were both um, exempted and accommodated. Others were not. Um, we did have some employees file EEO complaints, appealing department determinations, uh, denying either the exemption request or the accommodation request. Those you've heard some of those, some of those are still in process. Um, we, um, I, you've asked me about communications with city employees. I think what I just reported here, I think 
to be clear, we have not sent out notices or any invitations to former employees to ask them to return. Uh, simply because we have no way of knowing why people left city employment and. Um, if employees come forward, we can certainly work with those employees on a case by case basis. Um, labor unions may have sent out some information to these employees about their options to return, but I do not have specific details about those communications. Um, there are options for former employees to return. We have shared this with labor. Um, but this is really dependent on how the employee separated in the 1st instance. So, I'm going to go through some of these with you um, and happy to answer any questions you might have. Again, I already mentioned some employees were on leave at the time um, that the policy was implemented or went on leave shortly after its implementation. Um, some of those employees um, may not have been vaccinated and may have returned after the vaccine mandate was lifted. Those employees are not required to be vaccinated upon their return to duties. Um, employees can be uh, injured or on leave for any reason, as you know, so, or for uh, any legal reason. Um, we have a number of leave types and reasons for them. Um, employees who resign from the city with satisfactory service may request reappointment within four, a four year period uh, from the effective date of the resignation. This process is governed by Civil Service Rule 114. Um, and there is a comparable rule in the MTA section as well. I believe it's rule 414. This may be the source of the issue about seniority. I believe that the seniority issues are mentioned um, in your rule, uh, but we can look at that as well. And finally, um, the re people who have retired, just to be clear, uh, we do not have compulsory retirements um, in the city or in the United States. Um, employees who did retire um, and wish to unretire to return to city service would fall under that same reappointment process. Um, they do have to go and work with the retirement system to reverse the re retirement after they have been successfully uh, have been reappointed and may start work. So it is, there are options for employees who have retired. I would urge them to um, speak with the retirement system and to work directly with their appointing officers. As you know, reappointment is not something that the uh, human resources department controls directly. It's something that uh, is within the authority of the appointing officer. In some instances, if there are vacancies, certainly employees are welcome, uh, could easily be welcomed back. Um, in some instances, there may not be vacancies remaining to make that possible. Uh, these are case by case basis. And where I know about employees seeking reemployment, I'm certainly happy to try and help facilitate. But this again is under the purview of the appointing officers. Um, <clears throat> I I think I'll stop there and see if there are any questions or comments from the commission, and I'm happy to uh, answer them directly. 
questions? Do you have any questions or comments? Uh, Commissioner Leong. Director. You're on this mic. Oh. Director, in, uh, in terms of the thousand, is it a thousand you said for miscellaneous employees who claimed uh, religious and or medical exemptions? It was, uh, I think it was a little closer to 1100 and it was not just limited to miscellaneous. It was uh, all city employees. Okay. And what is the total uh, workforce? It's approximately 35,000 employees. Okay, thank you. Give or take. Uh, there could be when you, uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Are there any other further comments from commissioners? Commissioner Salveson? Should, I, can I, if I could just uh, comment a little bit further on the question, add a little more information. We had, um, and I'll, uh, you know, at risk of being off by a percent point or two, but we had uh, approximately, we, we were asking employees to report their vaccination status and to upload, remember the cards we all got and to upload the evidence. Um, we didn't have direct access to the state database. We attempted to get that and the state was protecting that information for a lot of good reasons. So we did ask employees to upload their information and we had approximately not in the 97 to 98% compliance rate among city employees. And I, you know, I don't think that that in any way, but we had ways that employees who either couldn't or wouldn't or didn't or, or had reasons that they did not want to become vaccinated to be able to apply for exemptions. And we, uh, did a lot of due diligence on every single one of them. And again, this is a lot of this is now subject to very complex litigation that will take some time to unravel. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, no problem. I just wanted to um, thank you for coming back promptly with the information. It's helpful to get a understanding of the categories to help us um, understand what's going on. So I appreciate that. I also wanted to thank you very much for the information. Um, and um, as we progress forward, I'm sure you're going to be letting us know on a regular basis. I have a feeling everything ties to the litigation. Everything, the entire picture, okay. Thank you. Uh, we will now turn to uh, public comment. If you're in the room, please come to the podium. If you're on the phone, please press star three now. Hello again, my name is Selena Keene, go by Ms. K. So I just want to give you a little history of the events from the time that the so-called pandemic started, impacted individuals. Um, but I do want to say that um, I've had personal chronic issues. This is nothing for me to have to explain myself, but ongoing for years. I've had been out FMLA before on many occasions due to my problem, my health issues. But I uh, just want to say that, um, you know, I had uh, several episodes leading up to being out on disability. Um, November 1st came, uh, October 27th, I was at the emergency. 
um, due to my chronic ailments and my doctors, the emergency doctor as well as my primary took me out immediately. Unfortunately, um, I, I, you know, I was able, my daughter was able to help me file paperwork, FMLA, all that kind of stuff. And when November 3rd came, I unfortunately received, and let me just say, I am due to this chronic, I needed rest. I needed the stress. I needed to calm down because I was wearing many hats. I'm uh, president of the chapter at HSA. I've been doing that work for a long time, um, helping others with their workloads and things of that nature. And then here comes the the COVID. But um, I was able, uh, I was not able to respond, but I received a scaly notice on the 3rd while I was out. And, you know, your job, once you're separated medically, your, your job is supposed to wait till you come back. Well, they didn't do that. They constantly, constantly bombarded me with notices about, oh, well, you're skelly, you didn't take the COVID shot, or you didn't report. I did report. The reporting system that, that the city and county had, had had bugs in it as well. So even though there were people that were putting in their uh, status about whether or not they had been vaccinated or not, the city was not always getting those status reports. And I didn't find out until way later, months like into the next month, uh, next year. But at any rate, um, I was bombarded, um, could not rest. I had already put in my um, religious uh, accommodation on October 12, 2021. They immediately responded by the 20th and denied me did not give me any, I asked them, I have emails to prove this, but I have emails stating that I were to, um, I asked them how do they, how would they be able to determine what qualifies these individuals to make the religious determination, could not respond to that. So then once my medical accommodation was requested, I basically, it was the clock was supposed to turn, start over, did not constantly bombarded. But I'm just saying I was pushed out and, and the only reason why I left the way I left is retired, even though I was on disability, which was a violation of my, my ADA rights, was because I wanted to save my retirement and everything else. But I would have still been working. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, my name is Melody Fontilla for the record. And my question is, I want to start off with who were the individuals? And I, I would like for you all to investigate this. Who were the individuals that deemed someone approved for medical or, or disapproved for your religious exemption? What qualified them to do this work for one? And then what, who knows what was the criteria for who was approved? What was the criteria for those who were disapproved? I need to know that information. That's not been divulged. I don't know where I can find it, but that needs to be investigated. Um, so I was not allowed to test. I would have been fully ready to test uh, on a weekly basis. I was not allowed to test. I was working once again at my home, had did this work from home um, for almost a year and a half. And then all of a sudden now I'm being 
um, said that you have to come back into the office. Well, that's fine. I don't have a problem with coming back into the office. I'll test. However, when everybody so-called was uh, vaccinated, who went, who did go back to the office, the, cre the increase of COVID went up. So it didn't protect you from getting COVID. It didn't keep you from dying. It did some people harm. So these things need to be answered and uh, investigated because basically, I just like to know on what grounds they approved and what grounds that they disapproved. This, this can be done without the litigation. Whether you we figure this out or not, let's take a look at who you approved and who you disapproved and why wasn't my natural immunity accepted. Natural immunity has been accepted for every kind of disease that I can think of, and I got it and had validated, um, verified natural immunity from my doctor that I sent in that they did not approve. So I'm trying to figure this out because I did not want to retire, but I could not put in those years of service and, and lose my pension. That's what I could not do. And I don't know who in their white mind would allow someone to first, the way that they even did people, to get away with it. So I, yeah, I did retire, but I was coerced and made to retire. I did not, wasn't ready to. I'm in a financial bind right now, had to move in with my children. Okay, you tell me how that would make you feel. Thank you. My life is not the same. Thank you. Again, Kimberly Cox, I have two questions. Um, you stated that no letters went out on DHR letterhead. We all have copies of the letter, of the redacted letter, SFMTA. Is that not under your jurisdiction? And if you would like a copy of the letter, we will provide it to you. All three of us have it. Um, the next question. Again, you made a decision about denial and approval of exemptions. Were you guys or whoever you deemed to make these decisions, were they medically qualified? To do this, we would like to know their qualifications. This was asked before to my DHR director. So we would like to know who made these determinations and why. And those are my two questions. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who wishes to provide public comment on the Human Resources Director's report? Yeah, well, I, I, again, Steve Seltzer, United Point Committee for the Labor Party. I mean, I think that the report by the executive director is not good enough. It's not good enough to say that you're going to spend millions of dollars more on lawyers to fight these city employees who refuse to get the vaccine, but were agreeable to be tested. You're talking about wasting money. And the city has a habit of wasting a lot of money. Millions and millions of dollars go down the drain. It could be used to hire workers. It could be hired. Then we need city workers. We need a lot of work done in this city. Instead, you're spending money. It seems like an unlimited fund for lawyers. 
what's going on here? Why is there an unlimited fund for lawyers? I'd like to ask Mayor London Breed and the city attorney, why is there unlimited money for lawyers in San Francisco to fight city employees who should be going back to their jobs? Who's responsible? Who's accountable? And I also would like to add, since it's a director's report, about this new rule that you're going to have, getting rid of the rule list, uh, a rule of three, and going to the rule, the rule of the list, which is not commented on, because there are union organizations who are against that, who for protecting civil service. Unfortunately, most of the union, public worker unions in San Francisco, say it's okay. It's okay to downgrade civil service and the merit system. I don't agree. We don't agree. And I think the director should talk about the unions that are opposed to this downgrading of civil service in San Francisco. Why, is, why the silence? As a public employee, you support public workers, and yet they're silenced by the unions, the public worker unions in San Francisco about this attack on civil service, and there's no report from the director about that. I think that's a real problem for the working people, the public of San Francisco. Thank you. Bradley Weedmeyer. You know, you have a contract with a union and they're not here, they're not representing these people. They need to be here and you need to be talking through that contract that you are disregarding. And what's this about the police and fire department have a bill of rights, but the rest of city employees don't? That is respected? That's held up above the rest of us? That's outrageous. And as far as the idea of the mandate was lifted, so people got in. Well, let's have a retroactive list lifting of the mandate and get practical and stop wasting money on lawyers and stupid lawsuits. It's just like the lawsuit in the in the city, uh, in the education department going on and on and on wasting money about the murals. This kind of this kind of outrageous waste is ridiculous. And you need to come up to speed with the rest of the entities of the Bay Area who are, have gone beyond this. This is over. There was a lot of different views and a lot of different things. We have been through this experience. It's time to clean it up and move forward and put these dedicated workers back to work. We need them. The city is still sliding down the hill and not doing it is just a waste of time and everybody's effort. And it's not fair. I'm outraged that some of the city workers have a bill of rights that the rest of the workers don't have. And I'm outraged that my union is, and, and the sister local in that union is not here standing up for the contract that it has with you. You're supposed to be dealing with the union and not the people. And it's not a case by case basis. If people come and, and you know and, and bother you enough, is that is that going to be the thing? But what these people that that are raising this issue are coming collectively because it's for all their sisters and brothers, and we need all those workers. We don't need a bunch of baloney. 
We need the workers back to work, and we need you to deal with the union that you have a contract with and not just assault workers. Thank you. Are there any other speakers uh, to the human resources directors? Sorry. Um, oh, oh, no, you've I already just, had. We have already I, had no, I, I'm sorry. I just want to make a mention because I forgot to note it again, and I know that my colleague did. But I do want to make a mention about the, um, the CS rule 1104, I believe it is, on how to reinstate. It's 114 and okay. it's 214, 314, and 414. I'm sorry. Thank you. There's the 14 series. Okay. So thank you so very much. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Doug Bias. And um, I'm a representative of San Francisco City Workers United. About 12, 11, 12 years ago, we, uh, a group of us employees started our own independent labor union here in San Francisco for the first time. And um, uh, we're very uh, few in numbers, just over 100. <clears throat> and um, we, we are definitely against uh, um, these, uh, these, uh, um, can't uh, the, the workers not being allowed to come back to work uh, or having these issues with the employment over uh, their shot mandate? Um, and um, um, we're also uh, against this uh, rule of three, getting rid of the rule of three um, and um, adopting a rule of the list. And it's not fair. Um, it, it's um, it goes back to. It really came up on my radar with the de-identification. And I was kind of listening to commission meetings uh, and statements made. Uh, <clears throat> it seems like there's a conflict. Last year, uh, uh, commissioners had mentioned that they didn't really provide the results that they were looking for. This, uh, this uh, de-identification. Uh, um, and, and now, it's being uh, lauded as something that is successful for some reason to support uh, adopting rule of the list. But I mean, what it does is, uh, all it does is by reducing people to a number on a list, um, it, it clandestinizes hiring for one thing. And then secondly, all it does is in my opinion is provide um, uh, cover uh, a plausible deniability for managers to say they had anything to do with discrimination in the hiring process. And I think that your racial equity goals are great, but what you're doing is just the exact opposite. You're looking the other way with de-identifying. And I think that's, uh, that's all part of a bigger puzzle that we're all still figuring out here. But uh, yeah, I'm against all that, and um, I want to speak out against the uh, adoption today of rule of the list. Thank you. How you doing? My name is Dante Vickers. I represent Local 1414, Automotive Machinists and Maintenance. Um, rule of list, uh, rule of three. Um, Sir. We are not on that item yet. Okay. 
and the we're right now commenting. Are, is your and I hate to dis, I don't want to stop public comment. Okay. But I want to clarify if you're going to be commenting on the proposed rule changes. We have an item on the calendar for that. Got it. And uh, right now we are commenting only on the human resources director's report, okay. which uh, had to do primarily with the uh, vaccine uh, policies Absolutely. and our current status. Got it. Okay. Oh, so it, it, go on. If you wish to comment on the human resources director's report, okay. we are taking public comment for that. Okay. So on the on the um, on the COVID, the mandate shots. Mm -hmm. um, I had a um, supervisor because I worked at the fire shop, and he was an excellent supervisor. He didn't want to take the the COVID shot, so. The day, I, I'm not sure exactly what day it was that everybody had to have a shot or be fired or laid off or terminated or whatever. So he decided to be terminated. But as I came in as a local 1414 rep, it was a guy by the name of Tawabe. And he actually had the proper documentation from the church. And he... Um, was not, he was fired, basically. They had to, they, they, they released him. So I've been fighting for him since I've been here, uh, since January the 1st of this year, actually January the 3rd. But my question is a lot of jobs are open right now. And you guys already have a whole lot of people that's qualified for those jobs right now. And they are outside, uh, wanting to come back to work and you guys don't want to give them the the word i'm looking for is there no not just a reinstatement because you can get reinstated but you want your seniority also right so okay so the reinstatement Got you. Okay, the reinstatement. And I believe that, you know, in the city and county of San Francisco, that, you know, we supposed to, like, for 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 me, I, I was born and raised in the city of San Francisco. And to see how the things are being transmitted as far as us not being able to come back to work because of a mandated shot, um, I think that's wrong, 100%. And I just like to say that I would like to see it turned around where we can come back to work. The guys, the people that did get laid off of work um, and come back whole. Um, I think that's fair. Um, I know it's going to be a lot of issues to get that process going, but you guys can do it. And I just, you know, if we got to be held accountable for our jobs, we want to make you guys accountable um, and be held accountable for the things that you did. So, thank you. That's it. Okay, and if you wish to comment on the certification rule, it will be held at a later date or a later time today. Okay, next. Okay, uh, Ms. Aldana, is there anyone on the phone who wishes to make public comment on the Human Resources Director's report? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, so shall we go to the next item on the agenda? The executive officer's report. Item six, executive officer's report. Uh, commissioners, uh, within the just in the last uh, month or so, 
We have uh, conducted training on not only an overview of the merit system, but appeals and staff reports and responses to inspection services so far to um, over five departments and the divisions within that department and also with the union. Um, we now have a waiting list of departments who would like more of this training. Uh, the union representatives have already personally contacted to see if we will do trainings for different groups, the divisions within the unions, just on the overview of the merit system, understanding what are appealable matters. But it is uh, resulting in uh, departments are now asking if we be willing to conduct the same training to the executive management. So they understand what it is that the HR divisions are doing in terms of the hiring process and so forth. So we're working towards that go, but it is, as I had stated in our strategic planning before, that it seems to be working well because people are beginning to have an understanding of the rules. And I would say a couple of managers had stated to us after the training, maybe I should do it with my hands, where have you all been that we had these questions, not knowing that the civil service commission existed, which is a reminder again, that we need to go all out as much as possible. Also regarding our 1426, we have uh, began the uh, selection process. It is in its final stages. So we hopefully, um, if everything goes through well, that we will soon be able to introduce to you our new 1426 to the department. Thank you. Wonderful, thank you. And uh, commissioners, do you have any comments, questions for the executive director and the executive director's report? And uh, is there, is there any public comment on the, in the executive director's report? No. Okay. Should we go on to the next item? We are now on the ratification agenda. All matters on the ratification agenda are considered by the Civil Service Commission to be non-contested and will be acted upon by a single vote of the commission. There will be no separate discussion on these items unless a request is made, in which event the matter shall be removed from the ratification agenda and considered as a separate item. Item 7, review of requests for approval of proposed personal services contracts, recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the report, approve the request for proposed personal services contracts, notify the Office of the Controller and the Office of Contract Administration. Commissioners, I will pull the commissioners to determine if there's any particular contract you wish to discuss further. Commissioner Crowley? Uh, I'm Chair, 4124823-24, General Services Agency. And then I'm going to ask for the chair, how do you wish to handle uh, these PSCs that exceed five years in time duration? There's a number of them on page, well, there's one on page six, namely the next one, which is 4290323-24 by emergency management. And then there's three on page seven, which is Public Utilities Commission, Public Works, and Public Health, each with, you know, well, 29 is okay, but uh, 
35. Um, actually, uh, I had interest in pulling number 35 just to have a, um, with regard be because it's a long term contract. And uh, whether or not there is a, um, just to determine if there's a halfway point that there is, are, are these systems still relevant is what I was really focusing on. Uh, and also, I was unclear whether there's going to be systems training on a, in the modification. So I just want, I'd add, I had interest there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm having some issues. Um, Question was regarding those contracts that exceed five years. And so um, I think that there's uh, one that from Public Utilities Commission uh, until, which is a six year contract. I didn't, uh, and the question was to me was how did I wish to handle those? Uh, another contract from Public Works that uh, terminates in 2032, and another on Public Health, which was in 2035. I had mentioned that I had particular interest in 20, the Public Health contract, in that I wanted to have a mid a mid time review uh, with regard to whether or not systems training and, cl and clarification whether or not systems training was being uh, conducted, and whether or not it was the uh, since it's a long term contract, whether or not the the upgrades are whether the contract or the services are continuing to be um, uh, relevant and whether or not there was going to be upgrades or changes. And so, okay, that's where I was on that one, just that one, unless there are other commissioners who wish to have the others of Commissioner Salveson. No, no, no additional. Okay. And Commissioner Leung. So just a point of clarification, we only pull one contract. Is that right? GSA one, or are we talking about the three on page seven as well? Uh, I was okay. I was going to pull uh, uh, commissioners. Uh, Crowley pulled one four one two four eight dash twenty two twenty three twenty four. I also had an interest in that particular contract and was going to pull it. Uh, Commissioner Crowley was also mentioning four eight seven six seven dash two three two four, and four one uh, public public works and four one six nine eight point or dash nineteen twenty. I had a particular interest in 41698-1920 uh, since it is so long to 2035. Okay. I had pan, had planned to pull that one. I didn't get clear from Commissioner Crowley. Did you want to pull the public works contract, the 48767? Yes, Madam Chair. Just just for the for okay. the those folks in public works, the question is going to be a check-in in five years to make certain that the contract is uh is working appropriately as we deem necessary. And uh, Commissioner Leung, did you have a question? Yeah, so I'd like to pull uh, 40334-2324. That would be Public Utilities Commission? Yes, for $16 million. Okay, so the following, uh, I also had one additional, and that was for emergency management. And as a comment, because I want to make sure it's clarified that the Commission's role is only in the scope of work and we do not approve contracts per se. Uh, since the contractor was mentioned in the submission, um, that's why I wanted to pull 42903-2324. So the contracts that have been pulled are 41248-2324, City Administrators, 42903-2324, Emergency Management, 40334-2324, Public Utilities, 48767-2324, Public Works, 41698-1920, Public Health. 
The remaining contracts are 4287323324 Homeless and Supportive Housing, 47796-2324 Municipal Transportation Agency. And could I have a motion on that? So move the rest of the agenda. Second. Do we have any public comment on the uh, remaining contracts? Not those that have been polled, the remaining contracts. And that would be 42873-2324, 47796-2324, the Homeless Department in Support of Housing and Municipal Transportation Agency. If you're in the room, please uh, come to the podium. If you are on the phone, please star three, press, press star three now. Yeah. Um... I'm, I'm Steve Zeltzer again, United Front Community for Labor Party. On this issue of homeless and supportive housing, um, for $44 million, that's uh, something that should be done by city workers. Why are we outsourcing it and privatizing that? They're public workers who can do that work. Where's this money going? It's going to nonprofit agencies and others at, and the workers who are working in these areas are not paid properly. They're not paid a living wage. And we don't believe that we should be outsourcing $44 million to an agency, uh, to other agencies outside the city and county of San Francisco. That can be done by city workers. If you paid living wages, and we know that there's actually no oversight of these contracts. It's a big scandal in San Francisco. Major scandal. Billions of dollars are going outside the city to agencies, to nonprofits, and there's no oversight. Why is that? Why are we giving and voting for millions and billions of dollars to agencies where there's no oversight? Who's doing the oversight? Do you have an agency to do oversight on these contracts? I don't think so. And that's not only dangerous to the workers, as far as their discrimination and attacks on them, but also the clients, the people who need services. That's why we have to have public workers doing public work. These workers are doing public work and they're not being paid as public workers. The principle of equal work to equal pay is what we should be following and the outsourcing of this $44 million is not following that work because those workers are not gonna be making living wages. We can guarantee that. The workers in San Francisco who are doing city work are not being paid living wages. That's why we, one of the reasons we have a crisis of homelessness in San Francisco. They can't afford to live in San Francisco. They can't even afford to commute. They're living on the street. So I think you need to address that. I think the managers of these agencies need to address that. Why aren't they fighting for public workers to do this work? That's what I think the people need to ask in the city and county of San Francisco. Hello again, my name is Melody Fontilla. I personally know about this particular agenda right here because I was the one that tried to connect people to employment, correct? But this should be done and can be done by city workers. I personally can do the job of the homeless and supportive housing because of the experience and the background that I've had with working with ex-offenders, with the homeless, and a variety of different occupations that require this position to do. But I'm a city employee, want to go to work, but can't go to work because you're going to now pay somebody else take my job 
and have me retire and not want me to make a, um, a, my career, finish out my career with the city and county of San Francisco. I just don't think it makes sense to give away 44 million when we have competent people to do the job that you all have either let go, made them, forced them, coerced them to retire, terminated, however you wanna say it, plenty of people that you all can put into this position. And then for the other one, even under the Municipal Transit um, Participation Agency, these are all, this is all money that you can utilize in either training people to get to do the job that work for city and county as opposed to contracting it out. And I'm in total agreement with what Steve said, because this seems to be a racket. And I don't think um, we should be known because we're the city of San Francisco. I was once very proud of my city, living here, looking at my city. I can no longer say that. And that, I don't think that should be. I think I should continue to be proud of the city that I was raised in, that I grew up in, that I have a reputation in. And I think you all should investigate these things in a little bit more depth to see why is this being done. Okay, my name is Sarah Menefee. I'm with the Labor Party. Um, I try to like look at this and decode the language. And when I hear contractors or consultants, I suspect that, you know, I'm looking at 44 million people, $44 million and people are laying out there on the sidewalk. And I'm, I'm seeing some of that money is going to the police. I just saw three police surrounding some guy with a blanket over his shoulders who had nothing. What are they gonna do for him? When I hear consultant, are, are our tax money going to workers like these that no longer have their jobs, but competent workers who can actually help solve these problems? Are we gonna get some nonprofit or a consultant in and pay them millions of dollars to make a report and the guy's still laying out there on the sidewalk. And I just think there's a crescendo of failures going on. And I think it's disguised in this language that I don't understand. How much of that $44 million is gonna actually help people get off the street? How much of it is going to the cops? And how much is it going to this street? to jail, to street, to jail, and, and you know, the cops are gonna take the tents and they're gonna move on to another alley. And I just, that's kind of a large question, but pay, pay the workers who know what they're doing, who have some solutions, who've been out there on the front lines, bring them back to work, don't outsource our tax money for solutions that just aren't working. Thank you. 
Excuse me, uh, for public comment, Sarah, if we can get the spelling of your last name, please. Thank you. I'm sorry, you'll have to speak into the mic so we have it for the recording. Thank you. Am I in trouble now? <laughs> it's Sarah, Sarah Menifee, M as in Mary E, Anna as in Nancy E, F as in Fred E. E. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, is there any other individual in the room who wishes to make public comment? If not, Ms. Aldana, are there any individuals on the phone who wish to make public comment? And again, if you're on the phone, press star three now. Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, I will be doing a roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. And I vote aye. The vote is unanimous. Uh, so let's go to the first item, which is 41248-2324, City Administrators. And I believe that's, uh, we need a, a departmental representative. Uh, and Commissioner Crowley, you have the floor at this point. Okay. Do we have uh, GSA on the line? Yes, good afternoon, uh, Vice President Favetti and Commissioners. My name is Lynn Kaw. I am the Departmental PSC Coordinator for the Office of Contract Administration, and I represent PSC 41248-2324 for as-needed vehicles and maintenance and repairs. And with me, um, we have um, staff members, Mark Folly with Office of Contract Administration, and also Don Jones and Camilla, Topic with central Okay. Thank you. Mayor, or do you want to? I'm sorry, did I miss somebody? Oh. Oh, I was I was looking for you here. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. So I'm Mark Farley with the Office of Contract Administration. I'm a purchasing supervisor there. Uh, so if you have any uh, questions regarding uh, the contract, itself uh, i can help answer those uh if you have i guess boots on the ground like operational type answers then that would be uh central shops folks who are i think on the uh remotely welcome thank you thank you for being here um this is a second generation contract that i've seen before us and i believe the last time it came before us madam chair that i questioned the fact that why are we not being able to have ima 15 or 1414 shop uh, do this work um, and I'm asking that question again. Okay. I'm going to defer from 1414 here also. Yeah. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Go okay. ahead. I was going to defer to the uh, central shops folks. I'm, I'm not sure what that, uh, the 1414. Well, I'm uh, Tom Jones. I'm the director here at fleet management. And I'll be really honest with you. We'd love to have 1414 do this work. This is overflow work above and beyond what we can do with the staff we have. We are doing everything possible to hire staff at this point. There is a shortage of mechanics and people that are coming to work these days. And this is uh, just a emergency, like it says, as needed way to get stuff done, to keep stuff on the road. That's Thank you, I see that. I have a follow-up question as well. Do we have the representative from IMA, uh, Machinist Local 1414 in the room? Uh, do you, uh, would you like to speak to this matter?
Yes. Um, we, um, 1414 can do this work, but like Don Jones said, we are uh, short staffed and we need more uh, mechanics, much more mechanics in, in our trade. It's, um, it's real hard to get the mechanics. Um, it's a shortage on um, 7332, 7313, 7381s. Um, but all the work on here, we can actually do. That's what we do. Um, and we would like to have this work. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I guess my question Go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Actually, Commissioner Crowley, uh, there's there's a couple of things here because um, what I was very concerned about is that it's the the report cites this is especially to the to the city's lengthy and rigorous civil service process, and I was actually going to request under Commissioner requests uh, at the end of this meeting that we have a report uh, about the hiring process for these classes and what is the delay and is there are there rule amendments that we need to consider to be able to speed the process along. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, but that was not, I was had not intended to object to the contract because I believe that that's, it's a necessary uh, at this point, but had wanted to have some kind of back, uh, reporting back separately as a separate calendar item, not associated with the contract itself. And, and Madam Chair, that's fine with me. It just doesn't seem that we're getting much progress made on this fact. And so, I'll consider and I'll, I'll vote in the affirmative uh, hearing that uh, Representative uh, Dante Vickers is in con concurrence with working with the department and trying to find personnel. Absolutely. Okay. All right. No further questions, Madam Chair. And I'll. Uh, uh, Commissioner Leung. So on that point, I, I have a couple of simple questions for the department. Uh, since this is a second generation contract, what efforts have been made to date since the first generation to make sure that we uh, recruit and retain qualified staff uh, to do the work that is required? Uh, again, I'll, I'll defer to the, the central shops representatives. We've advertised, I mean, we've looked for mechanics, we've started Hiring a couple of apprentices, it's just, unfortunately, there's a shortage of skilled mechanics that, that are looking for work these days. We've actually uh, gone through the whole hiring process with a couple of mechanics over the years. I'll say more than a couple. Um, and by the end of the hiring process, they're all on board to come. They go give their two weeks notice and their boss offers them more money than we could other fathom paying them to, to stay with them. And, and then you get nobody. It just... It's a very, very hard role to fill these days. This mechanic shortage has been predicted for years and years and years. Now it's here. So on that point, what efforts moving forward now uh, in order to avoid a third generation uh, PSE on this one uh, moving forward? Do you have any ideas in terms of the efforts that are going to be made uh, to recruit and retain uh, qualified 1414 mechanics? Actually, I've been talking to Dante Vickers and uh, Chris Reyes, who's the city's apprenticeship coordinator, we are going to have to grow our own uh, technicians in, in this thing. And I think that's a good good thing all the way around for people who live in the city. They're interested in this type of work. And uh, I don't see another way around it. They're just not qualified technicians out there that are willing to leave jobs and come work for us right now. 
I think that's that's going to be our best bet to to move forward and have people in uh, in positions to take these jobs in the future. I believe we have a representative uh, Vickers who wishes yeah. to make a comment. Um, like Don Jones has said, one of the things that we're doing is losing apprentices because they 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 go to a certain um, level as far as uh, th three years in to the program. And they, we lost, we just got lost one of our apprentices to East Bay HUD because he made $4.50 more, right? So one of the things that, that we're gonna need is more money as far as to retain the people of San Francisco, even the, uh, the, the, um, the 7313s, which is the mechanic, uh, uh, heavy duty mechanics and um, the, regular mechanics. Another thing is, and I, I know this might not be the forum for it, but I'm gonna be honest, um, the private industries is about to start snatching all our mechanics because they're making more money now. The private, we, we take San Francisco, right? Our, our local, our uh, SFMTA, they get a lot of, uh, um, mechanics from the private sources, the private uh, Honda, um, Toyota. So we need, you know, some under. We 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 need more. We need more money, straight across the board. That's how that's how we're going to um, attain our mechanics in San Francisco, California, right? A lot of uh, people are trying to go to um, PG&E, the waterfront. They 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 just got a a bump up to seventy two dollars an hour working on cranes, right? So it's, it's a lot of different um, things that's going on in the, you know, outside of the city and county. And it's hard for us to retain people as far as even as Don, a lot of people um, come, they, they, they get, um, they go through the process, the hiring process, they don't even show up. They get the job and don't show up because the outside um, sources, the private sources, the, uh, the private entities, they pay more money. So we have to kind of, I'm not sure how to do it, but we have to step up if we want to um, retain the people, you know? It's, it's, it's hard enough that a lot of young men and young women don't want to come into this position and into, into the uh, mechanical field. It's hard to get even young people out here, but we have to sit there uh, press a standard and say, look, we're going to get you guys over here to San Francisco. We're going to make more money for you. You're going to, you know, you're going to be able to live in San Francisco. The majority of the guys that work as a 7381 or a 7313 do not live in the city. I have to cross two bridges to get out here every day. That's $16 a day, you know? So realistically, I have to get up at what? Three o'clock in the morning. So I won't be in traffic. You know, we have to sit there. We have to stand, uh, be at our jobs like an hour and a half uh, earlier, just so we can have parking at central shops, right? So it, it's a lot of things going on and people are really getting frustrated. Like the mechanics, they're getting frustrated. Do they like the job? Absolutely, because you have people that's been in there 25, 30 years, right? But like Don Jones said, um, people are starting to retire. So we have to start bringing in more people, more people, and we need it right now. Not tomorrow, we need it right now. So that's it. I'm satisfied with my questions. 
uh, I don't know about, you know, Commissioner Leung, but and and I'm satisfied with what you're proposing at the end of this as well. I'm I'm just curious about you know we're talking about the retention, and notwithstanding the um, the money issue, which is I think it's an MOU, it's a bar collective bargaining. But have you guys, has the department looked into some of the feeder programs in the Bay Area, such as City College in San Francisco? Maybe I think there's a high school that has a mechanical program. Not all the kids want to go to a four-year university or two-year college. You know, those are the programs that are established. And we certainly could get, uh, you know, apprentices, if you will, uh, to work at the central shop, which is, I think it's a great place to work for anyone. So with that in mind, a motion could contain uh, approval, I think, or do, would it be better to have it separated and at the end of the agenda have the commissioner's request? Because we do need to have some kind of follow up on this. Yep. Uh, it's a problem that's been presented to us. It's right in, in our bailiwick. It's something that we've been discussing for a while. Uh, and it's part of our civil service reforms. So if you want to make a motion on the contract, and then at the end of the meeting, we'll go ahead and we'll do it together, okay? And we, just to be, be aware, at the end of the meeting, there's a, an item called commissioner's announcements and requests. This commission will be requesting that the executive officer schedule at a future meeting. And we do need to take a look at how much time it's going to be taking follow up on the recruitment retention problems with regard to uh, uh, the, the central shops and the possibility there's is any recommendations in with regard to what kind of rules or policies, if, they, if, if any, that the commission needs to do to be able to assist in that problem. Okay. Yep. Make your motion. So, Madam Chair, with that said, and I want to thank first before we go, I want to thank everyone for showing up for that uh, this item four two nine zero three twenty three twenty four. And uh, in all honesty, uh, and I will move the uh, excuse me, pardon me, four one two four eight twenty three twenty four GSA agency, and I'll move at the end of this meeting uh, that we have a discussion under uh, commissioner's reports. Uh, do I have a second? Oh, 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 not included in the motion, huh? I think you're just needing to I'll just muddle now. it up. Okay. I move item 41248-2324, General Services Agency. That would be to adopt the report, approve the request for a proposed personal services contract, and notify the Office of the Controller and the Office of the Contract Administrator. Second. Okay. And do we have any public comment on the motion? President, um, oh, hold on a second. We have one person in the room, and Ms. Aldana, I'll be asking you in a second about the uh, any phone comments. Afternoon, Commissioners. William Miles, the second senior talent or talent acquisition senior manager at SFMTA. Um, hearing the conversations, uh, especially with Dante Vickers coming up here, I did want to bring up one other thing that we think would be advantageous for the city if we were to look into a civil service rules, which is that individuals that go through our apprenticeship programs, uh, currently today, they need to sit through a civil service examination, they need to get on eligible lists, they need to compete against others who are actually outside for those positions as well. Um, so we don't really have a methodology for transitioning apprenticeships straight into a journey level position without going through that strenuous process. Um, we do have in the civil service world flexible staffing, but that's permanent civil service to permanent civil service. So I do feel it would be advantageous as a possible future topic to see if there's any methodologies for us to be able to allow apprentices to immediately go into the journey level position after they have completed their program. Thank you. 
Thank you. And do we have any other public comment on this uh, item? Hi, how you doing? My name is Gilbert Fergoso. I work for MTA. I've been working here 32 years. What um, I just walked in the room and what I'm hearing is kind of uh, insane. You can't go seek professional help when you're looking for somebody to apply their skills to, for the city and county of San Francisco. You're talking about a hiring apprentices. We hire journeyman level people that have already been through the trenches to help the city get out of all the problems that are created with the city as general labor, painters, asphalt people, bus drivers. You just can't uh, adopt a, an apprentice program for people to come in and to work for us. We're the ones that are training these people that are you trying to hire that don't know nothing. CAD 18s especially. It's re re ridiculous that we have to work side by side with people that have no skill in the trade that they're they're applying for and you're telling these people that there's a light at the end of the tunnel when they don't know nothing in the beginning you're cutting civil service out the merit system everything that has to do with being a professional when you go for a job just like that gentleman said there's a test you have to take you have to qualify to take that test first you have to have a high school diploma you have to be educated in the field that you're applying for. You just can't put somebody in your position, her position, if they don't have the skills for the job and they don't have the background, how are you just gonna put somebody in that position? You're killing the city as a whole to keep itself better. You're not helping the city by hiring whoever. We need skilled people to work aside next to us so they can learn the route the skills that we have to apply for that specific job not just in general in all scope of the work you guys are opening the floodgates to hiring whoever we don't want to work with whoever that's not helping the city you're just spending money foolishly because these people are not doing nothing for you they're not doing nothing for the citizens of san francisco they're just taking the money and running. You're not teaching these kids nothing or these young people that you guys are hiring. They're not learning nothing in the system. You're giving them money and they're not learning nothing. And the ones who have to take the load of it is the skilled worker that's doing the job. I want you guys to think about that because you guys ultimately are making the next level for a lot of us to retire out. Who are you gonna leave in charge? Somebody just hired? Really? Thank you for your comments. If we can get nice the day. spelling of your last name, please. The spelling of your last name. Spelling of my last name is Gilbert Fragoso. F-R-A-G-O-S-O. I've been working here 32 years, and I'm proud to be a San Francisco servant. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay, Ms. Aldana, are there any individuals on the phone who wish to make public comment? Vice President Ferretti, no public comment at this time. Okay, so we have a motion and a second, and uh, now I will do the roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Young? Aye. And I vote aye. 
Uh, so we have a vote that is unanimous. And now we are on contract number 42903-2324 for emergency management. I have a very short comment on this. And it's just to clarify, do we have a representative from emergency management here? I Thank you, uh, Vice President Favetti and welcome. Commissioners. Welcome. Uh, I'm Andrew Holcomb, the uh, EMS Director at the Department of Emergency Management and happy to address any questions you may have. Okay, what I wanted to um, make very clear is that we do not have any mention of any specific contract or this commission does not approve any contract and it's very important that that not be included. So, to the end that this needs to be possibly edited, I would like to recommend that you talk to the executive director. I have absolutely no objection to the contract and I apologize for having to have you wait, but it's very important that we make it very clear. This commission only approves the scope of work. So, in future submissions, it's important to keep that in mind. That's all. Okay, great. And with that, I would uh, move to approve. Second. Is there any public comment on the motion? I'm hearing none. Uh, is there anybody on the phone who wishes to comment? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Hearing none, uh, Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leung? Aye. And I vote aye. The vote is unanimous. Uh, the next contract up is 40334-2324, Public Utilities Commission. Hi, I'm Chandra Hill. I'm the PSC coordinator, and Todd Robinson is here from the project team. Uh, Commissioner Leung. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Uh, what is the problem you're trying to solve here with the PSC? I'm sorry. The, the problem we're trying to is the uh, uh, energy efficiency consulting um, services that we, we use as, on an as-needed basis. Can you hear me? I'm sorry. Who is this talking? I'm sorry, this is Can you Todd, Robinson. Robinson. Todd, Todd Robinson. Todd Robinson, Todd Robinson uh, San Francisco yeah. Public Utilities Commission. Go ahead, Mr. Robinson. Oh, I'm, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a as-needed consulting for energy efficiency projects and programs. Is this for PUC or is it uh, for citywide that you're seeking a consultant to do this work? So it's, it's for the PUC but we provide our services to uh, municipal buildings. Um, my group does, like we do energy efficiency projects at, at various sites throughout the city. Okay, and are, are there no architectural or engineering series uh, classification employees who can do that work? It's as a, not, on, not at this level of, um, it's, it's, it's a highly specialized field. So what we're trying to do is, is it's above and beyond like the, the kind of the, the baseline that we would do get in a, these are energy efficiency, like mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, um, you know, in that very narrow field. Um, can you elaborate on that? I, I don't understand. So exactly what type of specialized work you're seeking? Um, so just to give an, an idea of like, projects we would take on would be we would look at we would look at an existing municipal building evaluate it for its energy efficiency use um, what it's doing it's uh, an overall 
Um, sorry, give me a second here. I'm just trying to gather my thoughts. The, you know, like so, what we're looking at is is buildings that have like really high energy density use for the for the building, and then what we look at is their mechanical systems, their lighting systems, like their overall operations. We look at how we can reduce their energy use. Um, another one that's come up in recent years is the big push for electrification. So it's it's removing gas fired equipment in those buildings and things along those lines. And then it's above and beyond code. So we're looking for, you know, like, you know, lead standards and, and beyond code for, you know, making these, you know, more efficient buildings and then being, you know, better stewards for the, you know, the city and our energy use overall in the portfolio. So the engineering classification, engineering mecha mechanical engineers cannot do this work. It's above and beyond what they normally do beyond their scope. These are energy efficiency, mechanical engineers, and electrical engineers. It's not, you know, it, it's. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just. Uh, I, I think that the challenge, oftentimes, what we run into is is. With newer technologies as they come about, it's it's we're not putting in the same same type of type of equipment or putting in something that's maybe a little more cutting edge. Um, I, well, I don't want to say cutting edge, but more a, a newer piece of equipment that is, you know because we want to put something in that's proven, um, but it would be used you know that's that's not a, typical for for what we would see in our buildings. I have no further question. Are there any other comments on this particular uh, context? 40334-2324 Public Utilities Commission. Madam uh, Chair. Oh, sorry. Commissioner Crowley. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, along my colleague's question to you of uh, what group would handle this, is there a number or a percentage that you're seeking to draft, if I'm asking this question correctly, is there a percentage or a number you're trying to elicit by doing this over the next, uh, till 2029, a reduction? I, I, I'm not quite clear on what you're asking, sir. I'm asking, is there a, a number that you're trying to save on the output of, of hiring this group in terms of percentage of what, what lowering the cost of delivery to this? Is there a percentage that you're trying to seek? It's just so, a basic Oh, well, I mean, typically what our goals, we have, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head as far as like the number of kilowatt hours we're trying to reduce or the number of therms we reduce, um, but we do have expectations that the overall project cost would pay for itself, say in five years or five years or so for the overall project as far as like the, the, the um, simple payback. Um, okay. All right. Thank you. No further questions, Madam Chair. Okay. Uh, do I have a motion? I move to approve this contract. Second. Okay. Is there any public comment on the motion? If you're in the room, please come to the podium. If you are on the phone, please press star three now. Okay, does President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, I will be taking a roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley. Aye. Mr. Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leong. Aye. Uh, and I vote aye. And uh, so this is a approved uh, unanimously. 
Uh, so let's go on to the next item, which is uh, 487-67-2324 Public Works. And that was, I believe, Commissioner Crowley. Uh, it's just a time mm -hmm. mechanism, Madam Chair. And uh, who's here from Public Works on 487-67-2324? Hello, Nicholas Crawford, Bureau of Urban Forestry. Okay, my question simply is, uh, we would like a, it's a check-in in five years to make sure that this is being delivered and appropriate and on time and the money is being appropriately designated. Uh, will you do that on our behalf? Back yes. to the commission? Okay. Yes, I think that's a great idea. Okay, and do you have a motion? So, Madam Chair, with that, I will move item 487672324, Public Works. Second. Okay, and do we have any public comment on the motion? That is uh, 48767, Public Works uh, for fiscal year 2324. Uh, and President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, we'll do the roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Crowley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leung. Aye. And I vote aye. Uh, the motion is approved unanimously. We are on the final item on the personal services uh, ratification agenda 41698-1920 public health. Um, and this is a modification. Is there a representative from the Department of Public Health here? Good afternoon, commissioners. This is Kelly Haramoto, the acting PSC coordinator. Um, and we also have Jim Ginevro, the director for IT enterprise applications, integration and vendor management. Oh, thank you for coming. I just had two, actually there's two uh, issues. One is the length and I was just wanted to have a report back in about six years. But the other is I really wanted to uh, check in with regard to training and is there training going on in this particular um, scope of work or the scope of work for the contractor that would be um, performing this work for that's training for city employees. Jim? Of course. Uh, I think you're, Jim, you're on mute. <laughs> you hear me now? Sorry, I apologize yeah. for that. <laughs> As part of the contracts, yes, that training will occur for all the new system enhancements, updates and upgrades to our city staff to be able to actually maintain the software and the in the systems in our clinical and financial areas. Okay, that 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 uh, leaves my concern. Thank you very much. And so with that, I would just want to report back in six years. Uh, with regard not only to the relevance of the contract, but also the training mechanism for city okay. employees. And with that, I would move to approve. Second. Do we have any public comment on the motion? Uh, if you're here in the room, come to the podium. If you're on the phone, press star three now. Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, so I'll do the roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leong. Aye. And I vote aye. The the uh, the vote is unanimous. So can we go on to the next item? Thank you very much for coming and, and waiting for this. Thank you. So Thank very you, much. commissioners.
We are now on the regular agenda, item eight, secondary criteria for H-50 Assistant Chief of Department, recommendation of the Human Resources Director, adopt the secondary criteria. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Dave Johnson, Assistant Director, Employment Services with DHR. I also oversee the public safety team. They would love to be here today, but they're at the test center doing test development for Q80, Captain. So a little bit of a conflict. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Uh, these criteria are same criteria that they've been using for almost 20 years for fire department. Um, I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Or do the commissioners have any questions? Um, oh, no. I have no questions, but I wanted to thank you for putting it on the agenda like this. I know that we frequently don't have questions and we very rarely have public comment, but it's there for people to see. And I think that's a very important component. And I believe that you agree with me on that one, right? Thank you. We're happy to be here. <laughs> well, anyway, Mr. Johnson has in the past said that he had actually suggested that we, when I had suggested that perhaps we don't need to, has that actually said is a good thing to have it on the public agenda. So with that, do we have a motion? I move we adopt the secondary criteria. Second. Do we have public comment on the motion. If you're in the room, please come to the podium. If you're on the phone, please press star three now. Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, I'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Aye. Commissioner Leong? Aye. And I vote aye. And thank you very much to the department for bringing this forward. We are now on the next item. And I think um, I didn't announce it in the, in the beginning, but I believe that we've had a, a practice of hearing the two together. Or actually, it's four, nine, 10, 11, and 12, because they're all the same topic. Uh, and although last meeting was only miscellaneous police and fire, we now have municipal railway included or municipal transportation agency included. Um, and uh, so, if we could, if there are no objections, uh, we'll hear them all at the same time. So, could you call all those items and we'll hear them all at the same time? Item 9, proposed changes to Civil Service Commission Rules 102, 202, and 302 definitions, 109, 209, and 309 position classification, 114, 214, and 314 appointments, 120, 220, and 320 leaves of absence, 121, 221, and 321 layoffs to modernize and expedite hiring, Recommendation, accept the report and post-proposed amended rules. Item number 10, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission rules, 113, 213, and 313, certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring. Recommendation, accept the report and post-proposed amended rules. Item 11, proposed changes to Civil Service Commission rules, 402 definitions, 409 position classification, 414 appointments, 420 leaves of absence, 421 layoffs to modernize and expedite hiring. Recommendation, accept the report and post proposed amended rules. Item 12, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission rules. 413, certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring. Recommendation, accept the report and post proposed amended rules. Oh, city attorney has some comment here. Deputy city attorney Kate Kimberlin, I just want to clarify that even though you'll be considering all three agenda items that each will need to be voted on separately. Okay, thank you. Okay. Hello, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners. Anna Biaspis, Employment Services Director for Department of Human Resources. Um, on the miscellaneous side, I just wanted to comment that we have uh, made the red line rule change according to your October 2nd recommendations and submitted it to the Commission. We also worked with MTA so that their rule changes would align with ours. I'm going to hand it over to William Miles in case he wants anything to add. Thank you, Commissioners. William Miles II, SFMCA Talent Acquisition Senior Manager. Um, as indicated, we were also received the rules uh, re revisions from the Commission. We did as well put those into our rule proposals in front of you. Um, in addition, um, there's like one section of the rule I found where it was actually somewhat outdated. Um, so we did update that section as well to be consistent with uh, volume one of the rules. Thank you. I noted that. Um... And I had also had one additional aspect that I wanted to add, and that is reporting to the commission on a regular basis. And I would like to have comment if you, um, but I, what I had said is it was an opportunity. Actually, I noted that with uh, the identification, we had uh, noted that there was a quarterly reporting requirement and I, that caught my eye and I thought, oh, okay, let's, uh, it's a good excuse to update. But then the other thing is the reason for these rule change, a good portion of that is to have is to have the greatest opportunity possible for everybody to become a city and county employee. And with regard to this, the reporting requirements, um, I, I am very much, I, although it doesn't say here, I think it's very important to have at least annual reporting. Semi-annually, if it's a difficulty, I can understand it. And that's why I'm wondering if I can hear from everybody here, because I am willing to change this to just annual reporting from the very get-go. Uh Commissioners Carroll, as in Human Resources Director, um, uh, Director Biaspis is going to comment on the specifics of your proposed amendments. I do want to say that um, we uh, produced multiple reports for this commission, which we're happy to do. We completely agree with the uh, with the intention of the commission to make sure that the work that we do, everybody can see it, they can review it, they can comment on it. At a later date, not now, I would ask that the commission uh, perhaps schedule a review of all the reports you ask of us, because what I've seen is that they are basically layered on top over each other. They've been, your requests have been adopted over time, and I think it's time to maybe take a look at that and make sure that we're producing the information that you need and that you want, but not extraneous information that perhaps duplicates itself or is on a cadence that doesn't make sense, we do spend a lot of staff time uh, producing the reports. So I just wanted to make that point, and then Director Briaspis is going uh, to come. Before we go, I just I know if I did want to. Yes, and it's important for us to take, but that would have to be a separate Correct. agenda item. Um, I think it's, but the reason for the reports are not only transparency, but in this, we want to make sure that what's happening in this particular instance, well, it's are the rules effective. Are they getting to what we need to get to? And that is increased opportunity and diversity in our workforce. And so um, I think it's important for us and it's our uh, other commissioners, if you have other comments, I mean, please do join in. Um, but this is uh, what the reasoning for this reporting in is. I had, as I wrote this uh, amendment, I remembered that 
uh, it was very difficult, I understand, under de-identification to do the quarterly reports. And so if the semi, I had indicated semi-annual might be easier. If we need to go to annual, that's good. It's important for us, though, to know, are these rules getting to the point that we need to open opportunity up to as many people possible? And so, and are we you know, uh, reaching that particular goal? And that is the underlying reason for this. So, I mean, with that, go ahead and welcome. It's always good to see you here. Okay, Anna Biaspis again, Employment Services Director for Department of Human Resource. I just wanted to um, make a couple of comments. I'm going to start with volumes two and three. Um, I understand you want us to uh, report on uh, entry level and continuous testing for um, the certification rule. I do want to make a comment that all public safety entry level are continuous testing rule of the list mm -hmm. and all the continuous testings under public safety is rule of the list. This adding the language to volumes two and three just was um, a way to make, be consistent across volumes. That's and what I was doing is just to be consistent. If that's, a, I, but I'm putting it out there for comment so that, you know, because as I say, I just thought of it actually this morning. So, yes. um, so I wanted to get the feedback from you. If that's not reasonable at this point. I mean, uh, basically, I just wanted to comment that everything is consistent and I do know public safety uh, provides an annual report as well that covers uh, their classifications and what they're doing um, for it. And, um, but I, I do want to comment on de-identification before we have the full discussion. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I looked at my records and basically, yes, we were reporting uh, according to the rules on a quarterly basis in 2018. However, in 2021, uh, November 15th, uh, the meeting that uh, we held and presented the identification to the commission, um, I had asked if that we can report on a yearly basis or annual basis and the report was due, uh, adopted by the commission. Coincidentally, the very following year, November 21st, 2022, uh, the executive officer published the annual reports due to uh, uh, the Civil Service Commission and stated that de-identification was annual, which the commission adopted during that meeting. So if anything, I would like to, at minimum, request for the reports to be annual mm -hmm. and um, Yes, that's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. Uh, as I say, I was just going through and thinking to myself, all right, we need to update what we have here in the rules. We need to think about that too. As we change rules, we need to go through and just update some of the other antiquated language. I was really focusing on the continuous testing and such, but uh, I understand that and on an annual basis, that would be far more practical and we will be able to get better information, I think. Yes. So if we change that to just on an annual basis, that's fine with me. Okay. Um, all the way through on all four volumes, all different, you know, just so it's consistent all the way through. Well, I, I would like to uh, let Bill Miles talk on volume four okay. um, and his comments. 
Thank you, everyone. Um, this is actually the first time I'm reading it. So actually, I do want to state for the audience, as I believe there might have been a comment I heard behind me that they couldn't necessarily hear when we first proposed this um, or what was stated. Um, so the amendments here is essentially in the various sections of the rules, the human resource director or in rule 413, the MTA director of transportation slash designee shall make reports as requested by the, oh, sorry, I went read the wrong part. Shall report to the Civil Service Commission on a progress of continuous testing and the entry level certification expansion on a semi-annual basis for two years and thereafter on a schedule to be determined. Um, to restate essentially what Anna Biaspa said, um, yes, I think we can very much give that report to the commission. Um, I think, you know, might be beneficial between now and our first report to just specify like which things is it just the recruitment and certification rule uh, the only thing i was thinking when i was hearing anna Biasa speak is do we want to say new continuous ones or as far as like um because we're going to probably have you know continuous and it'll just be the same data you would get report after report so do we want to focus on this, the ones that have been new since the previous reports um, or do you just want to get like every single current continuous or entry level examination as a part of the report? Um, I think either one's feasible. Just bring I think that. as we go forward, I think that working with the executive director would be a good thing. And then we can also have discuss that as the contents of the report. Um, but the idea though, is we are looking to diversify our workforce. And we are looking to make sure that we have opportunity to the largest numbers possible. And so the, for those parameters, I believe that um, I, I don't think it's a good idea to put all those parameters in a rule. I think it's probably something that may have to change over time, but I think annual reporting on the progress and operation of the rule are broad enough yet specific enough to give you guidance. Yep. And thank you for repeating that because I think that was a part that wasn't heard before behind me. So. Thank you. I'm sorry. What? I think that was the part that I was hearing behind me wasn't heard. So thank you for repeating that part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's that was the intent. So in, on an annual basis, if we can just reword that so that it's on an annual basis. Okay. 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 Were there any further comments from either department? Uh, any comments and questions from the commissioners? Commissioner Salveson? Um, well, we we had this these item this uh, issue at the last meeting, so I think um, I don't have anything additional. I uh, agree that the reporting should be annual rather than semi-annual. I think we get a better picture of the whole you know of the whole year is more helpful than just six months. Um, so I have um, no additional questions. It seems like the the changes that the commission requested have been incorporated. So um, I would be ready to make a motion if other people don't have. And I think it's important to clarify what the motion would be. It's um, what the motion is, and as it's posted, is to accept the reports. And so that would be four separate motions for four separate items, and to post proposed amended rules. And then I'm going to ask both the executive director and the human resources director to describe the next part of the process. So from the executive director's office, you're starting with the commission's action and with the human resources director, what are the next steps on your office? So 
start off with the executive director. What would be happening if the commission decides to oppose these rules today? So, um, we would go ahead and only post the proposals, um, but the meetings will actually be hosted by um, labor relations division at the Department of Human Resources, where civil service uh, commission staff will be present uh, to answer questions. But uh, Carol can lead more into how DHR will conduct these meetings. And to clarify, you would then transmit to the labor relations division. That is correct. Yeah, uh, 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 Vice President Bavetti, members of the commission, I've addressed this in um, past presentations, but just as a reminder, um, the em employer represent uh, the Department of Human Resources, the Human Resources Director represents all of the constituent agencies um, in the city and collective bargaining and meet and confer. Those are synonymous terms. Uh, we have represented other commissions in the past. We will do the same here. Uh, we will hear from your executive officer, just as we would hear from a, another commission's executive officer or executive secretary. Uh, we then take the findings. We notice labor, uh, either in informational meetings or direct negotiations, depending on analysis of the the changes sought. And then we engage in the process and we report back to the commission uh, as needed. If we um, need direction from the commission, we can report to you in closed session. We have done that with multiple other commissions um, in the past and can do that here as well. So to clarify, once the action is taken, all labor organizations are notified. Once it goes to the labor relations division, again, all, all labor all affected, all affected labor relations or all affected labor organizations are notified. Okay, so that would be the process. And uh, MTA would um, engage in a similar process for its service critical. I, I apologize. <laughs> that was what I was going to say. Thank you. Uh, oh, okay, and they they engage in the same. Okay, we, we would, you know, we'll have to discuss it offline, but we may combine forces uh, because the service critical classifications are shared classifications on the miscellaneous side as well. That hasn't been determined yet. We've been waiting till you're posting and then we'll see what we're going to do. Okay. That being said, uh, are there uh, any departmental representatives who wish to make any further comment? Okay. Do we have any further comments from the oh, I, uh, Commissioner Leon? I just want to thank Director Eisen and her staff and MTA for the quick turnaround uh, in less than two weeks. I know I got a, I got uh, um, onto this at the very tail end of it, but these are really smart changes. And it's uh, timely and it's uh, it's needed at this particular time. Thank you. With that, do I have a motion? Once there is a motion, we have public comment. So moved. Do we have a On each. Oh, we need uh, individual motions. So. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, yes. Okay. Correct so on item, item number nine. Item number nine, I will move item number nine. Okay, and to review item number nine is proposed changes to civil service commissions rules 102, 202, and 302, definitions 109, 209, and 309 position classification, 114, 214, 314 appointments, 120, 220, and 320 leaves of absence, 121, 221, and 321 layoffs to modernize and expedite hiring. So we have a motion. Do we have a second? And, and just to clarify, these are to incorporate the changes that Commissioner Favetti has suggested today uh, with 
with the added change that the reporting would be annual rather than semi-annual. Exactly. Yeah, I would second that motion. Okay, do we have public comment on the motion? If you're in the room, please come to the podium. If you're on the phone, please press star three now. Commissioners, Doug Bias, San Francisco City Workers United. Um, I'm here to speak out against these changes. Um, uh, can you tell me if which unions have adopted that or any unions that have uh, opposed any of these changes? Has there been any, any opposition to these change proposed changes from labor? These are being posted at this. It, we're, the motion is to post. You don't have any. You don't have any record of of any proposed uh, uh, objections. The, to the meetings have not changes? commenced yet. No, you do. No. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so I just wanted to, for the record, San Francisco City Workers United does not agree with these changes and in these proposed changes. Uh, back in 2022 is when we got the first word of this Category 18 proposal, and um, we objected to it and were summarily cut off from bargaining because of that. Uh, with uh, some internal uh, members that uh, shared with you uh, internal union affairs, you relied on them to shut off bargaining, cut us off of bargaining over that particular issue. This whole thing smacks of self-dealing, okay? De-identification, you're trying to legislate away the human condition of discernment for hiring managers, apparently. That sounds ludicrous. And, and what you're doing is you're providing, like I said earlier, you're providing them nothing but plausible deniability for discrimination in the hiring process with the identification. And now these rules, I don't, I haven't heard one union opposed to this. It seems like everybody's in agreement except us. We, we, we do not agree with these and we're going to fight this to the last. And, um, it's just, uh, you know, the last meeting I heard, you had a backlog of uh, investigations to review. You know, so apparently de-identification didn't work. And and now you propose to, to simply combine that with rule the list and just look the other way. And that solves the problem of, in the hiring process for the city. Is that how I understand this, your reasoning? It's not sound not sound at all and anybody any simple reasonable person can put that together it's beyond me how you haven't been able to see that and put that together up to this point um so yeah san francisco city workers united we object thank you our next speaker please Greetings, commissioners. Good afternoon. Naj Daniels, field representative with SEIU 1021. I'm here just to say I appreciate the commission's amendments to request report backs for efficiency and goal measurement. Um, as a representative of SEIU, I did participate actively in discussions and share suggestions and recommendations when we conferred with DHR. However, I do have a minor question to raise, and that is if there are 
unintended consequences or no data to show a true benefit, will the commission be willing to revise again? And I do anticipate that the report will include demographics for equity in hiring and promotions. Again, thank you for the amendments. Hello, my name's uh, Jesse Stanton. I'm a rank and file member of SEIU 10 to 1, shop steward and employed at the uh, San Francisco Human Service Agency. Uh, thanks for having us here today. Uh, commissioners, I, I'm going to reiterate some public comment I've given multiple times before this body on my concerns about proceeding with the rule of the list and continuous testing. Um, it, I believe that this is uh, uh, an invitation to explicit bias. I feel like the, um, the uh, de-identification uh, which we, you know, we were quite against its implementation in 2018, but it, it's, it's, it is the law of the land now. I don't know why you would suspend it when you're going to proceed with the rule of the list. That seems like I, I don't understand how a rule of the list uh, that is identified is ha faster to hire from than a rule of the list that is de-identified unless there is a specific, uh, I would say, non-merit uh, consideration that can come through the identification. So once again, I say that uh, this decision to proceed with continuous testing, rule of the list, without the protections of de-identification is an invitation to uh, explicit bias in the hiring process. Thanks for your time. My name is Chris Dickinson. I've been working for city and county for 17 years at the airport. Um, I don't agree with these rule changes. I believe the same thing. It's going to increase nepotism, favoritism, discrimination, all those things. Um, it's it's just a way to enable the appointing officer to reach whoever they want. So that they can do illegal hiring processes, discriminating hiring the processes. This makes it easier for them to discriminate. Why would we do that? Why, why would the commission approve of that? It's ridiculous. That's not what city and county is about. All these proposed rule changes need to be thrown out. It's ridiculous. This is an attack on the working class. This is an attack on the civil service rules. And I don't stand for it. And I'm going to fight as much fight as I got against these rule changes because they're unfair. They're totally unfair. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Um, Selena Keene again. I've seen this play over and over with constant discrimination. It's ongoing. Look at the percentage rate of who is running HRs across the city. And you look at that, and then you look at how many, and, you, and I'm sure Carol Eisen can get this report um, of the different nationalities that work for each department and see who is being hired the most. And that happened big time when the identification came. Okay. So if you don't maintain the merit and make sure, and I mean, I'm not against, I was a job developer. I'm not against anyone getting hired for a position that they have background and skill in. Okay. It is the individuals where you pick and choose your family and friends that I'm having a problem with. Okay. That's been happening for some time. And I've been going through this with my executive director. I've talked to everybody. I've, I've sent emails to the board of supervisors about this. This is ridiculous. 
And then you, we only have what, three, 4% black in the city? Okay, and where are they at working in the city? I'm talking about residents, I'm not talking about workers. Okay, so if you want equity, look at what's going on. Because the majority of the individuals that's working in city county, that's making the decisions right now, they're picking and choosing their own people. That's what's happening right now. You don't see anybody else. I mean, I used to see a variety of races in the HR department. I don't barely see that anymore. Every single department across the city has a majority of one particular nationality in it. And those are the ones that are reaching out. Now, and as far as the rule of three and rule of list, those, those tests are being cheated on. And I know we're supposed to report that too. But individuals who are in HR have access to those tests. And those tests are not relative to the work that is being done. So what happens is, is that you're picking and choosing people because you know who they are or because they got access to the answers or what's going to be on the test. Because if they had the background, it wouldn't be a problem with merit, would it? So at the end of the day, this is all cheap. This is all garbage. Even with messing around with the uh, seniority, lead a seniority. If, the, if, t if tech can help handle the appointed, then they can help handle the eligible uh, uh, seniority person first. So I don't want to hear any excuses. Stop playing the game with people. You got working people that really have the background ready to do this work. Let them do this work and let's test fairly without bias because that's exactly what's getting ready to happen more so. It's already corrupt. Please stop it. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Dante Vickers again from local 1414. Um, I'm here against the rule of lists. There's a lot of people. I've been through. I've, I've been through SFMTA. I've been through. I was a, a, a bus operator, bus mechanic over at um, Central Shops. So I've seen the bias on how people get positions, right? Um, management positions because they're friends. I've seen it. I'm not going to sit there and point no fingers, but I've seen it. I can call out each and every last one in three different places right now. I can call their names out. So the rule of lists is not fair. I mean, I understand that they need to hire people quicker or whatever, but it's not a fair, it's not fair. It's already, like they said, it's already corrupted. Now, we're not saying, you know, per, uh, per se that it's really corrupted, but it's corruption all in the city, 100%. Um, a lot of people, they get upset at me because I make certain gestures. But the only thing that I can tell you is I stand on my integrity. And that's the best thing. And I was always taught, I don't, I don't like to be trans, I mean, excuse me, I like to be transparent. When I took this position, I didn't take this position for the money, for the fame, or for power, like everybody was telling me about this position. I took this position to help people, 100%. And whatever it takes to help individuals in the city, I'm a help. You know, different local uh, unions are in here 
and we're brothers and sisters at this. So all we have to do is come together and we have to press forward like we're going to do. We're going to press forward. We're going we're gonna to come together because a lot of stuff that's going on in the city is not right. You know, and it, and it starts with, it starts at the top, you know, and we can sit there. I, I tell, and I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of jumping a little bit because my, my feelings is involved. But I talk about, you know, to a lot of people about just downtown San Francisco. Why is it like that? Right? Why do we have all these homeless people out there? We spend billions of dollars for the homeless. How many homeless people is out there? If we spend, uh, I think, I believe it was like three point. $4 billion within the past three years, but we cannot say how many people are out there. So I would just like to be fair. I would like to be treated fair. I want all the uh, members of the unions to be treated fair and that's it. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Thank you. My name is Melody Fontella and um, Everything that's been said, right? I'm still trying to figure out the job of the commission is to make things fair, right? And um, you've been you've been heard by the people today that things aren't fair, and there should be some type of way to test this out. Look at the actual numbers. When you look at the numbers, you'll see certain information. So, like I asked earlier, and then I'm a little confused about how is it that the person who um, denied me or did not approve me who they were and is somebody going to investigate investigate that and if you if you're not the body to do it i need to know what body it is that should be investigating that because i still need to know if there are certain things that are wrong you can prove that wrongness you can investigate it and look and get information and dig and then come back to me and say, oh, that was a fair disapproval. Just like the rule of list, that's not going to work in the city and county of San Francisco because we've already seen. And then you don't know who, when they do get hired, what the... Um, what who who the persons on the list are so certain things when you cover them up you're asking for trouble you're asking for people to be uh not transparent for people to be not honest to put pick and choose who they put in these positions and it's been going on for years and so i would suggest that we do an investigation to see what the real numbers are and then when you look at the real numbers you tell me if it's been fair Thank you. Uh, next speaker, please. Kimberly Cox again. Um, number one, did we forget about Professor Gould's report, investigative report that the mayor has asked him to do back in 2021 and the findings that he found? And this all ties into this rule of three. This is going to allow the city to be more discriminatory towards individuals. And I mentioned it the last time, how our D, um, HR person dug below to get number 12 and skipped over number two, three, four, five, six. And it was brought to the director's attention 
then finally they had to go ahead and make something right by offering or asking someone, oh, now you can interview after it was exposed to the entire SFMTA division. Now, I just want to quote something on Dr. Goob's report, which was finding number three. Many employees have lost faith in the DHR's EEO investigation process, and it is critical that the city restore trust in the independence and neutrality of the investigation process, and that goes for most of the city. And if you look at all those findings on that report that I'm sure the city spent a lot of money on, we need to use it and implement it. And there's no better time than now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker, please. How you doing? SFMTA Gilbert Fragoso, 32 years. I'd like to let you guys fill you in on a little bit of what you guys are already damaged the city on. We work next to your CAT 18s that you guys implemented, filtered throughout the city. These people that you hired supposedly are supposed to be professionals. They're supposed to work side by side with us. You give them, you place them in all these shops. These people don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it, where to do it, when to do it, because they have to be told. We are not all teachers. We all came in as journeymen, which means you were experienced in your craft, whether it be driving a bus, sweeping the street, painting this beautiful building that we have. You have to be a professional. And you guys have filtered these people throughout the city with no qualifications and making the same money that we make that we have fought for. And we have fought for that money that we get. And it's not enough. You guys already know how much it costs to live in the city and county of San Francisco. But yet you guys put these people and what do they do? They sit on the side of the road. They sit in the truck. They go get coffee. Well, we're still doing the work because they're not qualified to do the work. You can't trust them. They're not journeymen. They don't know how. But yet you guys are still want to filter the city and you guys are ruining the labor force by doing this. And if you guys don't wake up and smell the coffee, you guys are ultimately ruining the trades and all the crafts in the city by filtering these people that aren't qualified and now you're talking about rule of the list talk about nepotism i'm with this guy i can name 10 departments and after a year of the, they pass probation you find out who they know you find out who they're related to and people that are qualified for these jobs don't have the right to get the job because you got bill nancy ronnie Gil, you got whoever filling the position because, oh, they know somebody. They got the answers already. They're beating everybody out. They're beating professional people out. How are you going to be a professional? You never done the trade and you rank number one on the list and you don't even know how to pick up a brush, sweep a broom, change a uh, gasket on a carburetor. You don't know your job, but yet you rank number one on the list. And now you're telling a rule of the list? I think you guys really need to consider and think about what you guys are voting on. Because this is ludicrous that you guys are doing this to the city. I've been here 32 years. 
I put in 10 years on the outside, hanging on a high rise, painting the Fremont Hotel. I'm a painter. And I put my time in before I even applied for the city and county. Because back in the day, 30 years ago, if you weren't a journeyman, don't even apply. No need to apply. Thank you, Mr. Fergosa. Thank you so much. Next speaker, please. My name's uh, Gilbert Fergoso Jr. Um, 13 years with City and County of San Francisco, member of the SFCWU. I just oppose the rule of the list. It's not fair for anyone, even for the people that do get hired off that list, because if they're not qualified, it's extra paperwork on everybody having discipline. Thank you, sir. Um, next speaker, please. <coughs> Bradley Weedmeyer, Labor and Community for an Independent Party. I think that uh, it's pretty much unanimous uh, testimony today from the public. And you see a very diverse public, a very competent public servant, public speaking to you. And I think that you should really listen to the professional, San, dedicated San Francisco working men and women that are here, that have taken time out of their 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 day to come and and appeal to you not to make this rule. The merit system has been the, the standard and you st it makes me a little queasy when you start modifying and changing without uh, a, uh, a focus on getting the job done. And you, you can see the testimony today is extremely diverse. And we need to, to have diversity support, competence and professionalism and getting the job done, which is, is the requirement. This has to be extended over administrations that come and go and different bodies that are running the city and not all of the favoritism and personal contact that we're seeing and you know we see the the, co the total transformation of the nonprofit side of city work being extremely uh, slanted towards connections and we don't need that in the in the public service and the public employees of the city so the, the rule of the list must not overstep the merit system Are any further uh, speakers in the room? Uh, Ms. Aldana, are there any speakers on the phone? Vice President Favetti, yes, we do have one caller with their hand raised, so I'll unmute the caller now. Thank you. Caller, please state and spell your name for the record. Uh, my name is Cheryl Thornton, and my name is spelled C-H-E-R-Y-L-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. I'm calling in today. Uh, I opposed the uh, rule of the list and for the following reasons why. First of all, if we hire by rule of the list, where will be the transparency uh, uh, about who was hired and why? You know, secondly, uh, we should not be eliminating the merit based selection civil service system 
often prioritize merit-based hiring when candidates with the highest scores are ranked more likely to be considered for job offers. By removing this, and you can hire whoever you want, you can go to the very bottom of the list and hire the last person. And as other people have said on this uh, in the in the room today, there's a lot of unfairness in the hiring practices here in the city and county of San Francisco. And I don't understand why they continue to change these rules when we have seen the data time and time again with the with the outcomes that we have seen. And it adversely affects people of color, especially black residents uh, in San Francisco, black employees. We are the last to get hired, the first to be fired, and the most harshest to be disciplined. And as um, the other person said, Kim Cox, we need to adopt the Google report. What happened to that? What happened to those that report and those metrics that were supposed to be reported out on and holding these departments accountable for not following a fair process. So I, again, propose, oppose the rule of the list. Thank you. Okay, so we have heard public comment. Um, the particular item that is on, uh, that we are voting on is our, again, our proposed changes to rules 102, 202, 302 definitions. 109, 209, 309 position classification, 114, 214, 314 appointments, 120, 220, 320 leaves of absence, 121, 221, and 321 layoffs to modernize and expedite hiring. Ms. Aldana, are there any further uh, speakers on the phone? Vice President Favetti, no further public comment at this time. So at this time, I will take the vote on that particular item, item number nine. Uh, Commissioner Crowley. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leung. Aye. And I vote aye. Uh, we are going to be, uh, we accept the report and post proposed amended rules on item number nine. Item number 10, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission rules 113, 213, 313, certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring. They have recommendation to accept the report and post proposed amended rules. Uh, do I have a motion on this? This is the specifically the, um, it seems like we've heard public comment on this particular item already. Um, do we have a motion for this item? I move we accept the report and post the proposed amended rules. Do we have a second? Second. We have further com public comment on this item. By San Francisco City Workers Center. I just want to recap what I've already said. Um, the um, proposing to adopt policies to do exactly opposite of what you're selling them as being, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to hold water with us. So, no, we're against it. Thank you. Uh, next speaker. Right now, our city needs the most qualified workers. Rule of the list being permanent is not going to ensure that we hire the most qualified workers. Thank you. Uh, are there any other public speakers? We've uh, covered a lot of uh, comments on the certification of eligibles. Yeah, Gilbert Fricot. So I got one one question for you guys. This CAT 18's already, you've guys already been in effect for already, what, 14 months now? Don't you guys have a report on how is it, how is it going? 
it's not going very well. But don't you guys have somebody that doing an annual report on this? I mean, this is very, very, very serious. And you guys seem like you guys are disconnected from the working force. Because you guys are all I, I, I. You don't, you're not listening, apparently. Where's the report? Why isn't there a report done already? It's been 14 months you guys have slammed these CAT 18s in, and throughout the workforce. Why don't you guys have a report, a report on what's going on out there? I think you guys need to investigate this. Because it's not going very well. You guys really seriously need to think about it. You guys want to hire a mechanic to fix your brakes? A kid don't know what he's doing. You want to put them in bus yards to work on our public transportation system? They don't know what they're doing. You want to put them in the painting field? They don't know what they're doing. Labor force? You still got to know what you're doing. Doesn't matter what you do as a professional, you have to have a background. That's what makes you qualify for the job. Not just, oh, I'm going to apply for the city. They're hiring anybody right now. And you guys are. You're hiring anybody. And that's ludicrous. You guys are dumping those people on us workforce. We have to put up with this. And then alongside of it, there's people that got attitudes, right? Why should I have to come to work and face somebody's attitude because they don't know their job? You guys are creating a hostile work environment. You guys, nobody else. And, all, and we're here telling you, stop. It's not working. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker. Um, I'm just, hi, Selena Keen again. I just want to figure out how are we coming to this point without the labor force having meetings prior to the proposed changes? What's going on there? Um, seems to be a disconnect. And I know that this is a proposed accept the report, but the actual changes that are going on, uh, I thought that was still contractual bargaining that before you make those changes. Generally, anytime that they want to make a change, say move from rule of three to rule of 10, generally there's a conversation with the unions. The unions come to the workers, tell the workers that this is happening, uh, where you guys stand about it. So they have a union meetings and then they, the members say, heck no, we need to keep the merit system, we need transparency, we need accountability, we need integrity, and then they go back to the drawing board and then the uh, HR or commission, okay, they find out, oh no, that can't happen because they're not in agreement. So I'm trying to figure out how this is even coming to this point where we're here instead of um, back at the, you know, at the table between HR and the contracted labor force. So if you guys can explain that to me, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Next speaker. Ms. Aldana, is there, uh, we have one more Yes, speaker. Yes, there is. We have okay. a caller. Okay, hold on. We have one person who's here at the podium. Bradley Weedmeyer from Labor and Community for an Independent Party. You know, earlier in the day, 
you took action to ignore uh, the need to hire people who are ready to work, people who have been working, who are dedicated to the city and carrying out its work. And you, you, you came up with all kinds of excuses to not move forward with bringing these people back when we need them. You know, and you could, one could say, are they trying to abs actually sabotage the city so that the work can be privatized out to nonprofits. And now you're doing things to sabotage the city's workers' ability to carry out their work competently with, a, with colleagues that are supportive and working together and have the faith of the civil service system behind them. People might ask, are you trying to destroy the quality of city work so that it can be privatized and contracted out to the nonprofits? I mean, I don't understand. You've been hearing unanimous testimony that you have disregarded to a person up here in this commission from city workers, which probably in this room behind me have collective knowledge of the city of scores, if not, you know, a century perhaps. And you're just ignoring it flat out. It's pretty arrogant and shocking. And I wouldn't be surprised to hear people saying, well, are they trying to sabotage public work and the production of the needed work of the city? I really, I mean, it, it, it boggles the mind. Um, there's a reason that this has been a policy, the merit system for a long time. And the idea of modifying it and updating it is a very serious thing that shouldn't be run. And I think from the testimony today, and the discussion today, you need to, at the very least, postpone these actions and have a wider discussion. There is no media here. There's no media. There's, people aren't discussing these things. And it's very important because our neighborhoods are sliding downhill in the city because the city is not getting the job done. And you are helping that happen by this move. Thank you. Uh, next speaker, Mr. Vickers. So, oh, Dante Vickers, local 1414. Um, so, as I stand here and say certain things, and the uh, the guys, the workers are saying those that's on the floor. So I'm not just coming here saying, "Hey, commissioners, uh, you guys not the city's not doing a job." The the shops that I deal with, they don't feel that they're being uh, no justice in the uh, city and county of San Francisco anymore. They don't trust us no more, period. They're upset. And one of the things that um, the guys are telling me is that, you know, the city do whatever they want to. They make the policies and just go forth. And they, 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 and they don't understand the, 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 the process, but I'm, that's what they say. So they don't trust the city. They don't trust nothing about the city. So I'm just, 
that's not Dante Vickers speaking. That's the local 1414 members talking, plus some other members are talking also. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, next speaker, please. Okay, it looks like uh, we don't have any speakers here in the room. Uh, Ms. Aldana, do we have a person on the phone? Vice President Favetti, yes, we do. And I'm going to unmute the person now. Okay, thank you. Caller, please state and spell your name for the record. My name is Cheryl Thornton, and uh, my name is spelled C-H-E-R-Y-L-T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. Um, I want to echo what uh, Ms. Selena King said. When uh, they brought de-identification, uh, when they were going to bring change that rule to de-identifying the list, uh, they brought that to the member, to the union, and the union brought it to the members, and um, we had a chance to work um, you know, to have our say. Now, we weren't successful because many people were against de-identification. I believe SDIU 10 to 1 was against de-identification. And I believe that what I have heard is that de-identification did not work in the sense that um, it did not change the, the um, demographics of who was hired. There was a workaround on the list for these managers. So I wanna know where is the part for the workers why isn't this coming back to the union and the union is not bringing it back to the workers for us to take a vote? You know, um, we see the unfairness in the workplace all the time. There needs to be a transparency, accountability of these managers and these directors. And there's not. You're just giving them free reign to do whatever they want and make it legal. The only thing I can believe it, think of is, is the reason that they want to change this rule, not because it's faster to hire, it's because you can now legally do what you want and uh, not and not um, implement equal employment opportunities for all. So I, I again am opposed to these changes and that it should come back to the unions for us to have a chance to bargain and talk about. So thank you. Thank you. Are there any further speakers, Ms. Aldana? Vice President Favetti, no further public comment at this time. Okay, I'm going to be taking a vote on the motion. Again, this is uh, item number 10, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission Rules 113, 213, 313, certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring. The uh, motion is to accept the report and to post proposed amended rules. Commissioner Crowley. Aye. Commissioner Salveson. Aye. Commissioner Leon. Aye. And I vote aye, the vote is unanimous. We are now on item number 11. These are rule proposals, changes that affect the uh, MTA, Municipal Transportation Agency. Proposed changes to Civil Service Commission rules, 402 definitions, 409 position classifications, 414 appointments, 420 leaves of absence, 421 layoffs to modernize and expedite hiring. The recommendation is to accept the report and post proposed amended rules. Do I have a motion? I'm so moved with the um, edits that have been made today um, by uh, Vice President Favetti. Second. Okay. Uh, do we have public comment? He's on the rules that affect the municipal transportation agencies. Uh, if you're at the room, just set up the uh, you may speak at the podium. If you're on the phone, press star three now. Okay, uh, Ms. Aldana, does there, is there anybody on the phone that wishes to make public comment? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, I am going to take a roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Crowley? Aye. 
Commissioner Salveson, Commissioner Leung, aye. Commissioner uh, and I, I vote aye. The uh, motion is unanimous. Item number 12, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission Rules 413, certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring. This affects the Administrative Transportation Agency. The recommendation is to accept the report. Post proposed rules. Do I have a motion? Uh, so moved. Second. With the amendments. With the amendments made today. Second. Okay, do we have any public comment? Bradley Weedmeyer with Labor and Community for an Independent Party. You know, when we see uh, uh, government by unanimous vote constantly on every item, you sort of remember, you call the old Iron Curtain and the Eastern Bloc states where, you know, you don't even really need to make the vote. Is that where we're at in San Francisco now? where you're told by the person that appoints you to this uh, commission what to do, and it's lined up. You know, there hasn't been a, a sufficient airing of this issue. And ramming it through today is outrageous, given the testimony from the public. But it's not just the public from the city's own employees with hundreds of years of accumulated experience in how city employment acts. And we don't get one nay, one no out of all these people. What this is really outrageous and unbelievable. Uh, thank you. And next speaker. Chris Dickinson, that's the full paint shop. Um, all I got to say is this reeks of corruption and collusion to me. Are there other speakers? Okay. Um, Ms. Saldana, is there any person on the phone who wishes to speak? Oreo. Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay. Um, Again, this is item number 12, proposed amendments to Civil Service Commission rules 413 certification of eligibles to modernize and expedite hiring with the recommendation, accept the report and post proposed amended rules. We have a motion and a second and public comment has been heard. Commissioner Crowley. Aye. Commissioner Salvas. Aye. Commissioner Leung. Aye. And I vote aye. The vote is unanimous. Executive Director, could you please call the next item? We are now on the separations agenda, item 13, request for a hearing by Tyree Robinson, former senior clerk typist 1426 on their future employment restriction with the city and county of San Francisco. Recommendation of the human resources director, adopt the staff report, deny the appeal and uphold the future employment restrictions. Uh, is Mr. Uh, are, is this the appellant? Good afternoon. Oh, your we, we normally hear from the department first, and then uh, yeah, I, 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 and not me. You're Mr. Robinson. Yeah, I'm Mr. Robinson. Okay, perfect. And um, 
Appellant Robinson, and do we have the representatives from the department? Oh, okay. So what we'll do is we'll hear from the department first. Then you have your opportunity. The commission will ask questions either right after each presentation or after both presentations. And then um, we'll go from there. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Ashley Warsham appearing on behalf of the San Francisco Police Department. Uh, as you know, the department prepared and submitted the staff report. Uh, we think the staff report is very comprehensive, uh, especially outlining um, what the chief's thoughts and decisions were behind uh, this particular matter. And we would ask, uh, it's the department's position that this appeal should be denied and that the employee restriction regarding future employment in the city and county of San Francisco should be upheld. Uh, at the time that we, um, that this matter had been pending, there were four open disciplinary matters involving Mr. Robinson. Uh, it was very difficult to locate him. Uh, several attempts had been made. We even conducted a Skelly meeting. Uh, he waived his appearance and shortly thereafter, we learned that he had actually resigned from the department. But during the course of the investigation of over four dis disciplinary matters, we also learned that he was working in a full-time capacity uh, at a local uh, San Francisco at, as an R40 position uh, at, uh, and excuse me, in a, a local at the San Francisco Unified School District. And so uh, he was working in that capacity while uh, on leave from the San Francisco Police Department and never requested uh, permission to engage in secondary employment, uh, which is required uh, at the San Francisco Police Department. So as I previously stated, I believe that our staff report is very comprehensive, very detailed, and provides a strong outline for why uh, Chief Scott issued uh, the restriction on future employment in the city and county of San Francisco. Thank you. Commissioners, did you have any questions? Actually, I do have a question. It may be, it may to you sound elementary, but I'm going to ask it. Okay. And the special victims unit, could you expand a little bit on what that is and how, what the impact of delays and getting reports are? So the special victims unit handles a wide variety of cases that involve domestic violence uh, allegations, sexual assault allegations, and the state of California has mandated that certain reports be produced within a timely manner because um, the victims oftentimes uh, need those reports for other services in the city and county of San Francisco. And that's why they have that short window um, and went to an electronic method in order to uh, increase the efficiency with which to handle the request for those police reports. And so it is really critical that that turnaround time is complied with, and it's a five-day window. And uh, as you know from the investigative report and the staff report, um, those deadlines have been missed on several cases involving SVU uh, report requests. Thank you. Thank you. Questions? Just a uh, point of clarification for the department. So Skelly notifications were uh, issued to Mr. Robinson? Yes, and he did. He actually uh, waived his appearance and submitted a written documentation. For one or all four? Uh, we, we, the Skelly officer held a, reviewed all four matters. Four matters. Yes. Okay, thank okay. you. You're welcome. Robinson, would you like to come?
Good afternoon, Commission. Would you like to hear from Mr. Robinson first, or would you like to hear from me as the it's representative? How you weren't too handy. Okay. That. Good afternoon, Naj Daniels here, representative with SEIU 1021. I'm here with Mr. Tyree Robinson, who is a 20-year civil servant with a stellar work history, which is shown and documented in annual performance appraisals. We are here asking the civil service to consider rescinding DHR's recommendation of future employment restrictions. Mr. Robinson was undergoing medical issues, which should be considered as a mitigating circumstance. Um, it definitely informed his decision to resign at the time that he did. The union asserts that the four allegations, inattention to duties, mistreatment of others, insubordination, poor attendance, and failure to notify the Department of Secondary Employment never went through due process because as the Department stated earlier, Mr. Robinson was never given his opportunity for a Skelly hearing be before he decided to resign from the department. So the union again asserts that any of these allegations brought against Mr. Robinson have not been fully substantiated and do not have any merit at this point. So without merit, we are again requesting that the Civil Service Commission consider denying the denying the restrictions or even consider rescinding the restrictions the restrictions and considering a reduction. A permanent restriction would not substantiate any of the allegations. They don't rise to the level of being egregious enough to deny a 20-year civil servant of having another opportunity to redeem themselves or to even show that they can, in fact, um, carry out the essential duties of their job function. Appellant Robinson, did you want to also say something? Or um. Good evening, Commission. Um, thank you for this opportunity. My name is Dr. Tyree Robinson, for clarity's sake. Um, I have been a civil servant from January 2001, and I resigned in my position December 16th, 2020. And um, during the first 11 years of my employment, as um, Mrs. Daniels said, Stellar employees, stellar write-ups, stellar, uh, uh, just stellar everything. Uh, was getting lead pay, was training. When they took one of our job duties, um, stolen and recovered vehicles away from us, and they gave it to another police de uh, department, the operations center. I went for four months and trained um, uh, the officers and the employees in uh in, in that department in which they were asking, can he stay here because we need him? This is brand new and we already are overwhelmed. But during that time, around 2011, there was a changing of leadership. And with the change of leadership came two new supervisors. And these supervisors came in not knowing anything about the job, uh, yet ruling with an iron fist. And anybody with half a gnat's brain should understand that when you go into a new position and you don't know what you're doing, you would want to, instead of ruling with an iron fist, you would want to learn what what's going on in this department so I can effectively run it. But that didn't happen. What happened is, is there is a hierarchy system of I'm sitting up here as the leader and you're down here as the servant. and. I don't know what's going on, but you do as but you do as I'm instructing you to do. So what ended up happening was is that I'm not in they they painted a picture of me as to be this quote unquote angry, outspoken black man. And that's not who I am. Am I passionate? Absolutely. Do I stand do I take uh 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 
stands um, that I don't stay, uh, stand, extreme stands on certain things such as social justice, racial equality, equality on the job, lack favoritism, things of that nature, absolutely. And the ultimate thing is no matter what your position, what your title is, uh, what your hierarchy is, is that you follow the golden rule that I'm sure and I hope that most of us were raised with coming up is you treat people how you wanna be treated. So what ended up happening is, is that when new elite, when new um, new management came on, um, I began to go under threats, racism, discrimination, lies, as you heard in in the report today, uh, retaliation, which led to me me to ultimately resign. Um, when I resigned on December 16th, and I know that date very well because the 17th, my eldest sister went into the hospital and ultimately died. So that was a very emotional time for me. And I had health conditions and a lot of the health conditions that you have, that you all have access to um, as I was going through my workers' compensation claim, they, the, 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 the doctor who uh, did did the uh, examinations even ruled in my favor that I was in an unhealthy work environment where I was being harassed daily, where I was being threatened, where I was being uh, antagonized because they wanted me to go and to 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 do something. You saw in the reports where I was, uh, I, I, they said I was being disrespectful because I wouldn't call somebody sergeant or lieutenant. Well, when I became an earned doctorate of education. None of them called me by my last name or my appropriate earned title of doctor. That was disrespectful. So I, 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 what I will say is, is that um, I went to Chief Scott. You got the letters. I did a lot of writing while I was being harassed, threatened, the lieutenant threatened me with my life. And you see the police report in there. You see the witness statement in there, who, who, who saw part of it. And as, as a matter of fact, that lieutenant sits on Mayor's Breed, Mayor Breed's entertainment uh, uh, commission. I reached out to, in, to uh, Mayor Breed and said, help me. You think she responded? Absolutely not. I reached out to this commission and said, help me, because in February, now mind you, I, re I resigned in December. Now in February, that's when I got the separation notice that said I was uh, an unsatisfactory employee and uh, ineligible for rehire in any other city. Who does that to another human being who did, who, 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 who did their jobs and who was there for 20 years? If I was a, 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 an employee who was unredeemable, why was I there for 20 years? I should have been gone a long time ago. But when that happened in February, I got that. So it's question, my question is, is that since that happened, there was a two month window period before that came out. So since they couldn't fire me through the means of a skelly, I think, and I resigned, what I think happened is, is they had took one more ditch effort to retaliate against me and said, okay, since we couldn't resign, we couldn't fire you, we're just gonna make you an unsatisfactory employee and you're ineligible to work in any uh, uh, other city capacity in any other department. So what that says to me is, that says to me that you don't care about people's employability. 
You don't care about, you know, as long as my job is secure, I'm good. But as, but, but the little, you know, Pete, those of us, and I believe I read some of your bios where some of you actually started out as a clerk typist in a 1426 and worked your way up. You, you, you should know what I'm talking about. You should understand what I'm saying. But it, at, at, at any rate, um, I'm just requesting for the decision to be reversed just because it didn't work at the police department uh, 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 after new management came in doesn't mean that I would not be a stellar employee at in another department and I should be given that opportunity. Like I said, uh, uh, I'm an educated man. A lot of people talked about education and experience and, not be, and work being outsourced and not being able to uh, 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 have people come in and actually do these, um, do these jobs. I'm right here. Qualified, educated, able to do it. But here's another thing. Here's another thing. I was racially profiled when a white man came to my window requesting a police report. And when I told him, and yes, it was a special victims unit one, and I told him I have to process it because I can't give it out to you. It's a domestic violence report. They don't always necessarily want the reports out. Uh, they have to approve it. They may have to redact it, whatever. But um, the man told me, when I began to tell him no, he said, you uneducated monkey. Not only did he do that, he started doing a monkey dance. <laughs> you uneducated monkey. And guess what was going on at the time? If you know the headquarters building on third by the Chase Center, when you come into that building, you go through security. There are cadets there. Not only is there cadets there, there's an officer who's posted there. And what happened? They watched this man humiliate me. They watched this man uh, uh, make fun of me as a, as a black man. They, made, they, 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 they watched this man degrade me in front of people and they didn't move. And what happened is, is I had to get up after I asked this man several times, leave my counter. I refuse to provide you with service because I don't have to take your abuse. I don't have to take your hate. I don't have to take your racism. You know, we, 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 we pride ourselves at San Francisco as being, oh, we're such a, a culturally diverse city. But you know what? San Francisco is one of the racist cities in, in, in the state of Cal, in the state, I mean, in the United States. Just because we've had black uh, uh, mayors and people who sit in office and, and things like that does not mean racism does not happen. Because you know why, what happened? When I left my position and went out and asked that man, that officer, remove this man. You all see what's happening to me and you haven't moved. So finally, they moved them. They moved the man out. Meanwhile, he still, you uneducated monkey, you uneducated monkey, all the way out the door. So when that happened, do you know what happened to me? My supervisor wasn't even there that day. When he came back, I told him, you know why? Because I'm a person of integrity. I don't have to lie. I was raised to be honest. I was raised to be a person of good character. I was raised to be a person that tells the truth. So when I told him, this is what happened to me, he said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we get crazy people all the time. But what he did was him and his friend right here, Miss Houston, they went behind my back and they filed a charge against me saying that me leaving from behind my office and going to ask the officer to have this man removed since they were all out there acting oblivious as to what was going on. Um, 
uh, they they uh, they brought me up on charges saying your behavior was unprofessional. It was unbecoming of a member, and you embarrassed the San Francisco Police Department. Now I find that mighty interesting, and I'll tell you why. I'm so glad you asked. Because when my little black relatives who live in the Bayview Hunters Point District that I grew up, grew up in had a knife and about eight officers emptied their bullets in his body and for, the, his, for their protection, they got, a, they got a Cadillac ride to work every day while their parents can still see them. But my relative is in the ground. His mom and daddy can only go to his headstone, to his grave, and see him. So you know what? It's not even just even this personal issue with me because you know what? A lot of this stuff has happened not just to me, but to other people. But see, I'm an advocate. I was learned, I was taught, I was trained to stand up for what I, I believe is right. And people don't like that. People in position don't like it when you say, hey, you know what? I don't think you did the right thing. I think you're wrong for that. And I'm not buying into that. I don't agree with that. That's what this boils down to pretty much is that I didn't, I, I didn't bow down. I'm not the one to bow down when I see something wrong happening, I'm going to speak on it. So they can handle that. But uh, uh, so to bring me up on charges, really? To bring me up on charges? It's in my personnel file. I just have a question about that. Yes. Um, there was a couple of things when I was going through the case. Number one, I, I appreciate what you said, but I had a number of questions as I was going through the case. Oh, okay. One, I want to ask you, are you still employed by the San Francisco Unified School District? No, I am not. Um, the other is one of the things that mystified me is that they're talking about a backlog of a lot of work. Right. And, and, and I, I, I never saw an explanation as to why that there was that backlog. There was a backlog of work. However, those numbers were fabricated. I believe that all of us as employees, if we really be honest with ourselves, we have gone to work and said, oh, you know what? Ooh, I was overwhelmed today. I'll, I'll finish this up tomorrow. And I did get a little backlogged, but 425 reports backlogged. That's crazy. And that's lies. And what that is, is that, that it's personal. They have personal vendettas against me is what it was. So when they were able to fabricate all of that and they have all the command staff and the civilian staff and leadership uh, 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 turn against me, it was easy to, for them to make up these lies. Okay, so what is before us is what is the possibility of modifying or changing this recommend? So I'm asking you a question. What I'm asking for? No, 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 no what you're asking. What I'm asking at this point as you're talking about changes in leadership in the city, no matter where you go, you're always going to have changes in leadership. No, I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue. I was just giving you all some background and some narrative on what happened when I was working the first 11 years under leadership and I was great. And then a new set of leadership came in and they came in with a whole different agenda of trying to flex their power and their muscles. That's what I was explaining. So what I want at the end of the day is I feel that I've been wrongfully accused. If you look at the report that I submitted to you, the QME report, you even you all saw if you read it that the doctor said that 
I wasn't at fault. I was not during my 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 examinations. I was not deceptive. I was not lying. I, I and, and that my injuries were. I had some injuries that were pre-existing, but they were magnified as a result of the harassment, the lies, the 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 the, the shame, uh, the the all of the painting me to be this horrible person raking me over the coals. Now there was another issue where there was a where, where uh, the attorney Ms. Worsham had said uh, uh, that. Uh, that there was an electronic, um, we had gotten transferred to an electronic system. I didn't receive proper training on how to do it electronically. And when I brought that to my supervisor's attention, he gave me the brush off, as was common for him to do, so he could have something to write me up about. Okay. I want to check with other commissioners. Do you have questions? Because I think there are some commissioners. That's a whole lot. Of, you know what? This is a whole lot. Because see, I'm trying to give you from 2011 up until oh, today, I, as I'm still suffering as a result of this, because I feel like I should still have my job. Well, okay. We've got two commissioners who have questions. Can um, okay? I, I really, it's important for us to. Commissioner Leung. So, Dr. Robinson, it's clear you're very passionate about your former classification with the city and county of San Francisco. Yes. Do you know what a skelly notification is? Yes, I do. What is it? A skelly notification is uh, when uh, they want to do further. It's a it's a hearing to uh, to determine whether the charges that are pending against you, whether they're uh, unfounded or founded charges, and usually it comes with a recommended uh, 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 punishment or consequences of some sort. Uh, Partially uh, true. It's it's actually a skull here is an opportunity for you to explain those charges, right? The allegations and the charges away. It's before a hearing officer, right? Yes. And uh, charges were brought up against you uh, between 2017 and 2018. I think there were four counts. Mm -hmm. And why did you, why did you why did you waive your Skelly um, right? Because I was out on leave, sick leave, and I kept telling them. I provided them with the doctor's note. My doctor said, do not go to a skelly while you're under my care. It's too stressful. Your anxiety is out of control and through the roof. Your the 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 the, the physical and the mental anguish that you will probably go through under a skelly would be too much for you. Could, my doctor recommended that I not. Could you have postponed it the skelly hearing at such time? I did until they got to the point as to where they got nasty about it and they said, you don't have a choice at this point. You either submit to a a, a Zoom skelly or a written response. So since I didn't want to go through being, uh, I didn't. My doctor said don't meet with anybody, and uh, so I, I I had a written response. I did the written response. And what was that, sir? My written response through my. Do you want to know what my actual written response was? Correct. I addressed every issue that was. I addressed every issue that was before me on, on all the charges. I addressed them. So you so you submitted a written rebuttal to the Skelly application. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Then that's why they you then it, that's considered waiving your skelly right. Is that true? No. Okay. Because I participated in it by by using the options that they gave to me, but they still wrote me up for not attending the skelly. I did. I responded in writing as they were, gave me the option to. That's correct. So you responded to your skelly notification. Yes, I did. Okay. Second thing is. Uh, 
there's no dispute that you took a position with the San Francisco Unified School District back in 2020? There is no dispute with that, but can I elaborate on that? Let me ask this question first okay. before you elaborate on that. Why didn't you tell the city about or the police department about your secondary employment? Because I was told not by my attorney at that time, my workers' comp attorney, I was told not to go back to my department that I came from, and I asked him, I was on disability for two years. First, they give you a year disability. So my second year, I had no income. So I, so I, so I was like, okay, oh what am I gonna do? I definitely can't go back to my old department. But so 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 I, I went to my attorney and I said, hey, what am I supposed to do for money? And he said, you can go get another job. Just don't go back to your job. And I said, okay, well, do I need to do anything special? I mean, did I, do I need to make any kind of notifications? He said, no, you, you, you go do what you want to do. So it was misinformation on my attorney's part. And then, uh, however, I mean, they, they like, for instance, like in the, in the paperwork now, you know, they say they have given out the, they included the, um, you have to get permission to work. Um, I mean, you have to get permission to work a secondary job. Right. Who knows that until you actually do it? We don't get these memorandums and, and they don't go over that stuff or train us on on that stuff and different situations and stuff like that. I don't have a clue. Otherwise, I would have gone to them and said, listen, I, I, I can't come back to you all right now because this is what's going on. However, I need to I need to make a living for myself. So I'm not down in the tenderloin and I'm not living up under the bridge and up under and, and, and in the tents. I need to take care of myself. Was I sick in my body still? Yes, I was sick in my body still. But you know what? What's good? What, what I learned, what culturally and racially of my people way back from the times of slavery is they didn't get a break. They still had to go to the cotton fields. They still had to go and chop sugar cane in Louisiana and work in the rice fields and the tobacco fields. They didn't get a break until they dropped dead. And that's what it was for me. I had to do what I had to do for me and for my family. Dr. Robinson, you don't recall seeing uh, the secondary employment uh, during your onboarding? No. Nothing? No. I came here in 2021. I mean, 20. 2001, unfortunately, I don't remember that far back, but the, my onboarding process was not a quote unquote formal onboarding process where you sit through training and, and they, they present all of these things that you can and that you cannot do, what's, 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 what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. I didn't have that kind of on, onboarding. I don't have any questions at this time. Commissioner Salveson? Um yeah, I don't think this is a question for Dr. Robinson because he's already indicated he's um, you're not at the uh, San Francisco school system anymore, right? No, I'm not. And I didn't stay there long. I mean, COVID happened soon after I got there and and then there was a budget deficit. So for last hired, first fired, I was I was gone. I was but, back to being unemployed yet again. My question, though, is about the um, the restriction that would restrict him from. Uh, working at the city, I'm assuming that does not extend to the school district. Am I right about that? Or yes, actually, that would. Um, generally speaking, that means that the San Francisco Unified School District, as well as the community college district, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. Uh, that's what it means here. Um, I guess my question to um, the department would be. Uh, 
does the department feel that the restriction should extend to the school district or the community college district? Speaking on oh, Could you take the? Uh, oh, excuse me. Speaking on behalf of the San Francisco Police Department, uh, it was the department's decision that um, Dr. Robinson be restricted from employment in the city and county of San Francisco. That's the information that I have at this time. So my understanding, I think, is that city and countywide. I, but I could be. That would include the way it's written would be including the school districts, both of the school districts. And to my Benjamin Houston, human resources manager, SFPD. And uh, unfortunately, with our policies and procedures throughout the city county of San Francisco, there's an element of trust. And that was broken. And therefore, that is why the chief recommended that there be a future employment restriction against all city departments. Because it was a determination as part of the Skelly report, and we use an independent Skelly officer, did not work for the department. This is an independent Skelly officer, also concurred and, and, and convicted him, and I believe agreed that if provided an opportunity again, it probably would be repeated. That uh, there was a lot of little trust that's needed, and it was breached. And we need that in the city. Um, and to my understanding, uh, when our, the, uh, we were notified that he had a position in another department, an investigation was begun. And to my understanding, when the investigator reached out to Unify School District, they were not aware. And so they were surprised by this information. And so that was proof to us that was a level of trust that is expected between employees throughout the city. And so um, that's why the chief recommended that, um, you know, to avoid this being repeated again, putting different agencies in the conflict, there are benefits, pension systems there. You know, that is why we have rules. We have rules that people can have only one employment with the city. And more importantly, the, the civil service rules are about secondary employment that it be reported. So it can be tracked and that there will be oversight with regard to city employees and their conduct. Thank you. Um, Dr. Robinson, do you have any comment on that? Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. Okay. Now, he brought up trust, right? Now, out of everything that you all read and after what I've said here, do you think that trust had been broken on the management's part? Yes, it has. And when trust is broken, See, here at first when they started doing all of this stuff to me and I would bring it up and you saw I did so much writing. I did more writing than I ever did in my master's thesis and doctor's doctoral dissertation put together defending myself. I even went to the chief and asked him for help with two union reps and he never he met with us, but he still sided with them. But that's OK, because what don't come out in the wash definitely comes out in the rinse. So here's the thing. Now, he talking about trust, but what he failed to tell you is that while I was out on leave, he illegally transferred me from the department that I was working in to the uh, uh, Crime Information Systems Department. He, he transferred me to uh, the ID section on leave. I'm on leave. So then when I I said, oh, no, I, I, I didn't agree to this. I'm not I'm not even at work. What are you guys doing, doing all these transferring and stuff? So what he did was I got in contact with the union supervisor. The union supervisor called him out on it and said you were wrong. And because they had a little tit for tat, he decided that he wasn't going to rescind uh, his the decision and bring me back. So what do we have to do? We have to go to arbitration. We went to arbitration. The arbitrator asked him, do 
you, you transferred him to another department. Now, if he comes back to work next week, do, does that department have a spot for him? Or are you just getting rid of him? That department did not have a spot for me. And that, and that arbitrator said, you are to rescind that and bring him back to his department. That's what he failed out. So when you want to talk about trust, the, the, they, they, I don't want to go back to the San Francisco Police Department. Trust me, I don't. But I feel like I shouldn't be limited to going to other city and county departments. No, he wants to talk about breaking trust. I mean, him and his comrades, uh, they're all on the same team. They're all against, they were all against me. Are there any further questions from the commissioners? Mm -hmm. um, I do have a question. Um, before you ask the question, I would like to also represent another piece for Mr. Robinson. I would like the commission to consider, irregardless to the charges of the Skelly, had the Skelly proceeded and the department was um, able to substantiate all of the allegations, them asking for a termination would have been out of the out of progressive discipline, out of the agreement that is with SEIU, that we will follow the tenets of progressive discipline unless there is a presence of a criminal charge or something that is egregious enough to terminate on a first offense. Mr. Robinson doesn't have any prior um, disciplinary actions against him except for this Skelly and those four outlying charges. So I just want to remind the commission that if we were have had went through that process, the union would have been afforded an arbitration process. And I'm sure that Mr. Robinson probably would have been back at work. But we're here not asking for him to be returned to the department, but yet to give him an opportunity, even if you looked at a reduction, one year, two year restriction with some type of requirement for him to come back to show 12 months of good employment where he's showing that he's integral and that he can follow directions and show up and do all of the things that we want from a good employee of San Francisco. That is what we're here asking for today. Please don't get caught up in 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 all of the other stuff that is surrounding and let's bring the focus back to what can be done today and that's revisiting the employment restrictions and we're asking that if they're not totally rescinded that you can look at a possible reduction. Commissioners, I don't think going back to the police department is a good fit. I am concerned that um, has there been a that whether there's a um, oh, did you need to speak? No, go ahead. Uh, I don't know if you, we can require this because it seems that there were some medical issues that um, and that needs to be cleared as well as I I would like to see um, some uh, substantial work experience before he returns. I I I'm concerned also because we have so many changes in leadership within the city. It happens all the time, and the tone changes all the time. Um, and that is another uh, element that I am very, very concerned about, because no matter what city department you're in, that is the, what happens. Okay. Uh, we have a commissioner, Commissioner Leung has a question. Oh, it's a comment, actually. I, you know, I, I hear you, Dr. Robinson. 
Um, I hear you. I, I I hear you know what you said about 2011 when leadership changed until you know the time you got your uh, notification of Skelly. Uh, but what I'm really concerned about is that when you were on an extended sick leave back in 2020 or prior to that, uh, you apply for a position at the San Francisco Unified School District and accepted a position there while you're on sick leave. I don't believe I don't believe that you weren't told about the secondary employment, even when you were told uh, you did not. Let me finish, please. You did not let the department know about your secondary employment. And that speaks to your honesty issue and it speaks to your integrity issue. And I really have a problem with that. First of all, you can't attack my integrity because you don't know me like that. All you can see is what's on that paper right there. Second of all, uh, I, I like I said, I did what I had to do. And number one, and then another thing is, I, I don't have to lie. I came up here bearing it all. I gave you all access to my to my to to very private information of my life that I would never get that I would have never given to anybody else. How dare you say that I'm not a person of integrity? How dare you? I'm very much so. I know, I know who I am. See, that's why you all have a problem and that's why they all have a problem because I know who I am as a person. I know how I was raised. I know how, I know you, you all just don't like people to speak their mind and do, and, and do what they need to do to survive. But why was I to go back to a toxic environment where that had me sick? You got the medical report. Okay, so we have recommendations here. We have the, uh, Does anybody have any further questions? Okay, no further questions. Okay, so the before us is whether or not we modify the current recommendations or do we adopt them? And if we do modify them, what will we do? And my first my first thing is I I'm, I'm sorry, we have a question from the city attorney. Oh. We just ask that you speak directly into the mic. Oh. Uh we have before us the question whether or not we uh, adopt the recommendations as they stand or to modify them. Uh, I think that uh, Ms. Daniels from SEIU made a very good point about what is the progressive discipline process and the Skelly process. Uh, at the same time, um, I do not see that going back to the police department would be a good thing. I'm not interested in going back. And, and Coming back to the city without substantial evidence of satisfactory employment and a trust and, and, and establishment of trust because there is a there is a level that was broken. And did you read through all of the stuff that I submitted to you all where there was a level of broken on their parts? The difficulty is that we have in within the city many different leadership. I understand that. I understand ages. that. I get it. And but you all don't want to call a spade a spade for whatever reason. And why would I subject myself to all of this? With my normal philosophy, I do not believe necessarily all the time in having a lifetime ban. I am not certain in this case whether a lifetime ban is appropriate. I would like to consider something less. However, um, I am not certain what that would be at this point. Uh, I, <clears throat> I mean, I'm with you on the possibility of considering something less. 
Um, but I think it would be, as you say, substantial. Are you employed somewhere now? Yes, I am. <clears throat> so I think, um. You know, I don't think we would lift the ban on the police department. I think that should stay. Um, but I would be think we could consider. Um, you know, perhaps 3 years of satisfactory employment, uh, outside the city. With, um, an, uh, an appropriate affirmation from that employer, uh, of, um. Uh, experience or, um. An evaluation of honesty and, um. Um, satisfactory performance. Satisfactory performance. I would also want to make sure that there's medical clearance because I didn't get the word whether or not you were um, medically cleared to come back. So, so is that and for the city attorney within that? Um, Deputy City Attorney Kate Kimberlin, I don't think you necessarily need to include that in connection with any future employment restriction to the extent that there's a separate medical issue. I think that can be left to sort out. You know, as necessary, um, I, I don't ask a couple of meetings ago. We had yeah. actually 10 years. Ten years. Um, yeah, right. We did have 10 years. Yeah. So, maybe, um, in being consistent 3 years. Possibly, I would like to have 5 years of experience. I really want to have, um, but if we, if you feel strongly about 3 years, 3 years. Um, but I do not think that he should go back to the police department. I would like to have that experience in an, in an area that is. In a complex organization, such as the police department or the city, I don't know. What do you feel about five years? Oh, you uh, think three years? I would think be five years could work. Um, I'm not sure about the complex uh, employment. I think in experience relevant to <clears throat> whatever position he's applying to. Okay. So that would be five years. With experience in in a position that is relevant to what he is applying to, uh, not back to the San Francisco Police Department. That would be the motion. That's not the issue. Uh, no, excuse me. Um, City Attorney Kate Kimberlin again. Um, I just would want to clarify in the motion what it is that you would want certification from exactly from the from the other employer. If you're asking for five years of satisfactory service, I think we've we've done something similar to that in the past. I. Do you worry about the vagueness of something to the effect of um, verification of kind of honesty or veracity? I think that becomes really difficult to to quantify in a future statement. So I I just want to be very clear on the record what the requirement is. Either way, that would be five years satisfactory service. About satis satisfactory service and certification of no. Dishonest acts. Perhaps, um, yeah, verification from the employer that of um, no discipline related to dishonesty. Or, I'm just trying to be specific for purposes of emotion. And for DHR, is that something that they could that they could? Is that something you can administer? Um, Madam chair, I think if we were to get a statement from an employer of record, um, 
that speaks to uh, his work, his satisfactory work. And I think that would be sufficient. I think the honesty issue is pretty subjective and maybe difficult to quantify. So five years satisfactory. Okay. So do we have a motion? I would move to, um, is this an appeal? Yeah, I would um, <clears throat> move to grant the appeal to the extent of um, modifying the restriction so that the, res the permanent restriction as to the San Francisco Police Department would remain. Um, but the um, restriction on uh, other city employment uh, would be modified so that uh, if appellant uh, uh, has satisfactory employment um, for five years as um, certified by his employer outside the city, uh, then he could return or he could apply uh, for employment at the city, except for the police department. I'll second that. Okay. Do we have any comment? Um, do we have any public comment? Um, when, so does the five year period begin today? Yes. Cause I've been employed. So it begins today. Okay. Again, it, it's from the time of departure, isn't it? No, it's a, it's a time of the commission. Oh, okay. It's the, it's the effect of the commission's action. Yeah. Should. Huh? Madam chair, should the Unless record reflect that? Unless you want to set up at that as. No, I, I'm, I'm good. It's just the record should reflect that as a okay. time of commission action. At the time of this would be effective at the time of the commission action. Um, okay, do we have public comment in the room? Uh, Ms. Aldana, do we have any public comment on the phone? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, I'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Salveson? Commissioner Leung? No. And I'll vote aye. So it's three to one. Uh, the motion prevails. Thank you. Vice President Favetti, um, there was one person who wanted to make. I'm sorry. Comment. It's okay. Oh, I, I, just, I didn't see. I didn't. See. No, it's okay. I just wanted to say thank you to the commission. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, we, uh, in fact, uh, there's two thing, two items here. Number one, uh, commissioners, you have to leave me. Yes. Commissioner Selvin is going. Selvison will have to leave. We will have a three-member commission which means that you're going to have to have a unanimous vote to prevail in your item. It's an important component because if we do, you do not prevail, it will be held over even after a hearing today. Uh, and the second thing is we need to take a, um, a health break for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> 49. Item 14, public comment on all matters pertaining to items 16, 17, 18, and 19 below. You have session. to wait. Oh. It didn't get recorded. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, you need to repeat. I have not turned on the recording yet. Oh, okay. Sorry, Elizabeth. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, it is 5.50 p.m. We have returned from a break. 
Uh, we are now on uh, the closed session agenda as it's an, uh, so indicated on the agenda for October 16th. Uh, Executive Director, if you could read the items, I guess, on the closed session. Should we be reading the entire closed? Or, oh, no, just. Uh... Before we start, if we can quickly do a roll call so members who are calling in are aware who oh, commissioners are present. That is true. Okay, so go ahead. Why don't you do the roll? Vice President Favetti. Here. Commissioner Crowley. Still here. Commissioner Vitus Leon. Here. Commissioner Savison has left and uh, Commissioner uh, Minor was excused, just for the record. Right. And, and for information, uh, any decision uh, will require all three votes in the affirmative. Uh, a vote not that is, does not reach the three, will the item will automatically be reheard at another meeting to be determined. It is our... Okay. Um, and then the question is whether or not we should be holding se closed session. And so perhaps the city attorney could advise us a bit on how we should be proceeding actually. Um, thank you, Vice President Favetti, Deputy City Attorney Kate Kimberlin. Um, as those of you who are, uh, you know, repeat attendees to these hearings um, have noted over the last several meetings, there's been um, a change in how EEO matters have been agendized um, pending a legal opinion from the city attorney's office regarding how personnel matters um, may be treated in closed session. Uh, the practice has been to place these EEO matters on a potentially closed session agenda. Um, however, we've the, the commission's office has already posted the redacted versions of the documents pertaining to each of these close, potentially closed session matters um, for the public because if a matter is not ultimately held in closed session, um, it would have to be continued if we hadn't done that. So in order to comply with our public meeting requirements, we have to put those materials on the on the website at this time. So um, my suggestion is that now that the commissioners have had a chance to review the materials and also knowing that each of the appellants have had the opportunity to review the same materials, um, as, as redacted to anonymize witnesses and the like. Um, you can consider each matter as it comes um, in whether or not you want to hold that matter in closed session. Um, if you'd like my counsel with respect to any particular matter, I'm happy to provide it on a case-by-case -case basis. And my belief is that I will have a memo for your consideration before our next meeting. Okay, so why don't we call the item out and then we'll go from, so for example, we call uh, item 16 out, the appeal by Shanita Anderson, and then determine at that point? Um, correct, so you can go matter by matter in terms of um, items 16, 17, 18, and 19. Mm -hmm. um, and as to each, if you would like to discuss whether or not you wanna hold the matter in closed session, um, if if you would like to do so, I would suggest then you make a motion to do so, and then you can hear public comment on whether or not the matter should be held in closed session. Um, if you are going to hold a matter in closed session, anyone not particip not that's not a party to that matter would have to um, leave the room. I believe we would have to go into practice session on 
the WebEx mm -hmm. and we would have to affirmatively ensure that anyone who is on WebEx who's participating in the matter be then brought back in as a um, participant as well. Um, Elizabeth, is that something we are able to do today? Uh, this is um, Deputy City Attorney, not in this case, uh, not at this time. Um, so if we do need to go into closed session, I will need to send invites uh, to you and people in the room that are not part of that item need to step out of the room until the matter is um, over. And people who are on the line right now on the WebEx invite right now in the public as panelists, if they're not, um, they can just hang out until we come back from closed session into open session and so forth. At this time, uh, that's the way we're gonna have to do it. For this meeting, hopefully for the future meetings, we'll be able to um, do it a little different where we won't have to be sending uh, the closed session uh, invites. Okay, thank you. Uh, um, I understand. And Elizabeth and I had a chance to chat earlier in the week as well about this. So thank you for clarifying. Um, so that may also be a part of your consideration in terms of whether you want to hold any of these matters in closed session um, is if there's a participant that's only online. Um, it may be difficult to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, one of the things that uh, in the past that we have uh, when we were debating about closed session was a consideration of what the appellant wanted and what the department wanted. And so in these cases too, I think we need to weigh that as part of our deliberations, okay? So why don't we proceed announcing the item? Um, we can discuss, ask questions, we can get the input from both the appellant and the department, and then we can make a decision from there, okay? Sure. So let's go with item number 16. And thank you so very much. Item 16, appeal by Shanita Anderson of the Director of Transportation's determination to administratively close their complaint of discrimination due to race and age. Personnel exceptions, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.10B and California Government Code Section 54957B1. Recommendation of the Director of Transportation, adopt report, sustain decision of the Transportation Director, deny the appeal by Shanita Anderson. Okay. Uh, is Appellant Anderson here? Okay, and um, actually we'll go with uh, both the department and the appellant, but with the uh, appellant Alan Anderson, uh, are, do you have uh, any preferences with regard to going into open or closed session? I'm sorry, repeat that please. Uh, do you have any preferences or uh, a preference to either having an, either an open session meeting or closed session? It doesn't matter to me. Okay, um, um, now let me check with the department, see how they feel. So we're, uh, we, do we have a representative from the MTA? Yes. Uh, good afternoon, Commission. Uh, my name is Brian Caparo. I'm from DHREO. We do not have any objections to holding this in uh, open session. Okay. okay. So, and Commissioners, do you have no any, objection? No, no objection to having an, an open session. Okay. So we'll go ahead and we will hear this in open session. The department normally presents first, and then we hear from the appellant. We may be asking questions of the department, and then we'll hear from the appellant, or appellant Anderson here. Uh, then we'll be asking you questions and then we'll be making a decision. Okay. Uh, thank you so very much. And thank you for your patience for being. <laughs> I, I also to departmental representatives too. all very, um, you're accustomed. <laughs> anyway, so there we go. Go ahead. Good afternoon commission. My name is Brian Caparo 
and I'm an EEO program specialist with the Department of Human Resources. In 1999, appellant Shanita Anderson began working as 9163 transit operator with the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. In September 2021, appellant promoted to 9139 transit supervisor and began the 9139 transit supervisor training program. Two weeks later, appellant left the program to undergo medical treatment. In November of 2021, appellant resumed the training program, but was later released after twice failing to pass the Metrorail operation training final exam. When interviewed by DHREO, appellant alleged being subjected to discrimination based on her race, African-American, and age over 40 when released from the program. Appellant also alleged that fellow participant Charmion Forrester passed the program due to nepotism. In August of 2022, the transportation director informed appellant that her allegations were insufficient to raise an inference of discrimination under the SFMTA's EEO policy and that her nepotism allegation was outside of EEO jurisdiction and would be investigated by, by SFMTA's Employee and Labor Relations Division. Therefore, appellant's complaint was not further investigated by DHR EEO and was administratively closed. The question on appeal is whether the transportation director appropriately closed appellant's discrimination and nepotism complaints without further investigation. For the reasons I will explain, the answer to that question is yes. Comparative evidence did not support appellant's race and age discrimination claims. Appellant based these claims on her belief that Forrester was white and younger than appellant. The cohorts of the 9139 Transit Supervisor Training Program that appellant participated in had a total of 30 participants. 70% of all participants self-identified as either black or African-American. 86% of African-American and black participants passed the training program compared to 87% of participants overall. There were no white participants. Additionally, while Forrester is three and a half years younger than appellant, of the 30 participants, 22 were over 40 years old, and 86% of participants over 40 passed the program. 15% of the participants who passed the program were older than appellant. Therefore, appellant's race and age were not factors in her release from the program. Regarding, er, regarding appellant's nepotism allegation, SFMTA correctly determined that the complaint did not sufficiently allege nepotism as defined in the city's policy regarding family and romantic relationships at work. Under this policy, employees may not make, participate in making, or influence any employment decision involving a related person or romantic partner. No employment decision affecting appellant or Forrester was made by a related person or romantic partner as defined in the policy. Furthermore, appellant's nepotism allegation was based on her belief that Forrester took the Metrorail operation training final exam four times and never passed. SFMTA records provided DHR EEO by SFMTA show that Forrester took the exam twice, the same number of times as appellant, and scored 85%, a passing score on her second attempt. Finally, on appeal, appellant did not provide any new information supporting a race or age discrimination claim. Regarding appellant's claim of nepotism, appellant reiterated her belief that Forrester did not pass the Metro Rail Operation Training Final Exam and that appellant once allegedly dated Randall Buck, one of the 9139 Transit Supervisor Training Program managers approximately seven or eight years prior to entering the training program. As the city's policy regarding family and romantic relationships at work, only covers romantic relationships occurring within the past two years, appellant's alleged romantic relationship with Buck, which Buck denied ever took place, is irrelevant. In response to appellant's request, DHR EEO contact Bernard Henderson, a former instructor in the 9139 Transit Supervisor Training Program. 
Manager Johnson of SFMTA's Employee and Labor Relations Division conducted an interview with Henderson in which Henderson said that Buck told him that Forrester took an exam four times, but that Henderson's knowledge of Forrester taking an exam four times was, was quote, speculation and conjecture based on rumor, quote. Thus, appellant did not provide any information on appeal that warrants further review under the SFMTA's EEO policy, and the transportation director's determination should be upheld. In conclusion, as explicated by comparative evidence and numerical data, the transportation director correctly determined that appellant did not sufficiently allege race or age discrimination, and that appellant's complaint did not warrant further investigation under the SFMTA's EEO policy. Similarly, SFMTA correctly determined that appellant did not sufficiently allege nepotism, and that appellant's complaint did not warrant further investigation under the city's policy regarding family and romantic relationships at work. We respectfully request that the commission deny appellant's appeal and uphold the transportation director's determination. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Manager Johnson of, of SFMTA's Employee and Labor Relations Division is here to answer questions as well. Thank you, commission. Questions? Yeah, quick question. Uh, Commissioner Leung? Um, so just to confirm, the passing score was 85%? Uh, the passing score on the Metro Rail Operation Training Final Exam was 85%. That's the portion I want to talk to you a little bit about. It's called MRO? Uh, MRO for short, but yeah, the Metro Rail Operation Training What does that entail? Sorry. So that's a final exam uh, for the rail operation component of the 9139 Transit Supervisor Training Program. Essentially, the program is divided between the rubber tire or bus side and the rail side. Um, so that exam is essentially a comprehensive exam of all the material covered on the rail side. So it's an on-the-job type of exam? Uh, it is a, a, it's a written exam or some other type of exam? It is a written exam. I see. Who are the raters? Are you allowed to disclose for the first and the second time? Um, well, I am not aware of who the graders are, and I, I uh, will defer to Manager Johnson if she's aware. However, I do want to say that SFMTA um, did let us know that there is a formal grading rubric that is used to grade the exam. Uh, it is not subjective in its grading. Okay. Commissioner uh, Crump, are, are you, do you have any further questions? Oh, I want to hear from John. Are oh. you aware of who graded the You don't know? No, I'm not aware of who the exact uh, uh, raters are. Okay. Um, but they are. Just identify yourself for the record. Hi, um, Commission. My name is MJ Johnson, and I am the Employee Relations Manager at SFMTA, and I conducted the investigation into the nepotism allegation. But you don't know who the raiders or graders were? No, for the first no, I don't. Okay. I may have information provided by a witness as to who the grader was um, for the for um, the appellant's second or second uh, attempt at the exam. Uh, I apologize if I can take a minute to find okay. that. It wasn't Buck, was it? Uh, no, it was not Buck. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. Oh, okay. Thank you. I believe the appellant may know. Yes. Those are all my questions for the department. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, Commissioner Crowley, did you have questions? Uh, no questions. Uh, I'll wait till after the the witness or the appellant comes. But right. uh, my question was very similar to uh, okay, Mr. Leongs. Let's hear from the appellant. Appellant Anderson, uh, this is your opportunity to present your side of the story. Um, the history of me being employed with the SFMTA has already been addressed. Um, I'm here today because I was treated unfairly during the exam. Yes, they did give me a second opportunity to take the exam. Let's just go back. In November, when I started this, I was dealing with stage two breast cancer and I fought it alone. Every morning I got up and I pushed. I pushed through a 30 day rail training that normally takes an operator three to four months to complete when you're transferring over from a bus driver and you're going over to rails. Now, I assume they changed the regulation when you're trans, when you're coming from an operator over to a supervisor position, they're only giving you 30 days. And you know what? I kicked that, I, I took care of business in that 30 day class. I got up fighting breast cancer. I passed all my exams. The final came, I missed the, I missed the first final, I missed it, I believe, by three points. So they gave me a second opportunity. Mr. Uh, Mason Yee, I want to make sure I'm getting names correct. Mason Yee emailed me and told me to come back to Rails. I believe that was December 27th and retake my exam. Now, this is why we're here today, because I, I would have took it. If you said I, I didn't pass, I would have took that. I, I, I would have took that. But we're here today because on the second opportunity that they gave me to take my exam, and I only missed it by two this time, uh, Randall Buck, who I used to date, um, he gave me the exam, which was a conflict of entrance. And Randy knew that was a conflict of entrance. He was the greater. He was the greater for all the tests. He was over us. Um, while I was taking my test, I came in his office to get the test, excuse me. And he said, shut the door. I said, shut the door. I said, I'm not taking my test in your private office. I want to go to a classroom setting where I can concentrate and take this test. He denied me to go to a classroom setting. So then I said, well, can I go to this cubicle right here to take my test? He denied it. He shut the door. Kept, I was in his personal office while I was taking my test. That was unacceptable. Then he had people running in and out while I'm trying to concentrate. And I said, Randy, I can't go to another room to take my test. And he said, okay, well, get your paperwork and follow me. So then we goes into another room. And this what hurts me to the core because I served SFMTA for 23 years. As I was taking my test, I kid you not, this man told me, you better pass because I'm not putting nobody else through. That 
N-I-G-G-A, Lanier Haynes, has empathy. And I don't have empathy for people. I only put Charmy and Foster through because her Lanier begged me because her mother used to be a superintendent over at Woods. That hurted me to the core. So that's why we really here today. That's why we here today. And the two points that I missed, I, I could have kicked, I, I know I could have aced that exam. I was under intimidation by Randy Buck. And it was too much going on. And then when you tell me something like that, and I got tears falling from my eyes, I drove them buses up and down the street for 23 years. Never had a problem. HR can bounce. I never been suspended. Never had a problem. Over time, yes, loved it. Because I love what I do. I love what I do for the city. I love my job. And that's why I'm here today, because I feel I was feeded unfairly during that exam. He shouldn't have never been over me. And then he tries to deny a romantic relationship. When I started the training, he would say, good morning, Miss Anderson. You smell good. What kind of perfume you wearing? He would say little things like that. Bernard Henderson. Bernard Henderson, who was a 9139 transit uh, supervisor trainee, he said, I failed so many people and they still pushed them through. That's why I didn't even want to do the training no more. They looked right over me. He said, I failed Charmy and Forrester so many times. He said, I don't even under, I can't see why she got the position. And that's when I said, oh, well, Randy Buck told me that Lanier Haynes told him to give her the position. Oh, wait, wait, he, let's, let's say it the right way. Randy Buck said Lanier Haynes begs him to give him the position because the mother, his, her mother used to be a superintendent over at Woods. And I'm just asking to be treated fair. I'm asking to be reinstated. As a 9139, I feel I deserve that position. And if you're pushing people through because of who they know with low test scores, that's nepotism. That's unfair. But that's all I have to say. Uh, Commissioner Crowley? I have a question for that's the good. department. Oh. I want to thank you, Pellet Anderson. Department. Helen Anderson had a cadre of uh, questions, and I want to find out who who did do the second exam. Do we have was there any follow up from the department as to who did that? We can follow up. Oh, I have follow up. Okay. Um, to more fully address Commissioner Leung's earlier question, the individual who graded um anderson's second attempt at the metro rail operation training final exam was uh victor serrato who was one of the trainers um for that cohort um as to who administered that exam i just want to clarify a few points first of all the exam was administered at muni metro east which is located at 601 25th street the exam was located or the exam was administered in the mme conference room which is room 257 
Buck's office is room 253. The rooms do not connect in any way. In fact, um, although they are, all, they are in the same hallway, there is one office located between Buck's office and room 257 where the test was administered. When the test was administered, Randall Buck did administer the first portion, but told DHREO that appellant began saying questions out loud um, when she did not understand them or fully comprehend them. And he told her, I can help explain that question to you, but I cannot provide the answer. Appellant then began to say, think of Sean, think of my son. You have to think of us, you have to help me. At which case, Buck became uncomfortable and left the room and got Mason Yee, who was another um, administrator of the program, to finish proctoring the exam. And Mason Yee was the one who finished proctoring the exam. My question is, again, if you knew the circumstances to the situation, and this will go to the appellant as well, why was Mr. Buck or even involved in the situation to begin with? So Buck denied ever having a romantic relationship with appellant and was very forthcoming about all socialization that took place uh, with appellant prior to her entrance into the training program. I am happy to give a brief synopsis. The two knew each other around 2002 and 2003 when they were both 9163 transit operators at the Potrero Division. Uh, they socialized outside of work around 2003 or 2004 for about a two to three month period. Uh, never romantic in nature. They were both seeing other people at the time. Um, appellant did invite Buck to her new home around 2005 or 2006. They watched a movie together and then he went home. And they ran into each other once at a Safeway in 2010. And that is the extent of the socialization outside of work. One last question, and this is the bigger viewpoint of when will the next 9139 exam be applied? Uh, you may not possess that answer, but someone from... I am not aware, Manager Johnson, do you have that information? Do we have a typical answer as to every couple of years, one year, Please when you exhaust the list? Please forgive me, I don't know the answer to that question, but more than happy to get the information. Um, I can possibly try and reach somebody on my cell phone from the training department and see if I can find that. Actually, it would be the exam department because that's when the next, they would be scheduling the exam. And so Mr. Miles would probably be the best or one of his staff persons. I can try and reach him on Teams if you'd like. No, I'm, it would seem to me that you, I, if you're gonna be contacting, I think it's information that you would like to have. Correct. Commissioner would like to have that information, and so it would be a good idea to do so. Absolutely. I have no further questions, Madam Chair. Thank you very much uh, to the department for being here. Thank you. Commissioner uh, Leung, did you have any further questions? With yeah. regards, oh, go ahead. With regards to something that the appellant uh, said, um, when I interviewed Mr. Henderson. Um, I asked him specifically, what did um, he tell Ms. Anderson about Charmian Forrester's performance um, during the 9139 transit supervisor training? And he indicated that he didn't talk to Anderson about Forrester or Forrester's performance. Um, he said he did tell Anderson that she should 
go to the union and fight for her job, but he did not speak to her with regards to any specificity about Forrester's performance. Um, he said that with regards to her um, allegedly taking the test four times, that that was, again, as was stated earlier, purely based on speculation. He had no proof or way to verify that at all. And that um, the agency did determine that she took two exams two times. So logically, perhaps that's where the quote four times that she was allowed to take the exam may be coming from. Uh, we don't know, but we have absolutely no proof or verification that she did take the exam any more times than any other um, participant in the program was permitted. And one more follow up, Madam Chair. Yeah, thank you for jogging my memory. But uh, so, how often are these exams for the 9139 given second chances? Are they within a percentage of points to get them over the finish line to give them an opportunity to finish in that? You know the scope of my question. Uh, I, I believe I do. I, I will do my best to answer it and please let me know if you would like any additional information. So uh, the 9139 Transit Supervisor Training Program consists of many exams. All participants have two opportunities to take each exam, one original attempt and one retake to pass the exam. Okay. Um, each individual training record is available in your packet for review of each participant and each um, score on the, every attempt on the exams. Yes, thank you. No further question for me. Thank you. Yeah, so on that question, how far were the two tests apart from each other? The first and the second? I believe they were one day apart. One day apart. And was Ms. Anderson provided additional training between the tests? No. So the SFMTA policy is that the first time a participant takes an exam, they take it with the class in the training classroom. The second time they will be taken to a separate room, usually the conference room, which was where appellant's exam was held. Um, she was given the opportunity after, after she showed up in the morning to study for about four or five hours on her own in a private place and then let staff know when she felt ready to retake the exam. I believe she reported to work around 5 a.m. that day and told staff she was ready to take the exam around 9 a.m. that day. And so it was given a substantial amount of time to review her notes and go over materials. One last question. So are these identical exam, the MRO? Correct. This is the same exam, same exact questions, no changes whatsoever. I believe that the appellant wishes to rebut. Yeah. You have no further questions, and uh, the appellant wishes to rebut some of your, re your responses, I believe. I just want to um, piggyback on what this he is said. This Anderson. I'm sorry. My name is Shanita Anderson. Mm -hmm. And I would just like to piggyback on what the gentleman said, that I reported to work at 5 a.m. I don't know where you got that information. I reported there at 8 o'clock. I was given 30 minutes to go downstairs in my car and study. And I did take the test in his private office. I have witnesses. Lester and Monica, who are transit supervisors that walked in on us in his private office with his door closed. That's all I want to say. Commissioner Crowley. 
uh, just a follow-up. Was the to to the MTA uh, was the nepotism claim looked into? Was a nepotism claim looked into? Yes, yes, it was. So um, what we did initially with regards to the nepotism um, allegation um, was we actually. Uh, review the position entry results and the quantitative results of the training program. Um, we looked at some of the same information document documentation that um, DHR had looked into, and we had the same outcome with regards to the test scores and the rankings and so on and so forth. And then what we did next was we reviewed um, the city and county of San Francisco's nepotism or family. It's a long title. Policy on family and romantic relationships at work policy. Um, we reviewed that and um, assessed whether or not the allegations in this complaint met the criteria and uh, determined that they do not because um, the allegation was that Kathy Forrester had influenced um, the decision with regards to a favorable decision of her daughter, um, Sherryon. Forrester and a negative uh, determination as it related to Shanita Anderson. Um, however, Kathy Forrester or Kathleen Forrester no longer works for the agency and it had been more than a decade, decade about um, since she had worked for the agency. So there's no way that she could have made a decision or influenced any decision with regards to uh, employment of any employees. So, yes, an investigation was conducted. We determined that uh, it didn't meet the criteria, didn't fall under the definition of uh, nepotism. Thanks very much. Sure. No further questions, Madam Chair. Are you ready to make a motion? Uh, <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, uh, maybe perhaps. Uh, Commissioner Leon, do you, your name is up on the. Oh, I happy to cancel the request to speak. Uh, but it looks like the appellant has wants to. Okay. Close. Did, did you want to make some closing statement? Hey, if I heard it correctly, um, she said that Kathy. I think she said something like Kathy Forrester did not. Um, did not play a role in this. Um. I got the information from Randall Buck, who's an acting 9160. He the one said that Lanier said to give it to her because her mother used to be a superintendent. He's the one that administered me the test. He's the one that did the intimidation. He's the one that used the N-I-G-G-A word. Very unprofessional. And that's, that's all I want to say. Wait, just for clarification, can, did you say somebody shared the tests with Charmian? No, I did oh, not say that. What did you repeat that again? I missed it. I, what I said was um, she had mentioned something yeah. about um, this young lady had okay. mentioned something about Kathy Forrester had something to do with the testing. I, and all I'm saying is that I wouldn't even known 
We wouldn't even be here today had not Randall Buck, uh, acting 9160 manager, had not said that his boss, Lanier Haynes, said give her the position. Although she failed, she was failing, give her the position because her mother used to be a superintendent. That's, that's why we're here on today. That's why we're here on today and the intimidation that Randy Buck did. Okay, you deny a relationship, but now you're telling HR, we socialize, you came to my house. Come on, your story don't even sound right. That's, that's all I have to say. Uh, Adam Chair, do we have any clarification from the department on any assertions that were made by the appellant? Department, could you, uh, with regard to um, the comments by the appellant? Uh, DHREO uh, has, has not substantiated that those comments occurred. Um, however, SFMTA took prompt and appropriate action to address the appellant's allegations uh, regarding um, the use of the N-word in the but, test. And, uh, and when I was reviewing materials, uh, did you, what I was wondering about is that um, it appears that the policy was reviewed. How extensive, does that include a discussion with the individual? Did that, what does that include? Is that just giving a policy and reading it? Or is there something else that happens along with that? Thank you for the question, Our Vice President. Pavetti, Jennifer Berg, EEO, Programs Manager with DHR EEO. When we asked departments to um, meet with individuals regarding violations of the city's respect policy, we identified the conduct um, that was alleged and we described the conduct as not appropriate um, for the workplace. And we asked the employee to review the policy and sign an acknowledgement of it. So there's no further explanation. There's no counseling that goes along with that. There's just Here's the policy and, and sign it, or? It, it depends on the severity of the conduct um, and the frequency of the conduct. Mm -hmm. Usually for a one-time comment, we would just issue the policy, um, but we're welcome to hear feedback from the commission if they- And you would describe the allegations, correct? We do, yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's, that's what I thought I heard you say. I wasn't that, it didn't, it didn't appear that way in the record. It just shows that the individual was counts, was given the policy and he signed it. Okay, we, when we direct the departments to do this, we tell them, please inform that it was alleged that they did this conduct. Um, we generally don't describe the complaining party or cite the complaining party, but we do cite the conduct because they need to know what kind of conduct not to duplicate. Exactly. You know, so from the department, is there somebody present that actually went over the policy? Um, uh, the MTA, that's what I mean. I'm sorry. Pardon me. Are you referring to the EEO policy or the nepotism? EEO. I don't have that information because I didn't conduct, I, it was very compartmentalized and I was instructed to cover the nepotism uh, allegation. And with regards to the nepotism piece, I can answer all the questions you ha may have on that. Um, 
Mm. I apologize. I would like to make sure that that did happen. Um, maybe we can have it happen again so that we are assured that it did, that it does, because I didn't get a clear picture from the documentation that there was an actual meeting with the individual. I couldn't tell. It was just that he, he, the policy was given and he signed it and that was it. And so I would like to have perhaps as part of a motion that that be included. <clears throat> okay. If anybody is wishing to make an emotion. Yeah, that that's appropriate as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Okay. So in viewing the record in its totality and hearing the, um, the testimonies today, and I want to extend to appellant Anderson, um, my, um, sincere respect for the courage that she showed in coming to work every day. Under the circumstances that she had to deal with at the time, um, with her uh, her personal medical condition, um, but that's not part of the motion. But I do. That's just my parentheses. Um, but I would deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the human resources, the director of transportation, with the proviso that, um, and I don't want to make this as part of the motion. Uh, because I, I don't know if there's a confidentiality issue or that, that the, um, I put it, Mr. Buck has been um, counseled and that the uh, EEO policy has been reviewed with him specifically. So that there is a good understanding of what um, the policy is and what although it's an allegation that we have not been able to substantiate that he understands that that's inappropriate. So, but so that would be motion would be to deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the human resources director with the, um, provision that there, the follow-up counseling be, um, conducted with regard to, um, the EEO policy on individuals are uh, I just uh, did the follow-up policy on EEO for the um, I refer to them as Vice President Pavetti would you like to set a deadline for that to occur or any requirement within the next two weeks um, and any kind of report back to the executive director perhaps that would be a good idea and report back to the executive director thank you so very much <laughs> I will second that motion is there any public comment on the motion Uh, and Ms. Aldana, is there anybody on the phone that would, uh, uh, with regard to uh, public comment? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay. Uh, then I will do a roll call vote. Well, before we do that, uh, Madam Chair, can I ask, uh, I just want to make sure that we're following through on my question that we did get a response at some point in time oh. with respect to the 9139 uh, exam administration. When is that going to happen next? So, and that that we report, we report back to the executive director. Yes. Okay, and the, and the reporting result, back to our executive director and the exam schedule for the ninety one thirty nine. Thank you very much. Okay, so that's a friendly amendment to the motion. And okay. Yeah, we can second. Okay. I was going to suggest that alternately you could include that in the commission's requests at the end of the meeting. Okay, okay that would be good. Well, we'll pull that one off. Okay. All right, so I'm going to do, there's uh, no public comment, and Ms. Aldana, there was nobody on the phone? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. 
Okay, so Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Leung? Aye. And I vote aye. The vote is 3-0. And the, um, so we, the, the decision is um, upheld. The decision of the, the, the Director of Transportation is upheld, but with certain conditions attached in that, that there's gonna be counseling and then we have an idea of when the exam is gonna be conducted. Thank you. Should we call the next item? Item 17, appeal by Michael Lane of the Director of Transportation's determination to administratively close their complaint of harassment. Personnel exception, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.10B and California Government Code Section 54957B1. Recommendation of the Department of Human Resources and the Director of Transportation would be adopt the report, uphold the decision of the Director of Transportation, and deny the appeal by Michael Lane. Okay, so we, Appellant Lane is here. Okay, Department representatives are here. Okay, let's go. Uh, Department? Vice President Pavetti, did you want the parties to address whether or not they prefer to oh, have the okay. commission? I, or, I totally apologize. I totally apologize. Um, I did it once. <laughs> Let's go to the appellant first. Appellant Lane. Appellant Lane, um, uh, this is with regard to the question of closed session. Would you prefer having this as an open session or a closed session? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, we could do it. We could do it, um, I guess, open. Okay. And then for the department, do you have a preference? The department has no preference. Okay, commissioners? No preference. Okay, I'm good. the record's already been posted, so let's go ahead with the open session. All right, so the department goes first. Good afternoon. Oh, good evening, commissioners. <laughs> My name is Esteban Villarreal, and I'm an Equal Employment Opportunity Program Senior Specialist with the Department of Human Resources. On February 1st, 2023, Appellant Michael Lane, a 9163 transit operator with the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, participated in a walk-in intake interview with DHREEO. During this intake, Appellant reported that the SFMTA subjected him to unwelcome conduct and pursuant to appellant's complaint, DHREEO requested and reviewed additional information from the SFMTA. Based on this information, the transportation director correctly determined that appellant's allegations did not raise an inference of harassment and thus did not warrant further investigation. On July 26, 2023, appellant appealed the transportation director's determination the issue on appeal is whether the commission should uphold this determination. Based on the following, the answer is yes. Appellant alleged that in February 2022, an unknown SFMTA employee posted a flyer at Flynn Division that showed appellant's image, name, cap number, and a note that if appellant attempted to enter SFMTA property, employees should ask him to leave or call 911. Appellant speculated that this conduct may have been based on his race, African-American. However, appellant did not provide any information that would demonstrate or even suggest that the SFMTA's conduct was race-based. 
Rather, appellant confirmed that he was on non-driving status and also confirmed that operators who are on non-driving status are not allowed on SFMTA property. As such, there was a legitimate non-discriminatory business reason why the SFMTA posted a flyer stating that appellant was not allowed on SFMTA property. Nonetheless, DHREEO contacted SFMTA to request additional information, and the SFMTA additionally confirmed that the flyer was posted because an employee reported that appellant engaged in conduct that had presented a possible safety concern. This further substantiated that the SFMTA had a legitimate non-discriminatory business reason for posting the flyer. Given the legitimate non-discriminatory business reasons and the absence of any evidence or information to suggest that the conduct was based on appellant's race, the transportation director correctly determined that appellant's complaint did not raise an inference of harassment and thus would be closed without further investigation. On appeal, appellant argues that the transportation director's determination should be overturned because when he visited Flynn Division on February 7, 2022, he did not interact with the employee who reported the safety concern. However, the transportation director's determination was not based on an interaction from February 7th. Rather, as documented in our report to the commission, the SFMTA provided emails that confirmed that the interactions that gave rise to the safety concerns occurred on January 24th and January 25th, not February 7th. As such, Appellant's argument on appeal would not alter or modify the transportation director's determination. In sum, there were legitimate business reasons for the SFMTA's conduct, there was nothing to suggest that this conduct was based on race, and the transportation director correctly determined that Appellant's allegations did not raise an inference of harassment and thus should be closed without further investigation. Accordingly, we respectfully request that the Commission uphold the transportation director's determination and deny the appeal. I am happy to answer any questions you may have, and Lita Rozier is present virtually to answer any questions you may have for the department. Thank you. Commissioners, do you have any questions? Commissioner Leon. Thank you for the, uh, the, for the report. A uh, couple of questions. Um, is it a standard operating, what is the standard operating pro, uh, procedure when MTA determines an employee status of non-driving? So standard operating procedure for a uh, employee who is on non-driving status is for that employee to be disallowed from entering SFMTA property. Uh, this was confirmed both in the intake interview with the uh, appellant, as well as in documentation and communication submitted to the commission as part of our report. So part of the SOP would be for you to post a picture of the employee in the div division, I think you call it? So our understanding is that that is not the standard operating procedure. In this particular situation, there was additional conduct that presented a safety concern. And so because of this additional conduct, they took the additional step of posting the flyer. So in light of the safety concern raised by MTA, that's a standard operating procedure that you would post, post a picture of the employee in that division where he or she worked. So I would hesitate to say that that is standard operating procedure because I think that's a broad statement. Okay. Uh, but I will say that we did confirm that this was not the first time that this had occurred in an instance when a safety concern was presented. Which division was this at? When at Woods. So at Woods, do you when you post, is there it's an open bulletin board? Is there is there a board where there's a lock where only employers or employee representatives can post something on the bulletin board? So. 
I do not have the information with that degree of specificity as to exactly where in the division it was located. Um, I do know we have the department representative available virtually. Uh, however, I do not know if she has that information. Yeah, because I actually do. Hi, this is Lita Rozier. Okay. I'm the senior operations manager over transit management. And actually, um, the incident occurred at our Flynn division. Um, there is, in uh, the flyer was actually posted at the security guard shack, which is basically just for the security guard uh, information, uh, alerting him of the situation. And um, it wasn't open to the public. No one could see it other than security guard. Oh. Did that answer your question? Yeah, it's, I was under the impression that it was an open posting with the bulletin board, the gentleman's uh, picture with the name and the call 911 was there. Somebody picked it up and then notify the appellant about it. But now you're telling me it was in a security shack. It was in the security shack. However, what what uh, what was done, uh, what was informed is that the the notice was also emailed to other divisions for, with directions to uh, provide it to their security guard, the contract of security. However, it appears that at Woods and uh, I think it was at Woods that they actually posted outside of the security. And that, those were not the directions. This is exactly the questions I had. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't get exactly because it, it sounded like to me that it was open for everybody to see. Now, is that the case or not? It was not the intent at all when it was posted at the division. It was given to the security guard. But okay, that's the intent. And but what is the actuality? That's what happened at Flynn and at other divisions. The only one that I know that that didn't happen was at Woods. So it was at Flint, and then it was somehow got to Woods. Yes, and that's when the appellant uh, was notified that his his name his his face was at Woods. Correct? Right. I think so. That's not in the report. That, that's not in the report. Yeah. Exactly. Can we hear from the appellant, maybe? Yeah, I think it might be a good idea. Do you have any questions, uh, uh, Commissioner Crowley? Just the same. Well, I, I did. I wanted also clarification on what the threatening behavior was. So, uh, submitted in the report. Right. Uh, exhibit G. But I didn't get a real good sense. Okay, well, uh, according to the email, uh, one employee, or sorry, one employee mentioned uh, that the appellant entered our office in a threatening manner and stayed in the office even after she informed him that she was not his hearing officer and that this prompted her to report this concern. Uh, the credibility of this report is boosted by the fact that she reported it immediately contemporaneously and also that she even cited union chair Anthony Ballester as a witness to the conduct that made her uncomfortable. Additionally, this is further supplemented by the fact that a different employee the following day also reported that she had an interaction with the appellant that presented a safety concern. And in this instance, that employee reported that she was subject to an aggressive phone conversation that included multiple expletives and that this also presented to her a safety concern. Okay. Um I hate to say this, I've been with the city for a long time and I've had a lot of calls where there's a lot of expletives. So I didn't, I mean, ex, well. Not and, here. No, not here, not here. I mean, there have been, you know, there, there are times when people get upset. Okay, so I'd like to have a little bit more specificity. Was her life threatened? Was there, um, was there, what, what is, what was it that about 
the expletives and the that that made her feel unsafe. So we did not speak with the particular employee uh, to get those additional details. Uh, we felt that the email itself provided sufficient information to demonstrate at the core of the EEO analysis that this conduct was based on an interaction and not on a protected category. So we did not delve further into the conduct because we found a legitimate reason for the conduct that was unrelated to race. So you're, you're separating out as a, the EEO complaint with regard to, okay. Correct. Was there any follow-up on that? Uh, in uh, regard to the posting of the flyer? Well, both the conversation and her, her, her feeling of being threatened or further information from the individual, uh, the manager. So sorry, um, are you asking whether the department followed up with the individual who felt threatened? Yeah. Oh, I do not have that information uh, as the EEO representative. Um, I can refer to the department, but I'm not sure if they have that information either. Does the department have that information? I do not, but I do recall that the individual did share with me that she felt threatened by the behavior of the employee. And so we always recommend that they speak to the security department as well. Okay. All right, so why don't we hear from the appellant? Uh, appellant Lane, uh, it's your your mic. Make sure you introduce yourself uh, for the record, okay? Ma'am, sorry, thanks for having My name is Michael Lane. I'm out of the uh, I'm out of the Flint division. These people. I'm sorry. So you're out of the Flint division? Yes. I'm 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 an operator. I'm a 9163 out of the Flynn division. I've been an employee since November 5th, 2018. I never threatened anyone. My picture was my picture was put up for I don't know why. I've been a valued employee since I've been here, since I've been working for Muni. Teresa and I, we never had any, any kind of, uh, what you, if they want to say beef or anything, it was to the point to where I even knew her kids play baseball. There was never an issue with her and I, the issue came after I reported something in regards to safety on my coach. During COVID, I'm an operator that was here during the pandemic. Me, I keep this city moving. I stand on that. I'm the driver that came to work during this. You see this, this is my wife. This is my second child. When all this was going through, my first child, which is now four, he was just born. I'm the driver that be out here on the ground. Like during the pandemic, it's me. And for my picture to go up, 
They ruined my whole life. It's everywhere. It's not just there. This lady put my picture up, and the only reason I came to the division is because DeMaurier sent the uncertified letter to my house. My wife advised me to go up there. When I went to the division on the 7th, Mr. Gregory Valentine came out and he spoke with me. I never went in that division. My picture go up on the 7th of February. I contacted Baxter, Anthony Baxter, 258 union representative. I advised him what was going on. And his words to me was, oh, they put the picture up when you came up here yesterday. Excuse me, sir, I never came in the building. Call the police when you see me. George Floyd. You have all these African-Americans that's getting harassed and getting killed. I have mental behind this. You guys know what PTSD is? Do you guys not know my wife, every time I leave out this house, how stressed out they are? I'm a 9163. I, I'm out here. I never had a flaw on my record. Teresa lying. She was trying to terminate me for improper uniform. Baxter, no. Anthony Baxter not here. None of my union representative is here. I had my phase two hearing. These people didn't show up. My wife and I went through this. It's like, it's days I don't even want to, if I didn't have these kids, it's like, I'm like, yo, like, I don't even want to be here no more. Like suicide and everything. I talked to these people about this. I've been back here four months. I was out, my doctor, so my situation happened, and then when I came, I was so stressed out. Teresa tried to fire me. This lady tried to terminate me, but when we went through my file, Anthony and I determined that the stuff that she tried to put on my record, it's not even, I wasn't even warned about it. How you skip from a write-up to a termination? Over, over a mass in the head. These people contacting, they contacting my wife. It's on social media. I'm on trend. I'm on trend to talk for four days. I can be dead. I'm telling, I'm a black man. I fear for my life. The only reason I'm back at work is because they gave me an ultimatum. You either gonna come to work or you ain't gonna do nothing. I have this right here. I am a gunshot victim. I've been shot before. I have a bullet in my stomach right now. I since, since I've been back, I have three good commendations on what I do for my people out here, my Asian community, my elderly community. That's on me. I'm during that pandemic. I kept this city moving. Where was Teresa? At? Probably at home. I'm out here with my wife pregnant, and I'm and I'm just born. But with regard to the phone call, what happened on that? I'm from your version you. oh, I'm sorry, the phone call. Yeah. Which one? I'm sorry, which one? Oh, the expletives that triggered this whole thing. Ma'am, I can't hear you. Oh, the, the, the phone call to Teresa. 
I never talked to Teresa on the phone, man. Oh. It, there was no explicitives, but oh. when when I'm sorry, I may have gotten it. I, I've got. Yeah, I never. I, me and Teresa, Teresa and I, she was a supervisor, and her and I talked like when we were when we were in there. Mm -hmm. But I never cursed. I remained professional the whole time, and it's like if I was that creature or character, there was never consequence behind that action that allegedly happened. And I apologize, I've gotten the names wrong, but the, 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 the phone call in which you were using expletives that appeared to trigger this entire event. What phone call would I was using? What phone call was it? Well, department, why don't you go ahead? No, when Teresa said that, she said that I, I never, it, it was no, I don't, I wasn't cursing on the phone. I remember reading it and I can't remember. Yeah, so let me maybe, let me try to help you out. Yeah, I remember reading yeah. it and I just, I'm trying to. So in the report, report may not be a phone call, but a, a meeting that you had with Teresa Schism, is that her name? Uh, yes, Teresa, yes. Teresa in her office, uh, whereby uh, Anthony Ballester, your union yeah. chair, was mm -hmm. present. Yes. Can you tell me more about that that meeting with her and uh, with the president of your union representative? Well, the meeting that she's referring to, it was actually a scully. Her and I were having a scully meeting in regards to an unrelated situation to this. So she called me in on a scully. So her and I was discussing normal work stuff, and it was a scully meeting. Right. So it was she was the hearing officer. No, DeMaria, she was the supervisor. Excuse okay. me. It was um, it was the call with uh, Amy. Elvior. I'm not sure, but when 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 her and I talked, like we were just having regular conversation, and not one time, I'm not trying to go against the policy of the city because it was here before. You know, I was here, and it's going to be after I'm gone. But it's not what you do; it's how you do it. It's like you put my picture up, and now I'm back on platform. How do you like? What do like? With my medical condition, every day I come home, like I lose sleep and everything. I have all of my documentation here. I have the letters. I have everything that my diagnosis from PTSD, from my therapist, I have everything here. And I'm sorry I didn't send it to you because I got the notice late because I'd be on the bus working a lot of late hours. And I looked at the email, I'm like, I have to get up here. I'm going to ask a question to the department because this is what disturbed me the first time. Um, it had to do with the, the email. The bottom line is he's alleging discrimination due to the discipline proposal of his recent Skelly without mentioning any events or interactions that supported his claim. His threatening statements that he will threatening statements that he will pursue this all the way to the mayor's office. And the question I had was, how can that be threatening? So again, we did not speak with these individuals. We read these reports and what we determined was the fact that more than one individual reported that the conduct and the interactions were threatening were, and actually to be fair, sorry, I'm gonna backtrack because the word threatening has been introduced. What was said was that it presented a safety concern. And so I wanna clarify, because I think there is a distinction there. And so- How do you define that? How does the department define that? Um, and so given that more than one employee in interactions in a short period of time reported that these interactions presented safety concerns. We then, in the EEO analysis, saw that as a legitimate business reason for posting a flyer, especially given that there was a supporting legitimate business reason where consistently the department holds that if a driver is on non-driving status, they are not permitted on SFMTA property. That is uncontested and is roundly enforced. Then with the escalated interactions that presented the safety concerns from multiple employees and as Appellant himself has acknowledged, 
he subsequently showed up on SFMTA property during a time period in which he was disallowed. This combination of factors shows an escalated circumstance that warranted an additional response of posting the flyer, especially when the primary concern here is employee safety. And ultimately, our analysis is, does this suggest that the conduct is based on a protected category? Here we have multiple legitimate business reasons for the conduct, thus that threshold is not met. And ultimately, what is before the commission is, was it appropriate then to determine that there was not an inference of harassment and thus a closure without further investigation? And given the substantial evidence demonstrating the legitimate business reasons and the non-discriminatory bases for the conduct, the transportation director correctly determined that an inference of harassment was not raised and thus the EEO complaint should be closed. Number one, expletives on a phone call is not appropriate, period. Oh, and I'm just letting you know some of the things that I feel with regard to this and what I, as I was reading this, but going so far as to putting posting over at Woods when he's at Flynn and having it posted in public, that to me was over the top. That that was over the top. And so to that end, I am very uncomfortable. I don't know that if it was intended, I can't tell if it was intended, but to me, it was just, um, I, I, I just didn't get that. Uh, and I understand that you need to be in court, you need to be, in, you need to be mindful of safety and that, you know, when individuals get so angry that they are starting to do X, you know, they are starting to express expletives that, you know, threatening to go to the mayor's office isn't quite something, but, but the expletives and such, and if you're feeling unsafe, but to single somebody out and take him uh, and post the picture for everybody to see when that doesn't happen. And there's, it's unclear in this policy generally, uh, I'm almost wanting to have this, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, to be perfectly frank, uncomfortable without more information. Uh, and you can certainly comment on. Um, what I will say very briefly is I definitely appreciate you sharing and understand the concerns that you're expressing. Uh, I think this is something that we certainly can review with SFMTA to discuss going forward a uh, approach that takes into consideration your feedback and is more suited to the circumstance. Yeah, I just, I'm Mr. Appellant Jackson, I'm sorry, did somebody no. else have a uh, Ma'am, if any of my staff, which is Teresa, whoever else, I didn't know because we were, I, were, I was advised by uh, Kimberly Burns. She sent out a, she sent out a letter advising if it's an African-American, we have the right, let them vent, let us talk. And this was in the nature after the George Floyd stuff. It was a memo that was in our mail. It was by Karen Burns. I think she was the director of security. It was a letter sent out. I'm pretty sure it's, you guys can find it or whatever. However, I, I thought that that's my safe space. If I'm able to go talk to my union rep, talk to a supervisor about an issue, I should be able to do that. Not one time did I use profanity. Not one time did I threaten anyone. Security wasn't called. I came to Flynn Division on February the 7th. 
I got a letter dated February the 9th advising me I can't come up there unless it's a fit. And no, they advised me of the policy. But when I came up there on the 7th, my badges were still working and everything was fine. I never entered the facility. Mika, can I please? When I was, if, if that was, if that was an order in place, when I came to the facility on the 7th, you had Greg Valentine, which was at the time he was the active superintendent in our division. He sent me to another born, born another name for where you pull your buses in at. He sent me to another born to talk to a superintendent over there. I spoke with Mr. I think Coleman or whatever. If I'm don't quote me on the name because it could be. So I spoke with the gentleman. This is all on the seventh. My letter didn't come till after that. And it's like, if that's the, I don't know, it's just a whole lot. And it's like, my, when I completed the little assessment and they determined that it, it, it dropped from a termination to a nine day suspension to a seven day suspension. When Teresa was leaving the division, she took the whole nine days away from me. Like, and we usually be able to pick our off days to where it can fit us. But by her doing that, that wiped my whole family. Like, my wife was pregnant. We was, I didn't have any health care. I went up there. I'm like, can I get this done? And, you know, and I'm practically begging these folks. Can I just, can we get stuff? And can we get some kind of common understanding on what's going on? I go up there, but I was off of work for a year. I have my doctor's notes or whatever. At the conclusion of the meeting, they advised me, like, you know, you can come back to work on that. My therapist and my doctor took me off. I was off of work for a whole year. Going to therapy every day for a week, diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder and whatever. Anxiety, depression, post you know. And so that's my wife, and we've just been going through this together, so please beg her pardon. But it's just, and, and, and me, even though Teresa did this to me, if I can have it, I wouldn't even want her terminated because I know the effect that it have on the family. And I don't want to wish this on nobody. What I went through and what I'm currently going through, I'm mentally messed up for life behind this. After Muni, there would be no more for me. What do I do? I'm, this is on transit talk. You have AC transit. You have all these transit systems all over on Facebook. I was on there for four days. I don't know who's seen this. So every time I put on that, every time I put on this uniform and you see 5989, it's, it was on Instagram. I got all this. It's instruct, you basically red light me. It's a green light to call the police on me when you see me. I've been back for five months. How do you reverse that? What you gonna do, send another memoir to be like, Mr. Lane is back? I never was terminated. I'm John it on. Instagram and Facebook like he's terminated. If you the guys don't mind seeing, I have screenshots and everything right here confirming what I'm saying. There's no, and for me, it's hard to sleep, man. It's just like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And I'm here, I'm, of course I have to come to work. I have to keep a smile. I have to, it's my duty to come out here and keep this city moving. And, you know, I take pride in what I do. What I see as a problem that we have is if you've got the technicalities of EEO. Yep. And what is that technicality? I'm sorry, I can't oh, hear you. Sorry. I'm sorry. 
we've got the tech i have a, we have the technicalities of eeo and what is required under eeo and then we see and we hear these kinds of issues and i find that it is extraordinarily difficult to say okay to ignore what you have to say i don't think we can um and so I'm an African American and they do us like that. It's like I, we see these people getting shot. You got these people, George Floyd's, and it's like, I don't know if, I'm sorry. Right. We got uh, uh, Commissioner Leon. Did you have? I, I think you're absolutely right. I think we need to segregate the two issues, separate the two issues, the technical EEO, and then also the posting of uh, Mr. Lane uh, at Flint and also somehow got to uh, Woods Division. On the second issue, I just don't know how. I think what's. Department did was unacceptable. I think they should have safeguarded that. They didn't do a very good job in terms of safeguarding it, and it got let out. Um, but I don't know how to rectify that situation because it's all out there, right? It's on Facebook and other uh, social media network. Uh, and, and sir, and um, I'm sorry, just just real, just to reiterate real fast. And I was done. So after everything was resolved, and they found out that it wasn't me. My picture was still at TMC, which is our main dispatch that ran the city. Like, what do you mean it place. wasn't you? I'm sorry. What do you mean it wasn't you? No, no, no. When they found out, well, I mean, my end when they took the picture down after everything was resolved. I mean, it was me. I'm sorry if you when I'm when I was innocent when they finally took it down when we just you know talked to it and they basically took it down for whatever reason. Eight months later, it was still at our TMC headquarters, which is downtown. So you have like all these people that could have seen me. Yeah, it was at TMC like eight months later, and these it was that that happened in February of one year, and I get a, I get a I get a direct message like, "Are you okay?" One of my colleagues, and mind you, I never even knew this happened. I would have never knew if my colleagues wouldn't have called me. That's how I know because, and they know me. They know Mike. When I go to work, I come to work, and I'm and I'm a, I'm a good dude. My coworkers called me. I would have never knew. Dispatch. Nobody never advised me that my picture was up. That, and, I, and when I went up there, I go so up here. Ask the EEO folks. Okay, so um, perhaps you can give us uh, some uh, assistance in this matter. Okay, or the Human Resources Director even, um, but. For EEO, we have, and, and, and Pella Lane, we need to also explain to you, we have limited authority. And what we're having is there's a certain standard that we have to adhere to with regard to EEO complaints. And based on the, the non, the business reason for the department taking the action they did, that's one thing. And did that meet, does that meet the threshold of being able to um, uh, with regard to the EEO complaint. Oh, oh, hold on a sec. But there is those follow-up actions with the department, which are very, very serious, and they impugn a person's reputation. Um, and I am at a loss as to what we can do, whether it's even a letter to the department from the commission or from Department of Human Resources Somehow, no, that's, that's got to be corrected. That is not, that's not acceptable. Um, may I have a moment to confer with sure. uh, one of the managers? Uh, city attorney. You're absolutely right. I, <clears throat> Deputy city attorney, Kate Kimberlin. Um, uh, uh, pardon? 
Oh, no, it's okay. We, we've got what we need. Because this is an appeal from a decision um, not to investigate, I'm not sure that the, that the commission has a full record in front of it. I think the question is whether or not it will uphold the decision of the department to close the complaint without investigation or whether it wants to reverse that decision. Perhaps um, we need, yes. Oh, thanks. So I, I just want to frame the issue that's actually on the agenda and before the commission. Uh, if I may, commissioners. Said yes. Um, so I think uh what was just said is is very pertinent right like what we're looking at with this situation and what has been mentioned by multiple commissioners is the fact that there is the issue of is this eeo and the issue of something should be done to address this and there's a difficulty in navigating those two elements however i think it was appropriate to close the EEO complaint because it was not EEO, but nonetheless, there is still the opportunity to do more to address the conduct that was reported. So with that regard, I think that this would be a situation and, you know, I would need to confer with the department, but in terms of absolutely going over what the protocol is, and I think we've talked about, and I think we can recognize that there is some ambiguity in that the protocol is not clearly defined and does need to be reviewed. And so that is something that DHREEO can work to do with the department, with SFMTA, to ensure that this does not reoccur. And I don't think that we got a complete report because I don't feel that EEO or actually the EEO had all the information from MTA that it needed to be able to address the situation. So in this case, what I'd like to do is um, uh, there's either uh, the concept that we retain uh, jurisdiction and or that, and by doing that, we, I think we would grant the appeal and request DHR and MTA conduct further investigation with a follow-up with the report. So just for clarification, would we be investigating the harassment allegation? For example, it was not clear in the report where the picture was even posted. You know, so that's one of the issues. The other issue, how consistent is this as a policy? Was he singled out or not? Um, and did it, uh, I've, go ahead. Thank you for the questions, uh, Vice President Favetti. Um, it was extremely difficult getting information from SFMTA, and I apologize for that. We made multiple follow-up requests for that information, so you saw correctly um, that we did not have all of the information at the time that we were preparing this report. And moving forward, we won't let that happen again. We'll just request, I'm so sorry, Executive Director Ang will request an extension if that happens again, but um, thank you for, for seeing through and we will, um, we look forward to what the commission recommends. Okay, so then we'll grant the appeal. We will request that DHR continue to work with MTA to get a complete report before the commission and to specifically address the, um, I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm proposing, I am proposing. I'm not on the retract. Okay, yeah. okay, so make sure everybody is, uh, that there's a consensus here. Uh, 
and that um, so grant the appeal have MTA and DHR work together to get the addition. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Crowley, did you have something? No, fin finish your statement. Okay. Um, and to uh, return to the commission with additional information that's needed to fully investigate the complaint. I mean, as I say, you know, uh, so Commissioner Crowley? Yeah, this is not for the appellant, but for EEO. Uh, and you, you. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. This is for. The EO staff and my bad. Thank you, appellant. You know, we're 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 here trying to give due process. And in fairness, I don't think you admit we don't have the documents we need to render a decision based on what's been given us. You said you challenge I, I challenge you to say to me that the SFMTA was difficult in working with and getting this information. We need that information in order to render our appropriate decision. I think you would admit that as well. If you were sitting in that corner, wanted to be appellant and, and, and render a decision, you want to have all the facts before you. Uh, that's just an admonishment. I, I hope we can do better, and I'm going to listen to my colleague here render uh, some kind of motion that we can get to an end here. I, I, I like to see a clarification in terms of this, the standard operating procedure in terms of posting uh, the posting procedure. So that would be the additional yeah. information that we need That's to, right. to conduct the investigation. So that would be granting the appeal, requesting the department expand its investigation or uh, work with the, the Department of Him, uh, uh, Municipal Transportation Agency to get the additional information that the appears to be uh, not included in the report and to have additional information on standard uh, city attorney before I finish. I don't want to finish before. <laughs> What's the city attorney? Ran? <laughs> Deputy okay. city attorney, Kate Kimberlin. Um, I want to clarify. So in granting the appeal, if the commission voted to grant the appeal, I, I believe given the issue that's before us, it would require EEO and SFMTA to investigate the allegations because the appeal is over the closure without investigation. If they do that and that would play out in whatever process EEO has and the appellant is satisfied with that process, that could theoretically end it. If he's mm -hmm. dissatisfied with that process, he would then have another opportunity to appeal to this commission, mm -hmm. um, at which point, presumably, there would be a fuller record for the commission. So right. I'm not sure if it's necessary for you in your motion to specify oh, okay. what needs to happen in connection with that, because I think that's part and part and parcel of just granting the appeal. Precisely. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Favetti, uh, may I make a comment? Um, I just, I'm uh, just responding to the issue of the record itself and the concerns of this commission about the record and the role of our staff in developing that record. So I just want to clarify uh, the arrangement with MTA. So under the charter, the MT, the MTA, the transportation director actually has authority and we simply provide the service of conducting the investigation. Um, it's essentially outsourced to us, and this has been an arrangement that has existed now for two administrations. Um, I, we, we continue to do it, but again, we're only making findings on behalf of the transportation director, 
And I am going to personally make a point of calling that director to express to us this commission's dissatisfaction with the lack of information that uh, has been forthcoming in this and in this Thank case. Thank you. Uh, we, we, of course, strive to provide you with a full record as we can. And also, we're very sensitive to this commission's concerns that we uh, move the appeals through this commission much more quickly and that we um, that you have an opportunity to hear these cases in a timely manner. And so we're uh, cognizant of that as well. And I just want to uh, acknowledge the work of our whole EEO team under the leadership of Amalia Martinez to try to make that balancing effort. But we, too, are quite distressed that we are bringing to you a case that we don't feel completely satisfied with the information that we can present to you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So, uh, the motion is to grant the appeal. Do we have a second? Second. Uh, do we have any public comment on the motion? Um, Ms. Aldana, is there? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, we are in the middle of a motion. So, what do I like? What do I do from what do I what do I do from this point? Right now, it means it's going back to the department for reinvestigation. It's, it's like I'm okay. Okay, so I need to get this vote together. Oh. Commissioner Crowley, aye. Commissioner Leung, aye. And I vote aye. That's three to zero. The uh, motion uh, prevails. Okay, so it's going to go back to the department. It's important for you to talk to the EEO representatives. I'm certain you can do that today. Or tomorrow, you can make an appointment today. They are. Okay. So, yeah. So, it'll be like, right. And if you need additional questions, there's the executive director, Sandra Ng, here. Okay. Okay. But expletives on the phone don't work. Anyway, so. Never mind. Um, okay, so uh, continue to work with the department and the executive director. Let's hear the next item. Hmm. You can do this. Two tough cases. Really tough. Okay. <laughs> huh? They don't get easier. <laughs> okay, we, we should we announce the next item? And time. <laughs> we are now on item 18, appeal by Whitney Barca of the Human Resources Director's determination that investigative findings did not establish appellant's complaint of harassment and retaliation. Personnel exception, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.10B and California Government Code Section 54957B1. Recommendation of the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the Human Resources Director, and deny the appeal by Whitney Barca. Okay, first business for order of business is um, through the appellant. This is appellant Barca. Uh, Barca. Okay. And with regard to the question of closed session or open session, do you. What mind? changes in a closed session? 
It's completely confidential. Uh, everybody has to um, go out of the room. Um, Open is fine. Okay. Uh, the department, you're up, and what is your preference with regard to open or closed session? Thank you so much, Commissioner. No preference. Okay, Commissioners? No preference. Okay. I'm good. All right, so we're going to go with open session. Um, and so let us go with the department first. Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Deborah Julane, and I am an EEO program senior specialist with the Department of Human Resources. On October 31st, 2019, DHR EEO received appellant Whitney Barga's report of sexual harassment and retaliation. On February 12th, 2020, Dorothy Young, then EEO program specialist, conducted an intake interview with appellant and followed up for additional information. DHR EEO investigated appellant's allegations. The investigation included review of documentation and interviews with relevant parties. On June 1st, 2023, the Human Resources Director informed appellant that the investigation did not establish appellant's allegations and closed appellant's complaint. The question on appeal is whether the Human Resources Director appropriately closed appellant's complaint due to the investigative findings. For reasons I will explain, the answer is yes. Credible witness testimony did not establish the sexual harassment allegations. The accused respondent denied the allegations. Also, witness testimony and documentary evidence did not corroborate appellant's allegations. Moreover, witnesses confirmed the account provided by the accused, indicating that appellant extended an invitation to socialize outside of work. During appellant's rebuttal interview, appellant admitted that the conduct alleged did not, quote, feel like work harassment and acknowledged that she did not report the allegations until 20 months after the purported conduct occurred. Therefore, the investigative findings did not establish appellant's allegations and the human resources director's determination should be upheld. Regarding appellant's additional allegations, the accused respondent denied them and witnesses did not provide corroborating testimony. Moreover, the investigation did not establish that the accused pursued appellant given text messages show respondent told appellant not to talk to him. And appellant similarly admitted that respondent never demonstrated interest, which witness testimony similarly corroborated. Therefore, the investigative findings did not establish appellant's allegations, and the Human Resources Director's determination should be upheld. The investigation of appellant's retaliation allegations was thorough. The investigative findings indicate that the facts did not establish that appellant engaged in protected activity prior to the purported harms. For retaliation to be established, there must be evidence of a protected activity preceding the alleged adverse action. Here, the investigation did not establish appellant reported an EEO complaint in March or April 2018. Rather, the investigation established the alleged harm established appellant reported an EEO complaint on October 3rd, 2019. 
Moreover, the investigation established all the alleged harms allegedly occurred prior to the initial October 3rd, 2019 report. Given the sequence of events, the lack of evidence for preceding protected activity, the allegation of retaliation was not established. Therefore, the Human Resources Director issued the correct determination. On appeal, appellant does not provide any new information that would support appellant's original allegations. The investigation included witness testimony and a review of documentation. However, there was no corroboration of the allegations. The newly proffered information would not change the fundamental conclusions already drawn based on the evidence. Moreover, the methodology of the investigation was sound and comprehensive, drawing upon information already mentioned in appellant's appeal. Thus, appellant does not provide any information on appeal to warrant further review under the city's EEO policy, and the Human Resources Director's determination should be upheld. In conclusion, the investigation did not establish appellant's allegations. We respectfully request that the commission deny appellant's appeal and uphold the human resources director's determination. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Jesusa Bouchong, departmental personal officer with the San Francisco Fire Department is also here to answer any questions as well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Appellant Barca. Good evening, Commission. Thank you for your time. Um, my name is Whitney Barca, Firefighter San Francisco Fire Department, currently hold the position of Fire Inspector. Um, so I'm here regarding uh, EEO file 3311, harassment, sexual harassment, and retaliation. And I'd respectfully like to request an extension on the appeal schedule dated for today and propose a new date of December 19th, 2023. I did reach out proactively and, and spoke with Jesus Bouchong, SFFDHR, and confirmed that she is also available on that day. You're saying you're requesting a postponement? Yes. For what reason? I thought you might ask that. Sure. So, several reasons. Um, and I will try to be brief. Uh, one, I received new information on October 5th. In that, in, in that new information, I learned that the person's interview to offer credible witness testimony are in fact my abusers. And from my standpoint, no longer credible. I learned that this investigation is incomplete because I provided the names to DHREEO on April 18th, 2022, yet none of those persons were interviewed. For each new point identified by my abuser's testimony, I have to delve back into the nearly six years worth of upsetting and highly triggering text messages, photos, <clears throat> documentation, and relive the truly offensive and degrading treatment I have endured. This has been exceptionally challenging so much so that I was awarded a stress claim approved by workers' comp where I was off for one year. Five days to prepare this paperwork following this new evidence was simply not enough. And there's not a corner of my life that these events have not touched and respectfully please consider 
granting me time to properly prepare the relevant data to reopen this file on, on December 19th, 2023. I'd like to hear from the department. Say that again. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'd like to hear from the department. Um, Thank you so much, Commissioner. The investigation conducted by DHREO was thorough and exhaustive. The methodology was sound. The fact finding, the fact gathering was thorough. Individuals identified by appellant were um, similarly reached out to and their information, relevant information, which was embodied in the CSC report to this body um, was in fact um, provided and included in the analysis. Appellant had ample opportunity in the form of an intake interview. On a multiple occasions, the initial investigator similarly reached out to appellant as well. A rebuttal interview was similarly conducted. And through that mechanism, the rebuttal interview, more information was gathered and more investigation conducted, which is embodied in the um, exhibition um, exhibits to the CSC report. So regarding to the integrity, I believe that the voluminous documentation, the multiplicity of interviews further demonstrate the thoroughness and there's nothing remiss um, done um, in the original investigation. Moreover, as alluded to by appellant, appellant um, and I believe also Jesusa might be present to provide additional information to clarify this point. Um, the career trajectory of appellant has not been interfered with, as alluded to um, in a statement just made moments prior. Um, there was a promotional opportunity provided to appellant in the form of a new role, I believe, in fire fire prevention as opposed to fire suppression. So I think these twin pillars demonstrate that the original findings were made accurately and similarly, the new promotional, promotional opportunity nullify any inference of retaliatory intent. Thank and I you. believe Jesusa could also speak to I, that I if she's do, present. But we also have some comments from the executive director. Direct, executive director Ng. Commissioners, I just wanted to clarify so you have an understanding. Uh, the appellant, the reason they are making a request now for postponement is because this is actually the second request. However, I do want to note that the first request for postponement was uh, September 18th, uh, and the appellant had only asked for one month request for postponement. So that's just so. A commissioner's not surprised as to why the appellant is coming before it is in our procedures. Any additional requests, they must make it before the commission. Because I didn't note it on the, there was, so it didn't get onto the calendar at all, huh? Correct. Okay. And then uh, Ms. Bouchon, uh, is she available for comment? Yes. Good evening, commissioners. Jesus Bouchon, Fire Department Human Resources. I'm confirming what Ms. Delay just stated in regards to appellant currently holding an acting assignment at the rank of fire inspector and the Bureau of Fire Prevention. Okay, are you in favor or against a postponement? On behalf of the department, I support DHR's investigative procedures and agree with Ms. DeLay that it has been exhaustive in terms of methodology and witnesses, relevant witnesses interviewed 
in the process and DHR is prepared to present their investigative findings. And so I support that the matter continue tonight. And to the appellant, have you already given this information to DHR or is this new information you're saying you have now and you've kept it? To the appellant. What was the question? The information you say you have new information. Oh, now? absolutely. Uh, no, 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 not to us. Oh, no. Have you given that to DHR and when have you received it on the 5th of October? They re received it at uh, the same time you guys received it. So that would be your, when did I, when did I send it in? As already explicated in the staff report and the oral presentation of rebuttal interview was conducted with appellant and through that mechanism, additional information gathered and the ascertainment of which more individuals within relevant information on during the rebuttal, what that information was included. So if this is the interaction that um, appellant um, makes, then that has already been included. It's part of the record. It is before the commission to review. Okay. That's. That's totally not what I was thinking. Um, it was the in packet that I provided to get to this position here um, to get the appeal opportunity. The paperwork that is in there and I have a copy of it. Okay, you are going to need a unanimous decision. Commissioners, do you? Hello, thank you. Yes, the information on appeal is part of the record. It has been submitted and information um, was parsed through as part of the Gould Report, an independent review, investigative review by a staff member here in DHREO, review that information in light of the original investigative findings. That is how the ascertainment and information that was congruent on the when the matter was ongoing was already included was a mischaracterization on appeal. That information is included. Thank you. I'm curious as to why the list of people I provided were not interviewed. What is she looking at? As included in the staff report and the oral presentation, and again, now, information provided on appeal was included. The information initially of a particular individual was provided during the rebuttal interview and is similarly replicated in the appeal. That information was included in the original investigative analysis. As I alluded to already, the investigative, um, the investigation was exhaustive. It was meticulous. The methodology used was accurate. And for these reasons, DHR EEO is prepared to present. Jesusa is similarly here. Jesusa Bashong is here to present as well to further illustrate that the career trajectory has not been interfered with. There is a proportional opportunity afforded to appellant that does not support an inference of retaliation. Thank you. Commissioners. In terms of. Excuse me, I'm, yes. I'm talking to the commissioners now. I'm going to, I am ready to hear this, but um, I'll leave it to the chair. And Commissioner Leon. I would like to hear it too. Okay, we're going forward. No, excuse me, it's the department that goes first. Hello, Deborah Julie with DHREO again. Um, 
Yes, I am open to answering any questions you may have. If additional clarification or reiteration of the oral presentation is required, similarly, I can provide that information as well. Um, Jesusa is also Jesusa Bashong with the San Francisco Fire Department is similarly here to support the, the findings. Just let me know if you have any questions. Uh, are you going to be making a presentation? Oh, I can reread it. Uh, uh, you don't have to read the report. I mean, that's Vice okay. President Favetti, I believe the department already made their presentation and then the appellant Burke was going to make her presentation, but chose to request a postponement. Uh, for, some, uh, for some reason, I thought it was a little bit more. It was going to be a little. I thought it was going to be a little bit more detailed. I apologize. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Good afternoon. Good. Oh, Go yes. Okay. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Deborah Dubay, and I am an EEO programs senior specialist with the Department of Human Resources. On October 31st, 2019, DHR EEO received appellant Whitney Barca's report of sexual harassment and retaliation. On February 12th, 2020, Dorothy Young, then EEO program specialist, conducted an intake interview with appellant and followed up for additional information. DHREO investigated appellant's allegations. The investigation included review of documentation and interviews of relevant parties. On June 1st, 2023, the Human Resources Director informed Appellant that the investigation did not establish Appellant's allegations and closed Appellant's complaint. The question on appeal is whether the Human Resources Director appropriately closed Appellant's complaint due to the investigative findings. For reasons I will explain, the answer is yes. Credible witness testimony did not establish the sexual harassment allegations. The accused respondent denied the allegations. Also, witness testimony and documentary evidence did not corroborate appellant's allegations. Moreover, witness, witnesses confirmed the account given by the accused, indicating that appellant had extended an invitation to socialize outside of work. During appellant's rebuttal interview, Appellant admitted that the alleged conduct didn't feel like work harassment and acknowledged that, the that she did not report the allegations until 20 months after the alleged conduct occurred. Therefore, the investigative findings did not establish appellant's allegations and the human resources director's determination should be upheld. Regarding appellant's additional allegations, the accused respondent denied them and witnesses did not provide corroborating testimony. Moreover, the investigation did not establish that the accused respondent pursued appellant, given that text messages show respondent told appellant to never talk to him again, and appellant similarly admitted that respondent never demonstrated interest, which witness testimony corroborated. Therefore, the investigative findings did not establish appellant's allegations and the Human Resources Director's determination should be upheld. The investigation of appellant's retaliation allegation was thorough. The investigative findings indicate the facts did not establish appellant engaged in a protected activity prior to the purported harms. For retaliation to be established, there must be evidence of a protected activity preceding the alleged adverse action. Here, 
the investigation did not establish appellant reported an EEO complaint in March or April 2018. Rather, the investigation established that appellant reported an EEO complaint on October 3, 2019. Moreover, the investigation established the alleged harms all allegedly occurred prior to the initial October 3, 2019 report. Given the sequence of events and lack of evidence for preceding protected activity, the allegation of retaliation was not established. Therefore, the Human Resources Director issued the correct determination. On appeal, Appellant does not provide any new information that would support Appellant's original allegations. The investigation included witness testimony and a review of documentation. However, there was no corroboration. The newly proffered information would not change the fundamental conclusions already drawn based on the evidence. Moreover, the methodology of the investigation was sound and comprehensive, drawing upon information already mentioned in Appellant's appeal. Thus, Appellant does not provide any new information on appeal that warrants further review under the City's EEO policy, and the Human Resources Director's determination should be upheld. In conclusion, the investigation did not establish Appellant's allegations. We respectfully request that the Commission deny Appellant's appeal and uphold the Human Resources Director's determination. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Jesusa Bushong, Departmental Personal Officer with the San Francisco Fire Department, is also here to answer any questions as well. Thank you. Well, quickly, the commissioners did not have any questions. Did you have any questions? Okay, so let's go with the appellant. <clears throat> Thank you for doing that. Um, it makes it much easier to have both right next to each other without the interim conversations. So go ahead, uh, uh, appellant Barca. Go ahead. Uh. I do have my notes that you guys can look at if you like. It just has all of the new information that was not considered. Um, and I will review that. Please excuse me, I wasn't entirely prepared to do this. This is an incomplete investigation. I'm looking at a list of eight people that were identified in a in the um, rebuttal that was offered by DHR EEO on April 18th, 2022, where I provided these names. To the best of my knowledge, none of them have been interviewed. That's not new information. That's an incomplete investigation. I heard from DHR that I said it didn't feel like harassment, this phone call where I was solicited for sex outside of work. That's because it happened outside of work. Harassment it is. Witness testimony, as I mentioned before, each person that offered their credible witness testimony is somebody who has documented, abused, or been a contributor to, to the abuse toward me in the last almost six years coming up in the January. 
I'm a numbers person. So while I was sitting in the audience here, I have a conservative total of 34 documented events from 2018 to present via text message, photo, actually that doesn't include photos, um, uh, events of dis this discrimination, harassment, retaliation. And I would like to focus immediately on retaliation because that seems to be a big point. Some of the examples you may not be familiar with that I experienced prior to the retaliation were crews avoiding con eye contact, consistently being ignored, crews refusing to reply when addressed, such as not responding to morning greetings or goodbyes, crew stopping conversation when I entered the room and or leaving the room when I entered, no help grocery shopping, cooking or cleaning, trades erased off the trade board, crews hiding new station merchandise so I can't buy it. The initial incident was sexual harassment, January 23rd, 2018, I received a phone call at home. Following that phone call, I had also not worked with that person prior. We had uh, met twice at shift change, so for a potential of an hour or so. Um, called me, solicited me for sex, I declined, I thought he was kidding, I assumed he was drunk. And from that point forward, he then would come into work uh, before his shift started and my shift was ending and he would get into the the uh, dorm bed next to mine. He did this on multiple occasions and he was watching me sleep. I reported this three times until finally it stopped. This is corroborated in the events tallied by Firefighter Morales, where he does say that Tammy Turner, Lieutenant at that time, Acting Lieutenant Turner, spoke to him on my behalf Although she doesn't recall any of these events, he does reference a conversation that uh, regarding the dorms and him not sleeping there. I uh, would like to point out it is against our rules and regulations to even enter the dorms while you're not on duty before 0700, and this happened just shortly after 5 a.m. on three separate occasions. So back to retaliation. I reported that, that should have been protected but my officer simply just ignored it. On October 3rd, following events where trash had been placed in my locker and I had reported it on two occasions prior to my officer, I said all of this started when his nickname's Porkchop, when Porkchop called me and solicited me for sex. That's how this got reported. I wasn't sitting on it or holding it. I didn't even know it was workplace sexual harassment because it didn't happen at work. I have learned my lesson on that. But I'm going to review several items that follow that act. So when DHR EO memo asserts that the timeline of events did not support retaliation claim, and that I had not reported the phone call in 2008, thus harassment I experienced in 2018 and 2019 could not be considered retaliation. However, the memo does not address the direct retaliation I experienced after October 3rd, 2019, when I again for the third time in two years requested help from Captain McCoy and told him that the harassment had been ongoing an issue since the phone call at the start of 2018. This was the first time I reported the phone call 
which the DHR EEO memo confirms was a protected activity. It was after my October 3rd report that direct retaliation began. These are all bullet points. At a fire on October 6, 2019, Firefighter Morales knowingly put me in a dangerous situation when he did not follow department protocols, which delayed him getting me water while I was on the nozzle inside the fire room. After the fire was out, I relayed my officer's request to have the driver, Morales, shut down the water, but he refused, choosing not to follow chain of command, stating, I don't take orders from you. Next, on October 6th, I found a bracelet at the fire station. After trying to find the owner, I was accused of theft. Captain McCoy, the officer accusing me of theft, writes in his unusual occurrence report on October 10th, and tries to spin the facts, but he clearly confirms, one, that I had found a bracelet, two, he had tried to find, that I had tried to find the owner, three, was detailed to a different station, and four, upon my return to the station, requested a receipt that I would, so that I would not be accused of theft. This is clearly, clearly an attempt to retaliate against me for reporting the harassment to Firefighter Morales. The harassment he did not report. He did not report sexual harassment, harassment, or the retaliation of putting garbage in my locker. On October 7th, Officer McCoy called me at Station 10 and accused me of stealing the bracelet, threatened me with paperwork for this unfounded claim. All of these are documented with text messages and screenshots and additional documentation, including photos. On October 9th, 2019, when I arrived at work, everything had been removed from the women's locker room at the station. And although described in the DHR EEO memo as individuals simply removing their personal belongings from the locker room. Instead, essential and non-personal items such as toilet paper, paper towels, soap, and shower items had all been removed. And this happened more than once when I was on the only female working following my claim of sexual harassment and harassment. On October 10th, I was off duty. I was in a conversation with Captain McCoy that was at an impasse, and five times I requested the support of my chief. In later verbiage, the responding chief, Glenn Kircher, refers to this meeting I requested as a pre-disciplinary interview to cover up for missed procedural steps to support a retaliatory witch hunt investigation into, and I quote, the events of October per a letter from CD2, later issued. Subsequently, DHR EEO mistakenly refers to this conversation as a disciplinary meeting, unknowingly referencing the, a mistruth and further damaging my character. On October 10th, 2019, Chief Kircher threatened disciplinary action for a subsequent interruption. I did not subsequently interrupt, yet discipline was taken all the same and I lost pay as a result. Again, on October 10th, Captain McCoy repeatedly tells me to leave Station 22. He says that I am not welcome there. He says, I know good character and you don't have it. This is a gentleman I have worked with at that time seven times prior in an, an entire year. On October 17th, nope, October 14th, I heard a rumor that Firefighter Morales filed a discrimination claim against me after my October 3rd reporting. Although I cannot confirm whether this is true or not, it would be a further example of retaliation. I suspect that it was true since at my rebuttal interview, I was asked what is Firefighter Morales's ethnicity. On October 17th, still retaliation, I was again accused a second time by Captain McCoy 
of theft following him losing his badge, he misplaced it. And although he calls it a coincidence, he clearly attempts to connect the misplaced badge to the above October 10th unusual occurrence report he filed about the bracelet. He later found the badge, but not after insinuating in another unusual occurrence report that I was responsible. In addition, he filed a police report with San Francisco Police Department. It is important to note that Captain McCoy's unusual occurrence report about his badge is dated October 2nd, but it is clearly an error as it is, describes the events of October 17th. Lastly, thankfully, on January 4th, 2020, Officer Brendan McGoran, now retired fire, firefighter, approached two off-duty officers, Officer Alvarenga and Officer Casey Cardinale, now retired, and spreads degrading rumors about me. It is important to note that I have never met Officer McGoran. However, Officer McGoran worked with Firefighter Morales at Station 20 from the time he was removed from Station 22 in mid-October through January 2020. Morales knowingly spread rumors about me. I won't read you the whole papers, I promise. Um, there's quite a bit more. Is it a good time for questions? Are you finished with your presentation? No, there's just so much. I'm not quite sure where to focus at this point. Oh, okay. I do have one I thought here. Um, additional. So speaking of new issues, there were some items that I simply could not report because I did not know them. One was uh, the rebuttal interview was um, April 18th. Uh, 2022 and November 6th, 2022, I was at a concert. I met a woman by the name of Anna Manns. She is the uh, person who had sex with firefighter Morales five times in the station in 2019. That was investigated by San Francisco Fire Department. Um, he was found guilty and received some sort of punishment. I just happened to meet her organically, which is very odd. Um, in addition, even something as recently as spring of this year, firefighter at Station 12 witnessed another firefighter by the name of Camille Wolford Howard gossiping and spreading rumors that I had been fired. She was a member at Station 22 in 2018. On April 8th, 2023, a friend of mine, Janelle Mamini, was approached by Acting Lieutenant Gregory Bovo, who warned her about me in reference to me dating her roommate alluding to my damaged reputation in the fire department. And when pressed, he was unable to come up with anything specific, just repeated bad reputation. Please note that I have never met now Officer Bovo. This speaks to the far-reaching damage and longevity of my, of my maligned reputation. It is also evidence that firefighter Morales and crew and officers, what they conjured at 22 was quite strong in that Five and a half years later, it's affecting my personal relationships outside of work. I think those are the highlights. And do you have a requested remedy? Sorry, I had that hearing. What's that? Do you have a requested remedy? Such a good question. Um, yes. 
in my perfect world, I would like this to go back to San Francisco fire and those persons involved can be held accountable for the rules that were egregiously violated that allowed for this behavior to even happen in the first place. That's my, my dream. Uh, in that that's not possible, I lost significant wages um, as a result of this. Uh, there was a, a retaliatory witch hunt investigation that affected my personnel file. People think I stole something, which is absolutely not true. These retaliatory events have annihilated any of opportunity for me to have a fair standing. It's why I'm not in the department uh, stations right now. I've actually, I'm, I've, yes, I've got, I took a test for a position in the Bureau of Fire Prevention, but I didn't become a firefighter to sit at a desk. This is simply the best next option because I do not feel safe in the field and I don't know how to put a price on that, but that's what's happened. So in terms of remedy, can someone pay my therapy bills? That'd be great. We don't do money. I know. Um, okay, so thank you. Um, commissioners, do you have questions? By the department or the appellant? Um, the department first? Yeah. Thank you so much, Commissioner. Hello. Hi. Um, so the appellant has made a number of, uh, maybe a uh, for lack of a better term, a chronology of these allegations. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make sure that the department uh, investigated each and every single one of them, other than the new, I think she also mentioned about the three new items, notwithstanding those three items, all the other allegations, I just wanted to make sure that you guys looked into that and, and properly vetted through the process. Yes, certainly regarding the conduct um, already alleged, I did want to clarify that, um, you know, the department is committed to maintaining a workplace that is professional and productive and every complaint, um, whether from or against an individual is taken with care and consideration and impartiality. So going to those issues regarding reviewing the location of a missing belonging, there was a legitimate interest there for the department to take a look into those items. Regarding other issues um, that were brought up, I would want to caution regarding the accused engaging in um, serious conduct. Um, and then just to be cautious in terms of the probative value um, weighed against the prejudicial value. Um, but going back to your initial point, Commissioner, um, the issues that were already included included the conduct of the accused, included how appellant was treated. And as the original report and also the staff report illustrate is that those allegations were just not corroborated. So from that time frame, and it's important to note as well in terms of the methodology and reaching out and keeping open lines of communication with appellant elicited um, asked for additional information. So what you have in the record is a thorough, exhaustive file of all the issues presented by appellant when it was an open matter and reviewed. So that is under consideration for the scope of this appeal. Um, this is not to say that any outside information would not be addressed. It's just that when you look at the record, when whether it was open engagement with appellant to ask, for example, during a rebuttal interview, do you have more information? Yes, that information was considered and reviewed. So just to lay any concerns, the thoroughness, the exhaustiveness of the meticulous investigation is there as the record reflects. And I hope that that answers your question or if you have any additional um, follow-up, I'd be happy to address. 
I think uh, most of the items that just cited by the appellant, I think they're in the report itself. They are. Um, as I alluded to um, regarding to delicately phrase it in a way that's most charitable to all involved parties, there were legitimate concerns about the location of an item, and it was appropriate for the department to take a look into that. And as already alluded to at the very beginning of this presentation, appellant received is working in a different context and is considered in working in a promotional opportunity. So the career trajectory of appellant has not been diminished, which further rebuts the inference of retaliatory animus. Moreover, I believe Jesus Bushong is similarly present who can attest to given that the um, the new work situation is extricating appellant from the accused. What about the uh, the statement just made by the appellant about eight individuals had not been uh, had been identified but not interviewed? DHR EO conducted a methodologically sound investigation during the rebuttal interview. Um, more information was asked of appellant and that and from that interview, additional follow-up fact-finding was conducted. So the enumeration of individuals on appeal and the appeal provided to the CSC, um, there was overlap. So when I reference in the uh, oral presentation that, in fact, the information proffered on appeal was considered when the investigation was open and included in the analysis of the original determination by the human resources director. That is the point that I'm trying to make, that the integrity of the investigation is sound. The analysis that is built upon the evidence is accurate. And I believe the CSC can assuredly deny the appeal given all the exhaustive information provided by DHR EEO. Thank you. Were those eight names provided to DHR during the rebuttal interview? As I alluded to in the report, um, I do would like to be very cautious in terms of divulging information as retaliation is of paramount importance in order for DHR EEO to elucidate and gather information. The chilling effect due to retaliation um, prompts me to be very cautious in terms of naming specific individuals. So I get that. certainly I, I don't need the names. I don't need the names. They were included okay. in the rebuttal in interview, included information, and there's one contiguous data point that was continuous throughout. And that's the, the point that I just want to drive home in terms of the information gathered, the follow-up conducted by virtue of the rebuttal interview as the foundation of a sound, methodologically correct investigation. Thank you. Once again, the witness alleged that there was witnesses that weren't interviewed. You're corroborating the fact that you followed up with each and every one of those witnesses to this body. The, the way to review what information, number one, the investigation did include neutral third-party witnesses. Those individuals did not corroborate the investigation under the burden-shifting framework that is utilized in EEO analysis, it was sufficient at that point to reach out to appellant for more information. And by virtue of that rebuttal interview, an additional individual identified included in the investigative findings. So we review for prima facie whether or not information and relevant information and what that individual might provide um, relevant to the allegations. There's an additional analytical step in that regard in terms of defining the universe of discourse of individuals who would present relevant testimony. So 
an exhaustive, this was an efficiently conducted interview um, and the most salient data point in terms of integrity is the continue, the, con the continuity of a particular individual who was identified both when it was outstanding as well on appeal. And I believe that that is sufficient in terms of garnering relevant information in terms of the um, investigative steps taken. Okay, no further questions, Madam Chair. Okay. Did you want to hear any form from the appellant or the department, either one of you? Just one question for the appellant. So you mentioned earlier that eight people were identified had not. You 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 think that they were not interviewed by DHR. How do you know that? Because of the information I received on October 5th, that was additional information the cause. What additional information did you receive on October 5th? Let me take a look. It is. I did not previously have statements from those interviewed. I still, it's blacked out. Or it's from the report that issued by the, uh, by the city to you. Yes. Yeah. So I got um, a little more info and I, even though I can't read anything but the person's titles, um, I can read very clearly that there are only six people that were interviewed. Of those six, I can make a strong assumption that I know exactly who those people are based on what I read and how they identified themselves. And as I said originally, each of those six is someone who has abused me and been part of this problem since 2018. This representation of me, this concept of a credible witness does not exist without additional people that I have referenced and asked to, to be interviewed that simply were not. In addition, there are names that came up in the various stories and text messages, et cetera. Those people weren't interviewed. This is not an exhaustive list. This is a very concise list. Just the people who are gonna hit the high notes and cooperate everything that I've already said, everything that I've already been saying. And to that end, I would like to say something very specific. Firefighter Morales claims that he doesn't have any recollection of calling me. Fine. I would love to see his phone records. Um, but to that end, I did uh, contact my phone company at that time, which was Verizon. And uh, they have no record of me contacting this person at any time. And the entire uh, credible witness storyline surrounds me calling Firefighter Morales to solicit some sort of uh, extracurricular, extra whatever, right. uh, activity outside of work. And that's based on me calling him and et cetera. And I have my phone records simply stating that that simply didn't happen. Um, it is interesting that all of the credible witnesses do share that same storyline. It just didn't happen. And the evidence that I have that I'm not being allowed to share does support that. I have 34 points of information conservatively that support what I am saying. That in it's tr basically triangulated from text messages sent to this person, to that person, et cetera, who was working that day. And I can paint you a very pretty picture of exactly what happened, who was there, 
And the only thing that the credible witness testimony has offered is a story. But I have facts. I have a tremendously long timeline of each data point, each text message, absolutely very clearly spelled out what happened when, and I can back it up. And witness credible witness testimony has nothing except each other. Department have anything to say further? Thank you. Thank you so much, Commissioner. Um, going back to the initial point previously made in terms of protecting the identity of individuals, um, that, that that is to reduce or mitigate against the risk of the chilling effect due to retaliation. Nonetheless, information was provided um, as previously just stated just a moment ago. Um, and the level of um, redaction was appropriate to protect the interest. Um, I do want to highlight the neutrality of DHR EEO when reviewing information. It is a balancing act between the interest of appellant as, a, as well as the accused respondent. So when reviewing for relevancy of possible testimony of a witness, neutrality is paramount. And, and an individual continuous, um, you know, on appeal presented as though presenting di, um, dispositive information, that testimony was in fact included, going back to the integrity of the investigation. And similarly, reviewing um, you know, credible witness testimony of others as well um, to, um, to gain insight into what the dynamic at play at the time was. There was no witness corroboration of people making rumors um, about people advising others not to assist appellant. Um, and I think the most focal element um, in terms of the retaliation allegation is um, a promotional opportunity was afforded to appellant. The career trajectory has not been diminished. Um, and similarly, in working in a different part of um, the protection as opposed to suppression, um, effective removal by virtue of the work situation is um, you know, between the accused and appellant. So in terms of the remedy um, that has already been provided and the promotional opportunity further diminishes a retaliation claim. Thank you. Commissioners, do you have any further comments? Are you ready for a motion or do you wanna hear more from the appellant? I'm good. No. Um, do you want to make a motion? I believe the department has met its burden and I'm um, making a motion to adopt the report and uphold the decision of the human resources director. I'll second that. Is there any public comment? Ms. Aldana, is there any public comment on the phone? Vice President Flavetti, no public comment at this time. We'll do a roll call vote. Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Leong? Aye. And I vote aye. It is a unanimous decision. Uh, the decision of the Human Resources Director is upheld and the appeal is denied. Thank you so much. We go to the next item. Item 19, appeal by Velma Gay of the Human Resources Director's determination that investigative findings did not establish appellant's complaint of harassment and discrimination. Personnel exception, San Francisco Administrative Code Section 67.10B and California Government Code Section 54957B1. Recommendation of the Department of Human Resources, adopt the report, uphold the decision of the Human Resources Director, and deny the appeal by Velma Gay. Is Velma Gay a present? 
Ms. Aldana, is Velma Gay on the phone by any chance? Um, let me check Vice President Favetti. Um, if Velma Gay is on the line, uh, please press star three so that we can unmute you. No one is raising their hand at this time, Vice President Favetti. Okay, I don't see anybody on the screen. Uh, it says Velma Gay. Okay, so did the commissioners have any questions, comments, or any with regard to the the uh, the very thorough and very exhaustive report? I have to say. Uh, Thank you so much, Commissioner. DHREO is striving to do its best to address <laughs> any concerns. Um, there is one question that was, uh, as Commissioner Salvas and I actually shared the same thing. Uh, the question was whether or not Luena Kim, uh, it appears she was a respondent, but had not been, uh, she didn't see the record of the EEO investigation in, with, of the interview within, I'm sorry, uh, with the interview within the uh, EEO investigation. DH, thank you so much for the question, Commissioner. Um, DHREO, the analysis of EEO is, um, founded upon the burden-shifting framework, which is to create um, the inference of bias due to a protected category. Under the burden-shifting framework, um, the burden of persuasion is always with the complainant. Um, and what they do is to make the prima facie case. And once there's enough information to warrant the shifting to the respondent to provide their side of the events, then yes, those steps, those investigative steps are warranted. In this situation, when the investigation aggregated um, a multiplicity of witness interviews, a voluminous documentation, and the interview with one of the respondents, the determination was that under the burden shifting framework, the burden did not shift to the respondent to provide a response. There was already sufficient information on file um, to show that bias was not on, at play. Um, most notably of which the appellant received training um, per my understanding, similarly, uh, the department also paid for appellants training courses as well. Um, so there was already voluminous documentation to further show that um, training was afforded to appellant. Um, and I believe there was an attempt at mediation to help rectify the matter. Um, appellant um, also passed probation while under the reporting hierarchy of the accused individuals. Um, and then there was no witness corroboration of animus, which is the cornerstone of any EEO analysis, is the bias at play. So um, thank you so much, Commissioner. I hope that addresses the concern. And just one other question. Okay. Excuse me, I guess it's going. Um, do um, and Mrs. Uh, Ms. Gay, or the appellant Gay's uh, current employment status? Per my understanding, appellant is no longer with the city in, in employment. Um, that's my most recent understanding of the current state of play. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Executive Director Ping. Commissioners, I do want to point out that the appellant made a second request for postponement on October 13th. And because it was an, uh, the second request, we informed the appellant that they would need to come before the commission for a second request for postponement. We did state it could be done in person or virtually. And um, the only other communication we received was this morning. There was no message, but at the subject, it stated court date of October 16, 2023. 
which is informing me how it may not be here due to a court date, but uh, in terms of there's no explanation, it just says court date. Mm -hmm. I know there may be some other um, work-related factors possibly due with the court date, but we would need to speak with uh, a human services agency if they are aware. But this is just to let you know the person uh, Palant did request a second request for mm -hmm. postponement. Do we have anybody from the human services agency that possibly spoke to the appellant? Oh, I believe Nakia is present. Um, I believe also DHREO, you know, in terms of reaching out on another matter outstanding, um, has reached out to appellant in late September. I believe it was September 25th, uh, follow up um, communication regarding additional um, allegation this is outside the scope of the appeal. It's on another matter entirely. Um, similar communication was given in, uh, I believe, September 29th. And as of my most recent recollection, October 11th, there was a scheduled meeting with DHREO and appellant because we care about appellant's concerns. Um, that individual appellant did not show up for that October 11th. Um, intake interviews appointment. So in terms of there are open lines of communication, we continue to reach out because there are other matters out so outside the scope of appeal, but certainly, um, you know, DHREO will continue with the follow through and trying to get additional information from appellant. Okay, uh, quite frankly, I thought that the, um, the materials presented were ex extremely thorough. Um, and I, unless there's other considerations, I would um, move to deny the appeal and uphold the decision of the Human Resources Director. Second, based on the complete and utter completeness of the administrative record and the phone call made to the office, I would uh, second that motion. Okay, is there any public comment? Uh, is Aldana, is there anybody on the phone? Vice President Favetti, no public comment at this time. Okay, I'll do the roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Crowley? Aye. Commissioner Leon? Aye. And I vote aye, three to zero. Uh, it is unanimous. Thank you very much. Good evening, Commissioners. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, could you go ahead and uh, Executive Director and read the next, uh, announce the next item? I, um, item 21, Commissioner's announcements or requests. Yes, I have several. Oh, one. Do you, need, do you need water or? No, it has to do with it. Oh. <laughs> I'll go quickly, Madam Chair. Uh, I just want to find out, uh, they'll be dealing with you, but the 9139 on the SFMTA, when that next exam will be posted. That's all. Thank you for the executive director and through the chair. Thank you. Okay, it's the uh, 70, uh, hurry, following. Follow up on the hiring essential shops. Sorry. Follow up on Bill Miles' comments on contemporaneous, contemporaneous out of class assignments and what is acceptable and should we be having a hearing on that? I have most of it on my notes already. Thank okay. you. Last item on the agenda. Item 22, adjournment. It is now 8.21 p.m. A moment too soon. Our chairman loses his voice.